Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first of this year's end of year specials from Cana Rince. I'm Leon Cox, and I'm here with Ryan Heyman. Hello. First of all, this is entirely your doing, really. I mean, it's not because obviously we're going to hear from. <laughs> it's me lots doing of... a bunch of silly voices, but. Uh... Oh yeah, no. I'm. What I meant is that uh, this was your baby, really. You planned it and put it together, and you edit it and everything. Is mm-hmm. so. Thank you. Uh, on behalf of everyone who's listening, because there's no way this would have happened if it was uh, uh, Jay and I just wouldn't have had the capacity. So cool. I'm sure it probably shouldn't have happened. And I'm sure there will be plenty of people that do make that argument. Uh, But (laughs) um, we uh, a couple of years back, we did a an end of year show that was uh, instead of doing game of the year, because, you know, as we may um, take some some fun as we approach the end of the year and kind of personally ranking our preferences you know we don't as a as a publication we don't like to get into the butting things up against each other and ranking things and stuff like that it's just not really the spirit of the more kind of like the the perspective we take so we we did a couple years ago a pretty thorough rundown of games that released in that year that those of us on the team have played and there are a lot of us on the team a lot of games uh that we have played in that time so uh we uh that came out to be about 11 hours um you had done uh uh recordings similar to that previously uh that Mm -hmm. were done with um and that was a partnership between kind of fellow podcasts that exist within the the british podcasting scene that's right yeah. Um, that were quite long as well. And so this yes. time, instead of just dumping one big 11 plus hour, and we'll get into that <laughs> um, recording onto your, your podcast feeds, uh, we are breaking it up into sessions. And so each, each session, uh, a different group of people have come together to talk about the games that they've played and they will be of, uh, of varying lengths, uh, but there will be a nice mixture of voices and a, a great mixture of games on each of those sessions. Uh, and it would be a little bit easier, I think, to jump between them than just getting one big, you know, multi-hour-long uh, MP3 and, and, you know, being asked to, you know, do what you will with that. Should be, yes. So uh, we should still have, yeah, most of the major games of the year and a load of games that you probably wouldn't consider to be the major mm-hmm. releases but games that have between us we've played and and enough to have an opinion on it's uh it's not like the regular show in that we won't have necessarily completed everything we talk about but we will have uh formed some kind of sense of whether we like it or not and why uh there may be some disagreements throughout from different team members with different opinions uh I, i'm i'm a contrarian about a couple of this year's much loved darlings um but i'm not on those shows to uh to stick my miserable oar in so um so lovers of uh celeste and sayonara wild hearts was celeste this year celeste was last year or last two year. years ago gosh i can't oh my even god last year i think yeah okay uh yeah anyway that's that's how out of touch with this year's games I am. <laughs> Hence, I'm only on these intros and outros, uh, and uh, I'm only on the uh, fifth session and talking mainly about games that are 
old or re-releases or old style games because that's the kind of guy mm-hmm. I am and because I play a ton of stuff for, for the main podcast uh, and even then yeah I was, I've mentioned this elsewhere but I'm very disappointed to actually have to reduce my my playload as we'll call it towards the end of the year just because I'd got I'd, back when I planned this year's shows with Tony last December my eyes were bigger than my belly or my my <laughs> anticipated free time was larger than my actual free time uh i kind of you know when you put the, the show list for the year together and by the time you listen to this we'll have already i'll have already done that for the next year so uh listen out for announcements uh especially if you're on the patreon you'll get that first if it hasn't happened already i'm not sure about the timings on all this i'll be honest but yeah you you look ahead and you think yeah i can play all those games i can play eight final fantasy games and a load of other <laughs> stuff and then you remember that you've got a job and there's housework to be done and you have a long-term relationship to maintain and family and friends and all this other stuff that really really kind of gets in the way of what we all want to do 99 percent of the time which is sleep and um, video gaming that's the <laughs> other thing yeah so here we are again but yes um this should see you through the there'll be a little gap there'll be a hiatus between volumes eight and nine and this should see you through very nicely until we return possibly too nicely this will probably see you through until may or june so you're going to be fine yeah we had some last time when we did the aforementioned epic hour length podcast we had some people come back to us in about the following october saying i've just finished <laughs> well, da- dangleberries was the was the code word um we won't do that i don't this think time a code because... word would be as effective this time around no. since the uh the formatting is a little bit differently but exactly. we'll take your word for it if you do do make it through all of the end of your shows uh then yep. uh let us know we are we are very curious to know yes it'll be nice to know mm. that ryan's efforts have not been in vain <laughs> Um, but I'm sure we all had a good time making it anyway. So this is session one, if that's what we're calling it. Yes, actually, before we get into that, uh, while we're on end of your stuff, let's just uh, put in a plug for Sound of Play. Uh, we're kicking off the end of the year big style again, as we do. Um, I've been working on another of these uh, year in review video game music mixes uh that will be going out on january 1st kind of right after all of these shows or maybe even during the run of these shows super Uh, so if you are into 2019 video games and would like a uh a slightly more concise but still way longer than it realistically should be way of consuming a large number of them then (laughs) um then sound of play has you covered as well hop over to that feed and get some musical goodness in your ears in between all of our uh, all of our voices and what i'd like to say about that is if you've never listened to sound of play it only has a a relatively small fraction of the number of listeners uh, of this feed ryan's mixes are a bit special they're not just it's like it's not just tune after tune they're properly thought out blended beautifully juxtaposed and edited mixes that uh, are unique really i think as far as i know and mm-hmm. um and hugely yeah like uh, pieces of work in their own right they're not it's not just a case of it's not like jive bunny or something uh, that's probably a reference that's lost <laughs> on you it's not just like uh one one track comes in and then the, and then it fades down and the next one comes in these are these are properly matched and blended and uh, it's a it's an amazing thing so uh yeah check that out do sound of play is the place to find that stuff that will be issue 230 if you are 
listening to this oh, yeah. uh, later on. So yeah, that's a, that's one of our big 10th episode specials, which we always do on Sound oh, yeah. Play as well. That so makes sense. always, always fun to be had on that show. I know that we don't get as many listeners over there, but uh, that's um, plenty to, to hear and love. Yeah, check out the back catalogue. There's loads of interviews with composers and uh, as well as community members and team members as well. So, yeah, Sound of Play is a good time if you enjoy Kane and Ritz and music, which I think is most people. So, yeah, session one is ahead. The first portion of our end of year gaming discussion. What's coming up? Who is coming up? Right. So this one is myself. I appear on a few of these sessions because I play a lot of games. Current games. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I work on Xbox Game Pass. I previously worked at Nintendo. And so, you know, What's that Ryan, I've, I've not heard of this <laughs> Game Pass thing. I'm being hilariously ironic because <laughs> I won't shut up about it, of course. But um, <laughs> Ryan, can you put all my favorite games on Game Pass, please? Thanks. I, if you're looking for an extensive catalog of over 100 high quality games on both console and PC, as well as <laughs> access to Xbox Live Gold all in one convenient package, then boy, oh boy. Um, I'll, I'll turn wow, we're corporate shields now. Amazing. <laughs> we get nothing for this. Nothing. Well, Ryan gets his I, I salary. Get, yeah. you, you don't get a perk every time you mention. No, uh, no, no. That on, no, they probably uh, would on... prefer I don't actually. <laughs> <laughs> Bit le- the uh, the restrictions are a little less uh, yeah. stringent than they were when you were at Nintendo, though. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, that's this is a roundabout way. I'm not trying to to plug the service, but just a roundabout way of saying that um, it is of professional importance as well as personal interest that I stay uh, pretty up to date with a wide, wide, wide variety of, of games. Um, not only those that are coming to the service. So please don't view anything that I have played as being an endorsement that it's going to join the service. That is mm. not the case, especially not if it's a <laughs> Nintendo game. Yeah, exactly. Luigi's Mansion three, uh, not coming to game pass anytime soon. <laughs> Although, you know, the relationships between Microsoft and Nintendo, it seems to be improving over the time. That's true. Um, I got to say, though, Ryan, I think putting Ori and the Willow the Wisps for pre-install three months advance of its release, four months, is a little over the top. I don't make those choices, but... No, I, I realize that. I think it's just a, a few kilobytes file that you get now as like a little ticket in your hand, but mm. um, the rest comes later. Some research somewhere has said that people are more likely to stay subscribed mm. if they've got a preload or something on there, right? Right. You uh, don't have to reveal be. this information. <laughs> Anyways, this is all to say that I've I've played a lot of games. I've played a wide variety of games. Uh, just, you know, between between work, between personal interest and between these uh, these year in review music mixes that I do, it, it benefits it benefits me to play a wide variety of current games. And uh, since I've not been on the main podcast very much this year, I've had uh, a little bit more time to kind of spread my wings on uh, current games. So yeah, kiss goodbye to that in 2020. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this first session is myself, Thomas Quilfelt, uh, Jesse and Brian as well on the team. Um, awesome. Very good lads on that one. So uh, yeah, we are going through, a, uh, a bunch of, uh, of of bigger releases this year, like Days Gone and Gears 5. There is a few uh, real indie oddities like Ape Out and Kids. There's all of Apple Arcade. So, oh, um, goodness me. Yeah, this is, this is the longest recording of all of them, unless Leon really goes off the rail with a recording that has yet <laughs> to happen. <laughs> but um, Probably not. Probably not. Yeah, maybe. so uh, there's... 
Uh, there's a lot in this one. Uh, untitled Goose Game as well. There's the hook to mm-hmm. get people listening. So, Leah's not on the Goose Game one? I wonder if it's revisited later on. It might be. Uh, okay. A couple of these she games liked- do pop up more than once. You know, the Outer Wilds and Sekiro and games that, you know. Okay. Everyone wants to people. have this. So. Yeah. <laughs> she loves that goose. It's a good goose. It's a bad goose, but it's a good goose. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyways, session one. Let's get right to it. Hello and welcome to a session of end of year discussion. My name is Ryan Heyman. I'm going to be the, uh, well, kind of de facto host. We're all just going to be chatting for a little while. Joining me today, we have Jesse Fuchs. Hello. Thomas Quilfelt. Hi there. And Brian Edwards. Hello, hello. Hello. Let's get right into the games. We've got a lot to cover today. So we're going to uh, just jump right into this list here. Uh, we're going to start off in alphabetical order. <laughs> and then we're going to tackle some of the Apple Arcade stuff at the end. So, uh, the first game in alphabetical order, I guess I don't even like this decision. I usually put A and the at the end of... Uh, <laughs> it, it, it should be F for Fisherman. Anyways, we're going to start with A Fisherman's Tale. So, this is a VR game that came out this year for PlayStation VR and Vive, although you can play it on Rift. Um, because uh, Valve doesn't do a lot of um, putting up walls around VR content like Oculus does. I've played the first two chapters of this. Jesse, have you played the whole thing? I see you also. Yeah, I finished it. It was a while ago, uh, and I played the beginning. I got like a few chapters in, put it down for a month, then went back and went through the whole thing. So I remember the beginning better, but yeah, I've played through. So this is kind of a room-scale VR puzzle game in which you play a lighthouse keeper, um, or rather the puppet of a lighthouse keeper, who is going about his kind of daily life and building a model of his own lighthouse, including a little puppet of himself within the lighthouse, uh, within the kind of a center table in his room. As you finish off that model, you discover that you are actually a model in a bigger fisherman's lighthouse and it's kind of like an infinitely scaling inception type of thing um and so you use that to solve puzzles a lot um, of the puzzles have to mm. do with the size of like you take something in your world that's very tiny and put it in the dollhouse and now it's very big and serves a function yeah because you're controlling both your own character your point of view character as well as like these smaller and bigger versions of him at the same time uh, so I've I've played the first couple of levels and just to give like overall impressions on those, I find the puzzles to be a little tricky from time to time. Um, I tend to like the type of puzzle of just like noticing things in the environment and figuring out ways to kind of cleverly put things together. But when you're stuck, the game doesn't really do a lot to uh, to make the experience much kinder. It does give you like little audio cues like that kind of tell you the part of the puzzle you've already figured out like every 30 seconds, which makes it kind of even worse. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there's something it's fun because I do like I like the game in a lot of ways. I think the design in a lot of ways is very nice. The story is like it looks good. Um, I like the story. I like that conceit. I played it on PSVR. I don't know if this was different, but it and uh, and I'm teaching this 80s games class this semester at NYU. And one thing I always think about is like, you know, video game reviews, like subjectivity, objectivity, et cetera, that like there is an objective thing when a technology is new, where as much as I like this game, 
picking stuff up is harder than it should be. Yeah. They haven't really thought through the ramifications of VR. Like it is harder to look up hints than it would be on a flat screen. So maybe don't repeat just what you've already done mm -hmm. every 30 seconds. If you're in a helmet, you, you remember. Um, and there's just a lot of things like that that feel like growing pains in a medium that like you can work around. And I think this is worth playing if you can find it on sale. It's, you know, it's a couple of hours and it's a neat idea. And there's some very lovely moments uh, and the narration is actually good and the voice acting is pretty charming. But yeah, it gets in its own way. Uh, one of the things that uh, kind of stood out to me was that I wasn't expecting it to be... I, I feel like the trailer that they put out made it feel like a very kind of like trippy head trip inception type game. And it's actually like pretty, uh, pretty light and jokey <laughs> along the way. Uh, which is kind of fun. It's kind of like a like a storybook type of mood. But I, I do agree with the some frustration around the control stuff. I, I found myself a lot of the time picking an object up, accidentally clipping it into the wall, and it will go flying somewhere, and I can't find it. And I have to wait for like probably a solid minute for it to just respawn where it was originally, so I can try again. It's a bit annoying, but overall, it's an interesting idea. I'm interested in going at, going back to uh, discover more about it. Uh, I got to a point where I kind of got stuck because I couldn't figure out what to do. And so I'll have to look it up before going in next time. But um, it's it's a nice little time. Yeah. No, I uh, for all the frustrations I had, like, I'm glad I, I, I bought it. It was on sale and it I had vaguely heard something good, but I didn't watch the trailer or I really didn't go in with any particular expectations other than it was kind of escape roomy. Mm -hmm. And I do like those sort of like one thing I enjoyed about having PSVR is those sort of like 10 to $20 couple of hours yeah. puzzle box games are kind of reliable. And yeah, in, if you like those in that vein, there are definitely ones I would get beforehand like static. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a solid one in that vein that does some new things. That was A Fisherman's Tale. Let's move on to the next title. This is After Party. This is coming from Night School Studio, uh, which is the same studio that produced Oxenfree. And uh, this one has... Uh, it's similarities and differences. This one is a lot more comedic in tone. It is about uh, two kind of college-age uh, students who have died and have found themselves in hell. They want to get out, obviously, um, because hell is a bad place to be. The only way that they can escape hell is if they outdrink the devil, who is holding kind of nightly huge parties at his mansion. Um, it's this kind of like fun, like Monsters, Inc. spin on hell where all the <laughs> demons are there just to kind of do their job. You know, there's they're torturing humans every day for all of eternity. But kind of like when uh, when it hits five o'clock and the, you know, the steam whistle goes off and they, they're off shift and everyone just kind of like hangs out and goes to the bar and, and gets drunk together. And um, it's a nice time. I uh I was looking forward to this one beforehand. Um, it came to Game Pass, and so I was like, hey, great, convenient. But when uh, when reviews started coming out, they were a little kind of middling, which I was a bit worried by, and it kind of like put me off playing for a little bit. Uh, but once I really did kind of settle in and, and get into it, I was really, really impressed. And uh, I haven't beaten it yet. I've only played a couple of sessions so far, but I'm just really loving what I'm seeing so far. I think the... Um, the the visual design is absolutely stunning. Um, it looks like this great uh, kind of neon lit city, very imaginative. Reminds me a lot of uh, Brutal Legend and the kind of imagination that goes into that game. Um, the the writing is actually like it's pretty good. I know that's one of the points that the 
that the um, reviews kind of weren't so satisfied with as a lot of the kind of humor delivery, which I know is super subjective, but it is landing with me so far. I love the um, the mixture of this kind of like really dark, irreverent humor because you're running into people who are like serial killers and stuff, but they're just like normal people down there. You know, you're in hell, so you're kind of like among some of the worst of the worst as, as well as like some of the petty criminals but the the humor is working for me i love that it's a mix of that and um also kind of like sacred religious humor <laughs> you know there's a lot of like references back to dante's inferno and to the actual like biblical minutias and stuff and it's just like a funny balance to strike um kind of like a rowan atkinson bit or something like that it's really impressive i'm I, I like the voice acting, the the characters. Um, so far, it's uh, it's going really well. Has anyone else played After Party this year? Yeah, I played for about an hour and a half um, earlier in the week, and I really enjoyed what I played. It's one of those uh, those kind of like elevator pitch games, you know, like when you say, "Oh, what's it about?" It's like you have to, you're stuck in hell and you have to outdrink the devil. And that pitch to me is enough to get me to you know in the door. Like, okay, that sounds different. Sounds unique. I found what uh, the substance of it to be to, to be really satisfying. The the opening uh, bit, you know, when you kind of find out when you, when you before you die and then and then ending up in hell and and kind of figure out the landscape. Like it's set in an environment that I'm I'm really looking forward to get back. You know, you know, hell, but fun. <laughs> you know, like you know, a good a good time. Hell, you know, all, all good. You know, so um, so far, I mean, very impressed with it in the first hour and a half, two hours. Really itching to get back, but. Um, but the, as you all know, there are a lot of games to play. So, yeah, I do intend to finish this one. Um, I, I really like the the presentation, especially. I think it's lovely to look at. I think the the music kind of falls to the background sometimes, but there are a few like real standout tracks. And I love the way that the music also kind of incorporates itself into the UI, like especially in the pause menus. Like there's some really nice touches when you're making selections and stuff like that. Small thing, but it it, it stands out. So I would, uh, yeah, I'd give this one a solid recommend. That is After Party. Let's move now to a game that all of us played, and this was one of my favorites of the year. And this is Ape Out, which was made by uh, Gabe Cazillo. Cazillo, maybe? Cazillo. Uh, Cazillo, great. I, I guess you would know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll give my disclaimer that I'm friends I work with at the NYU Game Center with the three people. It was Gabe Cazillo's, he was the original game designer, uh, which he started as an undergrad. It was uh, a prototype project in one class and became kind of a, you know, kind of kept snowballing. He became part of our incubator uh, the summer he graduated. And then by that point, it was just clear he needed help. And so Bennett Foddy who you all know, uh, and Matt Bach, who worked at Harmonix and is a great sound designer, uh, basically came on and the three of them, you know, finished this game off. And it took like five years, but he, he went from a, being a video game boy to a video game man game. Mm. And, uh, and now he's teaching at the Game Center uh, a oh, class cool. on action games, which nice. he's extremely well qualified to do. That's great. This is, to give a broad overview, this is a game, uh, top-down action game in which you play a gorilla just trying to break out of various buildings, uh, essentially. And there's um, there's guards that have different types of guns and weaponry that are trying to hunt you down, becoming increasingly more dangerous. And uh, as you go through these levels, they are kind of procedurally generated each time. And so there's a sense of unpredictability. You have very limited visibility. Um, because they're all very maze-like. And so, um, you know, you're always kind of like peering around corners and you never know 
what's what's coming you know whether you have uh three guys with guns standing just on the on the wrong end of a corner and you know once they spot you they'll start chasing you around you can kind of kite them around corners and and just do what you have to do to survive um it's very very fast paced uh, very very action oriented uh it's very musical as well it's probably most notable for being set and scored procedurally by a really impressive um program of of just jazz drumming that accompanies you and all of the actions that you take uh throughout the game it's it's really impressive and um yeah one of the most kind of original games that i've seen in a very long time you wrote a nice review of Fantasia Evolved, right? Mm -hmm. The the old yep. harmonics game. That was, I think Matt Bach was the lead on that. And uh, it's interesting to see. Yeah, I think there's a, a through line between that game and, weirdly enough, Ape Out uh, in terms of, yeah, really, like you do feel like you're, you're drum. I mean, I've seen a couple of videos of like people in bars doing an Ape Out thing where they have live drummers play along with it as well. Oh, that's cool. That's a really neat idea. It's it's I mean, it's not that original, though, is it? I, I felt my fingers and my brain having the same reaction as Hotline Miami in that when I wasn't successful, often it was because I just panicked or I got shot across a room mm -hmm. and I couldn't react fast enough or there were just too many guys. Um, but it's the quick restart that gets you straight back in there, slightly angry, slightly annoyed, and but but wanting to go again. But then when uh, the, the best moments of the game for me were when I did something just totally instinctive. You know, obviously the designers have, have thought of it already, but um, grab this guy, throw him against this, quickly dodge around a corner, you know, do, do things in very quick succession that makes you feel incredibly successful and um uh alive really in a in a in a kind of vibrant way and that just reminds me so much of hotline miami that that twitch and almost you can't believe it when you kind of make it because the, the levels are so long in apow and mm -hmm. there's that beautiful thing of when you when you die you see yeah, I was just say that. the layout of the level and then your path through it and you're like oh man because i for some reason i just always went down i always went along the bottom and just like as a as a thing i just always never went through the middle of the levels always trying to stick as, as much and then certain later on when certain designs of the levels get a bit harder they do push you further up not funneling but but making sure that you're exploring more of the uh the mm -hmm. geographies of the levels um so so but i i, I wouldn't say i was good at that game or, or good at those types of games or, or has any inclination to kind of chase scores but i definitely enjoy that thrill of kind of ah damn it okay all right go again go again go again go again and uh and then finally you complete it you're kind of like oh that's a shame i kind of kind of like that level it'd be fun to do it again but pretty pretty hard as well at least it felt like it but then i beat it quite easily mm -hmm. so it can't have been that hard <laughs> <laughs> that the 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 procedural soundtrack you're talking about and it's been talked about a lot so i'm not going to spend too much time on it but it just it's so effective at escalating tension it, it, this game is best played i played it on my switch but i was playing it with my with my headphones on and just like when you just get into a situation where you just you know you think you've taken all the guys out but there might be a guy behind you with a gun you kind of see the laser tracking you're trying to get through these tight hallways what's coming around the corner like like it's it's definitely a get your heart pumping type of game where it succeeds where hotline miami failed for me personally is that the game didn't necessarily embrace a narrative as much as just embraced progression mm. and the mm. ending of ape out 
was probably the most satisfying ending to a game I've played this year for me personally. It just <laughs> it just felt like no, no no spoilers. It just it ended the only way I felt like that game could have ended to make me satisfied. And I I, Some I played that game. Use of licensed music as well yes. right at the end. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just I remember getting getting through that game and just putting the switch down and just being completely satisfied at the experience. So I, I'm with Ryan that it's pretty pretty high on my list too. It's, I mean, that's the thing is the, the aesthetic is also pretty, you, I, it's hard to think of another mm. game where like Ornette Coleman might be the first, uh, reference point you go to or something like that, right? And, and both visually in terms of, uh, having sort of these early 60s jazz cover, uh, you know, albums as the levels, uh, but also just in the sound design. And yeah, like, like there's, there's not a lot of free jazz video games out there. Uh, and the fact that we got an <laughs> yeah. excellent one, uh, you know, I would have been satisfied with like, you know, a, a decent one. Uh, but yeah, I think as, as Thomas mentioned, that feeling of instinctualness <laughs> instinct being driving what you're doing, this game is really smartly designed around that because the amount of time that you have between noticing somebody and them shooting you, that little kind of cock of their gun they have to do yeah. is basically almost always exactly the amount of time it takes to cover that space. Yeah. And well, you- so when you see somebody, you don't have time to think like you have to either go straight for them or find the corner to duck around. Like there's no time to consider your options. Like you have to be very, very on your feet. Well, it's someone, there was a composer, I can't remember which one was saying something about the... Oh, it was an interview I haven't published yet. Anyway, he says something about the... When they're scoring to picture, the delay for the mind to catch up with what they're seeing Hmm. and then the emotional beat afterwards. So that's definitely what they nail with this game is kind of like you see the guy, your brain's got to go through these calculations and and they give you just enough time. But when Mm -hmm. there's more guys or it's the flame guy or the shotgun guy... And the, and the calculation is not always kind of, I've got to get out of the way or I've just got to pummel him. It's like, if I grab that guy, he's got a great kind of rate of fire and turn him around on this huge group of people mm-hmm. that are standing in front of me, mow them down. Oh no, this other guy's coming from down here. I'm dead. Let's try it again. Um, and the fact that you can't kind of, imme- you can't learn the levels rote and then yeah. recreate that situation and then replay it. You've, you're always on your toes because it's always slightly different and then and then even better in some ways is if you're doing really well um and you're flying through a level without having to replay it and then the next level is something different again so you don't even have a chance to get comfortable and i did like a lot the way that you know there's levels on ships there's levels with lots of emphasis on different enemy types um so they they just the whole thing as well aesthetically you guys have already mentioned feels really cohesive but the 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 gameplay flow through the whole game and level to level and the aesthetics it really does marry together in the mind and and Hmm. yeah you feel like it's a satisfying meal yeah i will say that i have a few kind of minor complaints to make uh one is that there is a mouse and keyboard mode but it feels like a huge step down um control wise to the point at which like i don't even really know why they implemented it when you're using mouse and keyboard, your ape is always looking in the direction of the mouse cursor and then running independently of that. And if you're running in a direction that's not directly towards the mouse cursor, then you are moving slowly. And since, as we mentioned, everything is so timed to like those exact frames of covering distance, it like there's really it's not viable to be moving any more slowly than like you have to be at top speed all the time. So 
I don't know why. And it's so easy to like, unless you're like constantly, you know, paying very close attention to where your mouse cursor is. It's, it's very easy to kind of like fall out of sync, move a little bit too slowly. And, and it just makes for me anyways, the mouse and keyboard mode seem completely unviable. Um, so I, I don't know why with things timed and programmed as tightly as they were, like, why not just keep the speed the same, no matter what way he's facing just to mm. make that mode a little bit more viable. But again, like just plug in a controller. It's fine. It doesn't really affect anything. Uh, another small quibble is that uh, while you're holding a, an enemy in front of you, as kind of a shield, I don't like how easy it is for people to just still shoot you anyways. You know, I kind of would wish that was a little bit more of a, like, consistent, like, if you're holding somebody, then they will always take the bullet for you. Um, it just feels a little bit cheap from time to time. Like, it's hard to strategize around using a person as, like, a human shield when it only works, like, you know, 70% of the time. <laughs> And then uh, I guess one more kind of small thing is that uh, I feel like the game gets a bit too hard towards the end of the third chapter. Uh, and again, this is, you know, opposite to what Thomas said. So this is <laughs> like mileage may vary completely. Yes, but yeah. I I got very frustrated towards the end of the third chapter, like in the section with the people with flamethrowers uh, to the point at which I just kind of like I was like, I don't know if I can even do this. You know, I, it might just be beyond my level. I think that might be tactical. I, I am not good at games. I'm not good at Twitch games, but I, I beat it fairly comfortably. And I think I think it's a case for me. It was a case of retooling my thinking around the enemy types for, and also, I was still learning things about, say, the flame enemies right up to the end. I was like, oh, right, that's a weak spot of them. I can, if I go around, if I, I think if I keep circle, I can't remember exactly what it was. It's been a couple of months, but something like if you keep circling them or there's a way to kind of not get hit by them at all, even mm. if it's just you, you and them. So, so there's for each enemy type, I feel like if you, take a moment and that's the thing you don't have a moment to think but if you do think a bit about the enemy types i think but you have to kind of do that away from the game because if you're just sort of banging your head against it you're going to get frustrated probably yeah that's probably true uh any final comments on ape out before moving on slamming a guy into the wall and watching him explode feels real good <laughs> oh, it yeah. just feels real good and that's i have no i have no higher thought commentary to that just i like making dudes explode against the wall while playing as a gorilla and it felt fantastic yeah and it didn't feel hyper violent like uh hotline miami where you're like you know shoving your thumbs into some guy's eyes and popping his eyeballs mm -hmm. out it felt much more fun than that yeah oh absolutely <laughs> Br brutal violence Give this one a high recommend. This is Ape Out. Let's move on to the next title on the list. Brian, this is one of yours, A Plague Tale Innocence. Yeah, um, I, I think the term underrated um, is overused. And off limits on Canaan Ritz. Yes, and off limits <laughs> on Canaan Ritz. Um, but uh, I feel this game was rated fairly well I, I, as far as reviews go, but I do feel it was a bit under-discussed in the um, just kind of the general swing of things this year. I came to this game later than it came out, maybe two or three months after it came out. I want to say I played it in early September. It came out on, in May. Um, I came to it based on a recommendation on Twitter. It sounded like a, a good game for me. Uh, essentially, you're playing in, it's a French studio, Sobo studio. You're playing in, uh, let's say, medieval era France where a plague has broken out. And he plays these two main characters, Amelie and Hugo. And, and basically, you were kind of noble children. Your parents were 
uh, were, were killed, um, at the beginning of the game and, and you have to kind of strike out on your own. And, and essentially it's, it's a story of, of an older sister, Amicia, uh, protecting her brother, Hugo. Um, cause Hugo has had this kind of lifelong illness, kind of shrouded in mystery. Your whole goal is when you're leaving this con, your, 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 childhood home is to find the doctor who had been helping take care of Hugo to see if he had died during the plague and see if he could still help out kind of with Hugo's treatment. So um, essentially the game is one long escort mission, which might sound like it's something to turn, turn people off, but this game has an, has an art style, a, a feel to it, a, like it, it, that seeps into you that this, this, this plague that's kind of swept the land as, as absolutely left everything in pure desolation and and you're kind of going across this this French countryside trying to get to where you need to go. When I initially started it seemed like a real downer. It was a real bummer. The beginning the opening of the game was uh, uh I think I posted something on Twitter about how it just like it just, you know, kicked me in the guts and then punched me in the nuts. Like that's how the <laughs> that's how the game started. But what I what I'll say is that the charm of this game is in its in its main characters, Amicia and Hugo. The relationship that you see that they form, um, that's that's expressed throughout the game, is just something so special that you just don't. I, I just haven't seen in games in a while. Um, this game won me over uh, with with its feel and pro- has to me one of one of the most solid stories in games this year. It's dark. It is dark, and it and it it's it's morbid and it's dealing with themes of death and rebirth and uh, sickness and, and health and, and it explores some themes that are, that are uncomfortable, but, but as it explored those themes, it did it so delicately and in a way that I felt gave great respect to, um, uh, to kind of like the power of disease and the frailty of the human condition, not to talk so lofty, but um, this game to me personally is very special. And, uh, I think that anybody who's kind of interested in just seeing a unique story being told in the game space, it, it's worth giving this one a shot because for me, it wasn't something that I particularly thought would be up my alley, but within an hour of playing it, the story had its hooks in so deep that I just pressed forward just because I had to see what was going on and, and it hit every beat along the way and it finished strong and, um, and, and it, it comes as a high recommend. It will be, I make, lists because that's what i do um but uh, it will be very high on my personal top 10 list this year and and it's something that if you haven't heard of it and you're kind of in the mood for a story-based game with light combat but really kind of more like a walking simulator than anything else um i think you should definitely check it out it's also worth mentioning the music is by olivier de riviere who is a french composer who is absolutely killing it doesn't always work on the most obvious it's not obvious games stuff like um get even uh memories retold don't nods vampire game and and this but he's also on the absolute bleeding edge of interactive music technology and he's a fantastic composer as well his melodies and his the soundtrack to this game it's uh i, I download a lot of a video game soundtrack. It, it is lights out and it is specific moment to moment like the way that the soundtrack can evoke um an an uplifting cheery section and then immediately next to just like absolute sheer horror and just these these amelotic strings that just like pull you in it is i mean any any music nerd could talk for hours about this game It, it is it's it's really something specifically special to this game. And I don't use the term special a lot, but that's what the game means to me. I mean, this, when I think of back on this year of games, uh, this game is one that had an, uh, that 
forge an emotional connection with me and i probably won't shut up about it for a while <laughs> so it's kind of a double double a production value isn't it mm-hmm. but i've seen some um some of the guys who get inside game engines and do tweak shotting and do kind of virtual photography and that kind of thing it looks incredible they've got yeah, some am- amazing shots of this game and the architecture and the 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 just the creepy visuals and everything the lighting so definitely one i want to check out but a bit like hellblade it's kind of the fact it's got plague in the title yeah and then, it, and then it doesn't seem like a cheery ride does oh no it's not for sure it's not it's not not a pick-me-up but it's uh but i mean it's it's a it's a great it's it's a great video game it's um yeah hit all the notes with me anything you want to say about the kind of moment-to-moment gameplay like I said, it's kind of like one long escort mission. You're escorting your brother who's younger, a little bit frailer, kind of sickly brother through this kind of plague uh, torn area. And and there's also kind of like these this group of soldiers that's looking for you. So it's stealth mechanics. Think uh, boiling it down to a space level, hiding in the tall grass and Assassin's Creed games, you know, kind of sneaking through areas. You have kind of like a rock sling that you use to either incapacitate enemies or to maybe to distract enemies so you can kind of get through. But it's basically navigating your way through close areas in order to escape um the the guards that are looking for you and then there's also the plague um the plague ridden rats that you have to avoid too and that creates some uh, if you don't like if you don't like rats or or mouse (laughs) mouse type things it'll it'll skeeve you out for me i found it like i was kind of like you know giddily enjoying how gross it was at parts but um (laughs) yeah it's a yeah so it's more of a stealth game with very very light action elements um but i found the stealth to be very good it's it would the it almost if you can think of the cones from Metal Gear Solid, like like it's very specific to where the the enemies are looking or where the cones of vision are. And and they're pretty liberal with that. So I never felt like I was losing a lot of progress because of a cheap way that, you know, an enemy saw me. It it, it seemed to kind of push you along down the path uh, nicely. So is the stealth fairly free form or is it pretty prescriptive? Um, it's f- pretty freeform. I mean, there, uh, maybe freeform is not the right term. It's it's at least binary to where there's at least more than one option through each path. You know, you can solve things in different manners, but um, it, it's normally there's normally a couple scripted paths that you can kind of see, you know, kind of the clockwork stuff they set up for you. Oh, if I if I hit this with my stone, the guards will go there so I can sneak around this way, you know, um, but there's a couple different options, but it's it's pretty scripted. The the environments are normally fairly tight. So, well, that was a Plague Tale Innocence. Uh, the next game is one that had been on the radar for a number of years. This is a lovingly designed little indie game called Baba Is You. So this is a this is one of those brilliant puzzle games where the the key reason you're playing it is that the designer infuriates you and baffles you and you think it's the hardest thing ever and then you get it and then you solve it and you're like ah i'm amazing not the designer is <laughs> amazing i'm amazing and it it uh, to begin with it looks very kind of um stripped back and and almost crude looking deliberately so so very pixel art very basic graphics almost like bbc micro um graphics and and sound and movement and stuff but that's all to kind of set up the idea that even though it's a, a grid based puzzler, you, you ostensibly, you, you, you are a character to start with on each level most of the time and you move just up, down, left, right on a grid. And then the complexity spirals from there because uh, in each level, there are a set of building blocks. Uh, that form into sentences that enable rules within the level. So the, the, the game is literally called Baba is You. Baba is a little, um, white 
I think he's white. If I, a rabbit-looking pixel creature. Uh, if you see the statement, Baba is you, uh, it's three different things. The word Baba, the word is, and the word you. If you break that statement, if you move the is block away from Baba is you and you break the chain um, from left to right, you cease to exist and then you have to either rewind because they're very liberal with the rewind, the undo button. There's no punishment for using it. You're going to be using it a lot because it is definitely a trial and error game, but it's not trial and error as in brute force most of the time, or at least if you're brute forcing things, you are um, playing it wrong. It's trial and error to grow the flower of an idea in your head. And um, the beautiful thing is the rules that they place within the, in the world, it could be wall is stop or river is melt. Um, and they, they give you more and more uh, things to play with. And you're always trying to reach an end state. But sometimes you can create the end state that you want to reach to finish the level. Um, normally, it's flag is win. You jump on the flag, you win the level, but the flag is always obviously out of reach in some way, or you actually have to create that statement, flag is win. Sometimes you have to make Baba is win whilst you're still Baba, and then you get doubles up of different words. And the more things they add, the more it just blows your brain in six different ways. Um, and you'll just sometimes you'll sit at level and you just think, that's impossible. That's impossible. I don't have enough to work with. And then when you eventually reach it, you're like, slack jawed at the the kind of level invention and uh, and yeah the designer in interviews just said he didn't he didn't realize he was making an incredibly difficult game he just thought it was easy because he was he as he was playtesting it himself because he'd built it things occurred to him but it didn't he didn't realize how difficult it would be for people to make leaps of um english language imagination and lateral thinking and, and all of these things and it's so compelling it's interesting when you think about creating logic puzzles when you're using your own logic because <laughs> you, your logic of course is going to make sense and then other people might look at it and be like oh my god what's happening that's interesting yeah there's some incredibly complex stuff though you've got to be able to think spatially as well not in a com complex space, it's, 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 the levels are very small for the most part. If anyone's played Snakebird from a couple of uh, year, last year or so on mobile, very some of the levels are very tight in where you can push the blocks. And so you've got to think very carefully about, uh, very specifically about where you place things. But then there are other rules that come in, like I think it's uh, something is move that thing will start to move independently. Every time you move, it moves. And that plays into puzzles in very complex ways. But then there are puzzles with, with several different solutions. And, and when you learn that later, when you see someone solve a puzzle that was killing you in a completely different way than you initially solved it, it really starts to kind of just, yeah, baffle. It just baffled me. I've been playing with my wife and it's nice in a way, especially on Switch, where you can just... Even if you don't get anywhere to near to solving a puzzle, just putting that puzzle in your brain, sleeping on it, coming back to it, um, is a, is a good way of, of lubricating your mind to, to kind of see different possibilities. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed this game. Um, I, uh, I've always liked games with a recursive element or just, you know, that sort of logic. Uh, like I, you know, read Girdle Escher Bach in college. Uh, I really like there's a trick taking card game uh, where you have a hand of uh, 12 cards and like you have to put three down and that declares your bid. But of course, whatever three you remove from your hand 
affects the number of tricks you'll be able to win. Like that kind of, this is, you know, sort of an Ouroboros feeding in on itself. You know, when someone can pull that off, it's always really compelling and, and you feel like you're kind of breaking almost the fourth wall of the game. Yeah, Baba is you is, I mean, the moment where you realize that you can turn yourself into all of the wall and then you're just <laughs> moving, that you can just run the wall like you're controlling hundreds of squares at once or whatever, you know, and they're getting mooshed around uh, and you can just run them into the flag. Uh, there's so many, yeah, things like that that just... Um, yeah, really, you know, it, it's it's a game that kind of breaks its own rules. And yeah, the spatial, you know, it's Sokoban on some level. You're pushing these blocks around. And the way it can use that, those spatial relationships, you know, to kind of imply things like, for instance, if a rule is tucked absolutely into the corner, you know that rule is, you know, inviolate. Like, you're not going to be touching that rule. You might connect something to the top of that rule. You might take the noun and, you know, put some words along, you know, from left to right, if the rule's going up down. Uh, but, you know, you know, the spatial logic of it uh, tells you stuff about what's going on. And it's also, it's just a really well-organized game on the macro level as well. Like, I am stuck on that game, but I am stuck in eight different places because it gives you a lot of freedom. There's different worlds that have different themes to them. Uh, there's always, like, you solve a level and you're like, wow, that was really hard. Thank God it had thing X in it, or else I never could have solved that. And then immediately a bonus level opens up connected to it, where it's the exact same level, but it is missing exactly the thing yeah, that you see a, as the fulcrum of the level. I mean, that's the designer just, you know, thumbing his, uh, his nose at you. That's such a brilliant feeling of kind of like, you've just killed yourself to complete one level, and then it gives you the exact same level, but seemingly harder or with fewer verbs to play with. And that that and you're you're just kind of like ah you you know that that feeling of <laughs> hating and hating but being impressed by the designer at the same time is is so fantastic and and you get those moments of um of like reveal like you get a twist in a big grand epic story or something a twist that changes your perspective in this it's just a block you just start a new level and there's a new block you've never seen before and you're just like whoa as your as your mind starts to imagine all the the puzzles that could be coming up that are gonna mess with you in this new specific way. Oh, and one thing I do want to mention is the only time the very pleasant Wii Shop-like music stops is if you disconnect, if Baba is you and, you know, and you become non-existent. And that silence is actually, like, the creepiest. I haven't played a Plague Tale, <laughs> uh, but to me, the creepiest <laughs> moment in uh, a 2019 video game. It's just, and then you have to, you know, rewind and the music starts again. It's a game you're going to probably turn the music off in after a while, I feel. And also there's... Everything shakes slightly. I had to turn that off. I, I prefer it as a kind of a really straight experience in that way, aesthetically anyway. Yeah. No, I think I turned that off as well. It was done in Multimedia Fusion, which is a program I don't think anyone else has used in a good number of years uh, to make a game. Uh, and yeah, it, it definitely... It, the thing is, is that it does feel like a game... It's just an incredibly good idea that someone could have had 20 years ago. Uh, and done very well in the, you know, 90s shareware market with, <laughs> and the graphics would have been maybe slightly worse or, you know, less colorful, but it would have been fine. It would have been genius then, and it's like genius now. It probably would have been poor, more poorly designed in terms of that macro stuff, though. That's what I think actually makes it feel kind of modern, is a very good level of control over the kind of overall game experience and not... There's definitely difficulty spikes, but again, if you get stuck on something, you've got seven other ways you can look at. All right, that is Baba is You. Let's move on to 
probably the exact opposite type of game. This is Borderlands 2 VR. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Which technically came out, I think, at the very end of last year, but didn't add all of the DLC and stuff until, I think, this summer. And uh, and I picked it up along with, you know, the DLC. And, and, oh, it also added Aim Controller uh, support Mm -hmm. a couple of months later, which is the thing I was... I I was not interested in playing the game unless it had that, because really, I picked it up. I had played... uh, I played Borderlands 2 on PS3 for... Like, I got it for $5. I played five to ten hours of it i thought it was fine uh and like um you know i felt edified it it didn't interest me that much but i was looking for uh i do like the aim controller i enjoyed farpoint and uh was looking for you know a a meaty game to play with that thing basically and i ended up really getting into borderlands 2 uh weirdly like i i started uh enjoying the story more the writing the characters just looking at the environments i think that that art style works very well at the level of resolution that the PSVR can handle, mm. like in the sense of it's more representational than the super abstracty thumper type st- or bound, which, you know, it's generally pretty good at. It doesn't look like Skyrim or No Man's Sky where it gets kind of muddy and like it's just trying to do too much in terms of a realistic setting. Uh, and yeah, it just it looks great. The aim is it's just it's fun to shoot things. People were right. <laughs> and, and you can look at each individual gun by like just kind of rotating the aim in your hand and looking oh, at yeah. it and be like, oh, that's lovely. Like there, you don't really, you know, get that opportunity in the flat version. That was my favorite experience with Borderlands 2 VR. Um, I was I, like, I got real into PSVR this year. I, I got it at the end of last year, but I kind of like went through a bunch of titles, um, you know, kind of kind of in a rush and and Borderlands 2 was kind of at the end of that. So I might have been a little VR'd out when I got to it. And I, I think another thing was is that I played Borderlands 2 through entirely twice, um, once by myself and once with a friend. They had gotten it later on. By the time I got to Borderlands 2 VR, I did the prologue. I did everything. The VR felt good. It, it was it was fun being in that world. Everything looked crisp, like you said, but it just didn't grab me. And I, I, I blame that not on the game, but on me, because it was all stuff I had seen before and all stuff that I had seen multiple times before. So it was kind of one of those things like, oh, this is neat that they actually were able to pull it off. And then I put down the headset and I went back to playing, you know, Moss or something else. But yeah, so it didn't grab me in, in, in the way that it grabbed you. But but I can't disagree with anything you said, because as far as like a, a, a major AAA title that they then made into a VR thing, kind of like your Skyrim or No Man's Sky, it definitely looks the best. And it played very well on PSVR, which there's a lot of people, anybody who's played Noculus and played PSVR, there's a lot of, you know, you can draw a lot of criticisms. But um, I thought the, the I thought the VR was fantastic. So did you, um, so do you have the aim them. controller? I do not have the aim controller. I was just playing with um, just playing with a gamepad and, and it didn't bother me at all. Um, no. Honestly, the teleporting was really nice. Um, uh, then the 90 degree, the, the, like kind of the 45 degree t- quick turns with the right stick. Like it felt like I was had free movement when I didn't have free movement. So it kind of simulated that well. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it. It was fun. You know, I, I high five my claptrap in VR, which <laughs> might make some people groan. But, you know, that's one of those things that like when you're you're trying to think about the reality of VR and how it moves forward, like how are they going to accomplish these things? I felt like it did it pretty well. So um, maybe working with a game that was um, on the previous hardware, like maybe that was able to to keep some of the visual fidelity easier. I'm not sure. I'm not a game designer, but um. But yeah, it did it did feel uh, pretty nice and it looked good too. So you mentioned the teleportation movement. Uh, mm-hmm. Is there a free movement option and how does it work? Because I know that there's a lot of like vehicle based stuff in Borderlands games as well. Oh yeah, that well. is weird. I didn't get to that uh, part, honestly. That, 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 that is one, not even a criticism, but 
Right. If you want to play the game standing up, then when you get in a vehicle, it feels very strange. Um, whereas if you want to play it sitting down, that feels fine. But then you're walking around is a little weird. But yeah, no, I mean, one reason I really got into it uh, was that the AIM controller has two uh, joysticks on it, just, you know, like a, a DS4. Uh, and of course, PSVR is still shackled to 2010's move controllers, which work surprisingly well for being from 2010, but do not have any sort of like, you know, movement options. And as a person who is basically immune to VR sickness, uh, I'm always looking for the opportunity to just like turn all that stuff off. And yeah, you can just move free. You can rotate freely uh, using the two sticks, just like you were playing, you know, flat screen Borderlands. Uh, and then you're just using the gun to aim and using all the different buttons to do the stuff. It does have, you know, it is that kind of Schluter RPG. So you do end up having like the menus are a little finicky. It really makes you appreciate how Destiny lets you not have to sell stuff off, but just kind of cash it instantly. Right. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, I mean, it's it's still Borderlands. Uh, but yeah, if people do like the aim controller and are looking for, I think it's probably the best game I've played using it. Certainly the most, you know, the biggest. Oh, cool. That's good to know. I was thinking about picking one up for Farpoint, so that that might um, push me over the edge, too, to to, to get the, get it for that. So, nice. Borderlands 2 VR. The next game on the list is uh, another one of Brian's. This is perhaps a little bit of a clunky title here. Cadence of Hyrule, Crypt of the Necrodancer, featuring The Legend of Zelda. Yeah, this game uh, kind of came out of nowhere for me. I mean, I know it was announced by nintendo but i tried playing crypt of the necrodancer and wasn't a giant fan um turns out that um integrating the legend of zelda was what i needed to kind of get into the gameplay um so for anybody familiar with uh crypt of the necrodancer it's you know you're kind of moving your character along with the beat enemies have patterns that they move also along with the beat and you and a lot of the game is positioning to try to get yourself positioned to the enemy either to their weak side or to get out of the way of their attack so you're kind of you kind of think of a thumping rhythm of a, of a rhythm game you're kind of moving your character along with the beat uh, to try to kind of get out of the way of enemy attacks and then to attack them with the rhythm. Um, and some enemies have weak sides. Some enemies have shields. Some enemies are only vulnerable after they attack. So you kind of have to move back, then move forward. And um, yeah, and I'm, I'm a big fan of rhythm games. So 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 this kind of took me by surprise. Um, I played through the whole thing. Loved it. Um, it was it was a very good, competent game. If it, it was the Crypto Necrodancer style, just mapped onto something that I was familiar with and have a lot of affinity for. Um, but the thing with this game uh, that was cannot be understated is the music in this game. Um, I think that the quality of the soundtrack to to this game, it's a Danny B uh, soundtrack. The quality of the soundtrack in this game. It's directly tied to the enjoyment of this game. It's re if you if you're a fan of the Legend of Zelda series and you're not interested in this rhythm game at all, you should at least download the soundtrack for this game uh, because it is taking all from every Zelda game I can think of from every iteration of Zelda games, taking themes, music, songs you've heard from before and turning into these kind of pulsating beats reworking some of the songs that you know, whether it's from the Ocarina of Time, Gerudo Valley uh, theme song to the, the Dark World from Link to the Past to the original Legend of Zelda theme. It just, it re-envisions these songs in such a way that makes me surprised that Nintendo even allowed them to do it because we all, at least I personally think of Nintendo was rather precious about stuff with relating to their own IP and their own identity. And, and this soundtrack is just unbelievable. Um, so 
I, I honestly, one of the reasons I kept playing the game, even though at some points the gameplay, because I wasn't a big Crypto Necrodancer fan, didn't appeal to me, that just I wanted to hear what the next song was. I wanted to hear what the next revisioning was of the soundtrack. And it pushed me on and it pushed me the whole way through the game. I, I really recommend it. It, it, it. If you liked Crypto the Necrodancer, I think it's a must play. If you're just a fan of Nintendo and The Legend of Zelda, I mean, it's rare that these those games ever go on sale. But if you see it even slightly discounted, I think it's absolutely worth the cost um, because it just it, it just it just it, it thumps in a way that you can't describe until until you listen to it. So um, so it's one of those rare occasions where the game is kind of OK. But the soundtrack just sells the whole vision on a level that I wasn't expecting. And it propelled me forward through a game that maybe I wasn't exactly enjoying the gameplay of. But I really loved the soundtrack. And that is a Danny Baranowski soundtrack. Yeah, Danny B. I've I've since become much more familiar with his work. And I had already been familiar with some, which I didn't realize. But man, this this soundtrack, it, it is a it is a work of art. That's fun. I uh this one was announced in one of the uh, actually the last Nindies showcase uh, yep. that I did when I was at Nintendo. Oh, cool! And so I have some fun behind the scenes stories about it, but I probably can't shouldn't tell them <laughs> on a podcast. But there's a yeah, it's a, a very lovingly made game um, coming from some uh, some big fans who originally just kind of pitched it as like, hey, we'd love to add some Zelda DLC to our game. And then Nintendo saw it and was like, why don't I just make a whole game out of this? Oh, that's great. Which is yeah. uh, pretty incredible. Yeah. To get like the IP of something at the, of the scale of Zelda, like for that to be, you know, one of the big Zelda releases of 2019, like that's, that's huge for an yeah. indie studio. It, it does line up with Nintendo uh, post Iwata becoming much looser with their licensing or braver maybe you know with the un the universal theme park and and stuff like that so mm -hmm. it, it it's a surprising collaboration but it's not necessarily a surprise that nintendo started to open up in in that kind of way and it's a it's a like you say you were playing the game to to play the to hear the next song and i think because nintendo have been just coming from the the music soundtrack game soundtrack world Nintendo have been so um, locked down still with all their soundtracks, for instance. None of them are on Spotify, Apple Music, that kind of thing. I really want to listen to the music. I don't particularly want to play the game, but at the moment, if I really want to enjoy the music as it should be enjoyed, you have to play the game. And it's, yeah. a, mu it's a music game, so that makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's um, it, it, the soundtrack. It, it doesn't. It just escalates. It just gets better as you go. And <laughs> I think a lot of that is. It, I think you know it's, that's all subjective, obviously. But I think it's just because you get a little more invested in the gameplay. And when you're like when you're hitting those moves at the sound of the beat with a song you already kind of know, but just been revisioned and kind of more of a like a like a just a just a pulsing thing. It, it just it feels really cool. It's a unique experience. And um, I hope that and it was at the top of the eShop for a long time. So I hope that it's success only encourages Nintendo to do things like this more um, because because, uh, yeah, it was it was it was a uh, it was unique. And, and and I even though I didn't love the gameplay, I, I, I really do love that soundtrack. And I'll I'll revisit that game from time to time. Just kind of be in that world. Awesome. That was Cadence of Hyrule, Crypt of the Necrodancer featuring The Legend of Zelda or for short c-o-h-c-o-t-n-f-t-l-o-z <laughs> all right uh nintendo switch exclusive on that one and let's move to a playstation 4 exclusive brian i believe you're the only one who has played days gone well, i'm talking too much today but um yeah so days days gone we're um, all gonna be received... talking too much today yeah, it's yeah, okay that's, that's true <laughs> we're among friends <laughs> 
So yeah, so Days Gone, uh, Sony Bend, um, making an exclusive for the PS4. Uh, there was a lot of talk uh, leading up to the release of this game. Uh, people kind of weren't sure what the quality of it was going to be. A lot of coverage out of preview events left people relatively unimpressed. I ended up picking it up on uh, after hearing um, fellow uh, or Rinse founder Jay Taylor's uh, talking about it because he was he was singing its praises. At its core, it's an open world game. You play as Deacon St. John, one of the worst character names in the history of video <laughs> games. And you are a, uh, you're essentially an ex-biker, um, who founds yourself, finds yourself in the zombie apocalypse. The core of the game is you are just kind of, you're kind of like a freelancer. You know how a lot of, like a lot of open world games, you know, you're just kind of like a gun for hire, you know, um, working for different settlements, kind of helping them, helping them out just to, in order to further your own personal cause. So when you start the game, it's it's just another open world game. A lot of stuff on the map, a lot of checkpoints to clear out, a lot of zombie nests or, you know, uh, to, to clear out. Um, it feels rather generic when you start. The gameplay itself is also fairly generic. It's uh, uh, the the motorcycle riding doesn't feel necessarily great. Doesn't feel like you're, you know, it, it's not like you're it's not like that first time you hopped on the motorcycle in Vice City. You know what I mean? It's like like you get on the motorcycle and it's kind of like a slow plodding little thing and. And and as you progress through the game, you're in this in a wooded forest area, lots of zombies kind of feels like things you've all seen before. And I think that was a lot of the problem with the marketing of the game is like another zombie game, another open world game. Mm. Um, I think that that was to its detriment, because as you progress through the game, the first four or five hours, I was just kind of plodding along like, ah, you know, I bought this thing, so I'm going to kind of see it through for a while. I hear this game's 40 hours long. I'm not sure I'm going to put that much into it. But the narrative emerges of uh Deacon St. John trying to find his wife. His his wife had uh, he had he assumed she had passed at the settlement that was taken over. As you progress the narrative, and this isn't a spoilery because a lot of it was in the preview coverage. Um, you f- you find that her her death at least couldn't be confirmed. So you're kind of on this quest to try to use the government agents and trying to f- find out information about what may have happened to your wife and to try to track her down or at least track her body down to get the main character some closure. And as the game progresses, the the character, I mean, he, I mean, literally gains more character. He becomes more interesting, becomes more relatable. Um, the decisions you have to make become more and more interesting as you as you go along. Um, you become invested in the stories of these settlements. People that you thought were the good guys, for lack of a better term, uh, turn out to not necessarily be that. And you're forced to make some decisions along the way. And I found myself now, after four or five hours of thinking it was ho-hum, six, seven, eight hours in, I'm like, I'm really invested in this story. It only escalates from there. Um, it went from the first four or five hours playing the game to where I was, wasn't sure I was going to finish it, to then hour, let's say, six to hour 40, I played nothing else because I just couldn't, I, I couldn't put it down. Uh, I wanted to see what happened next. I think it, it's really tough these days to try to sell somebody in a game, now that it's my job to sell you on this, that it gets good after five or six hours because there's so much to play and and there's a lot of time to invest otherwise. But Days Gone gets better as it goes, even to the point of like the core mechanics, like the bike that I said was ho-hum, you, it gets better as you go. You upgrade your bike to where it's more fun to ride. The Your ways of com- combating these zombies become more fun, more engaging. And then all of a sudden you're taking on these hordes of zombies, which are just these gigantic masses and you're finding ways to 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 get them like to kind of manage them and then the story escalates in such a way that like you just become so invested in this character and i i was not expecting it at all especially after the early reviews but now this is another game that i wasn't expecting that is very high in my personal top 10 list um if you are a fan of third world adventure thir- thir- i mean excuse me third world um third person action adventure games 
it's this game is going to be deeply discounted this holiday. I, I think you should not to be a Sony shill, but you should definitely give it a shot um, because it surprised me the further I got into it. You know, to uh, talk about some of the discourse around the game, I've not played it myself, and so I can't personally. I think for me, I've been burnt out on zombie games for Absolutely. many, many years, and so it takes a lot for me to really get invested in a zombie game. It can definitely happen. And there are some very good zombie games that I count among some of my favorites. So, you know, absolutely not counting it out, but it just takes a lot to get me invested. Some of the discourse around the game when it came out, even among those who are very positive about it, were not only echoing the, you know, it takes a couple hours to get good, but they were saying that like it really didn't get great until the end game, which is, you know, 40, 60 hours in. And so that's... You know, that's, that's a, a much more significant time investment. And uh, how do you reflect upon the end game portion? Because for everyone else, it seems like that was a huge step up in the uh, quality of the game at that point. It, the end game is is better. I will say that um, I didn't have it wasn't a cliff for me, you know, to get from that. I was enjoying it 10 hours in and that enjoyment only escalated as it went on. I don't think it takes that long personally to, for me. It didn't take that long to get good in quotes. Um, I, I became invested in the story. There, there's a very, there was a very famous video clip became very memey for a while going around about what, um, his wife said during their wedding vows, you know, like it, she, mm. the, the, you know, you, you got to promise to ride me as much as you ride your motorcycle. And it was cheesy as hell. And they're like, you know, what's the representation in this game? And, that there is there is a story beat that explains that line that's 25 hours into the game that made that scene maybe my favorite scene in the game but you wouldn't know about it until you got to that you know what i mean like the, <laughs> the cutscene that played that video was very early in but then you see the explanation for it later on and it becomes like this this relationship becomes heartwarming and like you know uplifting and and kind of breaks down some barriers in certain ways and but you wouldn't see that until you get farther in so yeah it's a tough sell uh, the game gets better as it goes and but that first opening section is just like here's a bandit camp here's a zombie horde here's a this here's a that so like anybody with open world fatigue would certainly feel that and and telling someone the game gets good at the end you know it feels like destiny right you know it's like oh you just got to get through this 15 hour campaign buy the two dlcs and then it gets good <laughs> to me it wasn't that it, it had very it got quicker it got enjoyable more quickly for me than i think others but if you but it, but truly if you do like um if you do like third person action adventure games i think this one is an absolute winner it just some people it might take it might be a bit of a slow burn all right very interesting that was Days Gone on the PS4. Right, I'm going to uh, take the next hour off. <laughs> <laughs> this next game is uh, kind of surprising how quietly it kind of slipped out, at least from my own subjective circle of people that I follow. And, um, you know, I would think that with the amount of uh, credibility of the people involved going into it, a, a game by Terry Cavanaugh and a soundtrack by Chipsil, um, that dicey dungeons would have popped up a lot more than it did. Um, but it was, uh, it was quiet until after it released. And then, you know, it got some, some talk, but I'm, I'm, I didn't see that much about it even at that point. And so I'm really curious, Jesse, what is dicey dungeons and how, how is it? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I've seen a fair, it was doing very well on steam. It was definitely in the top three That's or good. five, uh, for a bit there. And there is a very, uh, positive write up in, in waypoint. And I mean, I've, it, I've seen stuff. I, I, w I've been playing it since, I don't know, March, I guess, like sometime during the beta. 
it was some, you know, he, he was continually raising the price a bit until, you know, hit final release. And I was like, ah, I better pick this up because it's definitely uh, a game in my vein. Like uh, at the NYU Game Center, I teach a combination of like tabletop game and video game stuff. And so anytime, you know, uh, Hearthstone or, or Magic the Gathering online or whatever, I have at least an interest and I really, and we'll get to slay the spire, uh, which is probably my, certainly my most played game of the year. Uh, so much played that I have existential questions about it being my favorite in that vein, right? This is basically a deck building roguelike, but with dice instead of cards might be the easiest way to describe it. Right. And a, a roguelite in the sense of you're facing a series of monsters or enemies, uh, that are procedurally generated, you know, the order, you have some choice in what you're going to face next. Do you get this treasure? Do you fight this monster? Do you take this healing potion? That kind of thing. Um, but the focus is essentially on building up a, a character RPG style, uh, but like in uh, Slay the Spire uh, or Dream Quest, it's essentially your deck of cards in that kind of dominion, uh, you know, that deck building kind of way where you start with a little crappy deck of cards uh, and you start, you know, every time you kill a monster and Slay the Spire, you get a new card or whatever uh, in Dicey Dungeons. Um, what you're really changing is the the little boxes that you can put your dice into. Um, and as you level up, you get more dice. Wait, how uh, does that what, affect anything? Well, is this, are dice just the characters or is there the whole like oh, dice no, rolling randomization aspect? Oh no, that's the entire mechanic aspect? going on here. It's basically, if you've ever played, I mean, Yahtzee in a weird, so in, in tabletop games, I'll try not to go into this as a digression, but roll and write games have actually been very hot the last few years. And roll and write is essentially descended from Yahtzee, right? You have, uh, uh, and these are maybe more sophisticated, but the same idea of like, you or and and King of Tokyo, even though it's not a write down stuff game, kind of falls in this Richard Garfield's game where you roll a bunch of dice and then you have a bunch of ways you can assign them, and it kind of creates a little puzzle every turn of like, well, what is the uh -huh. optimal way? Uh, you know, I got these numbers and I got to kind of not to mix metaphors, but you know, I got to play the cards I'm dealt. Maybe I didn't get the roll I want, but I have a bunch of things like I can assign a die to this thing that does damage, but it always does the same amount of damage. So I might as well use a low number there. You know, this thing only responds if you have two of the same number. Um, so, but I want to use this die over here, you know, those sorts of turn by turn decisions, um, in a way that is, I don't know, maybe analogous to something like Hearthstone or, or Magic even. Um, but just in that general strategy, you know, tactical strategy game uh, area. And it's a very good, it's incredibly lovely and well polished. Uh, and I definitely enjoy playing it. Um, it hasn't hooked me in as hard as it's hooked in some of my friends. And I think it is kind of this like fine differences thing between a game like that and Slay the Spire where because it's dice and because of kind of Kavanaugh's design style, it's much wackier, like mechanically, not just the mat. I mean, it's cartoony and fun in that way. And I like all of that. Um, but just in terms of uh, it changing the rules on you with different scenarios that wildly change it, you know, the very fact that you you're rolling dice every time, which is sort of more random than drawing from a deck of cards where, you know, you're at least pretty assured to get every card once through the deck. I don't think its strength is in the super fine, tight balancing, which is maybe the thing that gets me obsessed with a game where it's more just like throwing a bunch of really interesting, wacky rules shifts at you and having you kind of adapt to them. And I mean, I recommend it. But yeah, I haven't. I've played it through the beta, through it being released. 
and through like the first uh, update, but I actually haven't touched it in like a month and a half, probably. Uh, so as much as I enjoy it when I do play it, it, it hasn't pulled me back. Interesting. So is this a game that has like a an overall sense of progression or is it just something you kind of like dip into, have a fun time and then kind of just reset your progress next time around? Oh, no, it's very in- interesting that kind of me- the progression is essentially you have different scenarios for there's like six or seven different characters, which are wildly different from each other. Uh, each one has a set of different episodes. There's a there's a thematic through line of like you it's people being transformed into these dice for this kind of satanic TV show. Uh, it's a game show, right? And it's got <laughs> this very fun kind of game show theme Uh going through it and you have different episodes which give you a new rules restriction or a new you know thing you kind of have to deal with uh i haven't gotten those were introduced towards the end of the beta process uh so i did kind of play it more as a non-progressing just like take a whack at it you can you know finish a game in 30 to 40 minutes it's like that nice kind of roguelike length yeah, at some point, I I could see myself going back and all of a sudden flipping the switch and getting super hooked into dealing with each of these massive rules changes in each of the scenarios um, and, you know, crafting your, your uh, set of things to put dice in around it. It just hasn't hooked me yet, but, but I'm glad I own it. It won't go away. Very interesting. That was Dicey Dungeons. Moving on now to another game of yours, Jesse. This is Everybody's Golf VR. I can keep this pretty quick. Yeah, it's on PSVR. The controls are very good, and it plays a very good game of golf, only interrupted by very bizarre and borderline creepy interactions with your caddies. It's, uh, I, I never played the original Everybody's Golf, uh, and I get the sense that it is, you know, a very good, well-polished game of golf. And yeah, with this one, I would certainly recommend downloading the demo first, because although it doesn't give you any of the golf courses, I feel like just doing the driving range or the putting range, you'll get a perfect feel for like, do you want to play a bunch of this? And yeah, I mean, they it as again, as we were talking about, and I'll get to again with a Falcon Age, a lot of the stuff with PSVR is as good as a game might be subjectively, aesthetically or whatever, there is just this technical stuff still of like, when you do the thing, do you do the thing? And I would say this scores very well on the like swinging the golf club. Uh, I always felt like, you know, when I made mistakes, they were my mistakes, not the mistakes of the move controller or the camera or whatever. But yeah, there's, I think, three golf courses, maybe only two. Yeah, there's two. There's different modes. Like it's if you want golf, it's golf. <laughs> but yes, I, I, I will say that there are cut scenes where like you give a box of chocolates to your caddy or something like that. Uh, and they are unnerving and just be forewarned that there's a bit of, you know, it's a, a, a bit anime. I'm just saying. Fair enough. All right. Uh, you spoke about Falcon Age. Well, let's just roll right into that one then. Yeah. And I haven't gotten I've played it, I think, about two hours. So I've gotten kind of past the intro into the actual mechanics of the game. And it's I really like it. And I'm looking forward to going back to it. I just have uh, very little time in a lot of games, specifically on PSVR. It again does have this thing where the like calling your falcon to you, which involves bringing the move controller up near your face and like pressing it at a certain angle or like it works 30 percent of the time. And just those little hitches do get in the way of just the enjoyment of the game. Right. Like you do have to allow for like, okay, this is not going to be a perfectly smooth experience. And on some level, being into PSVR is sort of like 
as I said, I teach a, a class on 80s games and it's that same spirit of like, okay, the jankiness is part of the charm. Uh, and if you can't get over that, this is probably going to bother you. But the game itself is really is a lovely little action adventure game. You are a character who's sort of a, a, a servant of some robots, essentially on a planet uh, that is very isolated from anything else. Uh, you escape with the help of a baby falcon, uh, which pecks at a robot until you can beat it with a stick, which is very satisfying, actually, with the move controller, even though it doesn't really that's actually, very much. That's actually how I was born, so that makes sense. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's the classic, you know, primal scene. Uh, mm -hmm. And you escape. Uh, you get back uh, to your, I believe, your grandma, maybe your aunt, uh, where you've got a little base camp and you're essentially exploring, you know, the outdoors, which is fairly controlled in terms of, you know, you can go down this sort of chasm or, you know, into this little forest area or whatever. Uh, but you're essentially solving very light puzzles, uh, beating up robots with a stick after sending your falcon out after them to like peck at them until they fall down. Yeah, that's about as far as I've gotten. There's a bit of crafting, which is like a little annoying, but like it's it's overall um, it looks very nice. It is like fun uh, to have a little falcon and point at something and have it fly out to it like that. That's satisfying. And yeah, I don't know why I haven't like been compelled to go back to it and really push through the whole thing. But I do feel like there is some little controller hitches that do just like prevent it from seeming like, you know, pure pleasure to me. Um, but I'd, I'd give it, you know, I would certainly recommend looking at it. And I think those things are ultimately pretty minor if the uh, if the story, you know, captivates you. Is that game VR only or is there a flat screen mode? I think you can play it flat screen. I don't think I would want to bother. Okay. I think it really, yeah, gets a lot from the just sort of the presence of the Falcon specifically. It definitely feels like uh, you... You know, it looks you in the eye, and that definitely actually kind of has an effect. It is Falcon Age. Now, Jesse, why don't you take a breather mm -hmm. while the rest <laughs> of us talk about Gears 5 for a little bit. Um, so, yeah, this is the, I think, I, I guess it would be the sixth entry in the Gears series. Yeah. Weirdly Gears enough, 5, uh, the sixth Gears, Gears of War. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This, this happens with, like, I think Grand Theft Auto 5 is, like, the ninth game or what. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Assassin's Creed. <laughs> that that. This, yeah. Like, they were yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, so, anyways, this is uh, the newest title on Xbox One. Um, this was made by The Coalition and uh, published by Xbox Game Studio on Xbox One and PC. I guess this was significant for me because I'm on Game Pass marketing and it was one of the bigger titles of the year. And so I'm going to try to not let that kind of influence my uh, my perceptions here just to give kind of a basic overall uh, gist of my my take on the gameplay. I've not beaten it yet, but I've uh, I've enjoyed it a lot more than I was expecting to. I hadn't played a Gears of War game since the original. Actually, I played like a little tiny bit of two, but um, I hadn't really like beaten one since the original and so uh i always felt that like it was a, a series that felt very of its era early xbox 360 era i mean it always looked fantastic and would also always like really push the technology in really impressive ways but like it felt very adolescent and very like you know big tough football player looking men going out and shooting yeah, it's like chainsaw guns and rah, grunting at each other. You know, yeah. There's something about putting a chainsaw on a gun that is just like <laughs> man, 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 man. <laughs> and it was like just coming from an era of video games where like that was 
the majority of games being created. And, and since then, we'd seen a lot of those series that had continued on kind of move past that like gloomy, angry, you know, man beat animal, man beat alien type of, uh, type of mindset. Like, uh, God of War did a, you know, really nice job of kind of growing up. Um, Assassin's Creed has become a lot more like empathetic and a lot more like emotionally driven and a lot less like, you know, just, you know, how early Xbox 360 era things. And so I had kind of written off Gears of War as just being like one that was stuck in that period because, you know, while it had evolved technology wise, it was still kind of like front and center featuring like just big gruff men fighting off aliens. And it was the same kind of like art design that was very focused on like the, the very intricate armor and the scruffy war torn scars in the faces and everything. Just like there wasn't anything that was being communicated visually that made me think that they had moved past that. And so when this game came to game pass, I was really interested in like, Oh, you know, let's give it a shot. Let's jump in. I noticed they have a, uh, a woman as the main character now, which already kind of like breaks that mold a little bit. So like, why not? <laughs> let's give it a shot. And I was uh, I was actually really impressed. Um, the game plays really well. Uh, I think it counts on you having a little bit of knowledge of the series before going into it, not only to keep up with the story, but also just to like, there are a relatively small number of guns in the game and they all seem to serve very specific purposes, but they never really introduce you <laughs> to any one of them. They just kind of like, they leave them around and there are some that look pretty similar and ones that have very similar names. And it's just like, they kind of expect you to know what the use case is for each of them, which isn't really a problem. I like experimenting. And, uh, and so I caught up with that pretty quickly. I feel like, but I, yeah, I just like how, um, how improvisational it feels, you know, your, Mm -hmm. your guns aren't meant to have enough ammo to be viable long-term solutions. You know, you're meant to, to, hunker down behind a wall, fire all the ammo you have from a specific gun, run over somewhere else and pick up something new and just kind of figure out how that gun in this situation works. Uh, It runs very well. Graphics are very impressive on uh, Xbox One is the platform I was playing on. I I typically prefer shooters on PC, but uh, for some reason, my brain has this like weird thing where I like third person shooters on controller and first person in uh, mouse and keyboard. So I don't know. But there's a yeah, a few new mechanics. Uh, there's a little robot that flies behind you that can um, help out both in combat, mostly not by dealing damage, but by stunning enemies and forcing them out of cover or picking up weapons and bringing it up to you. It's kind of a neat addition. Yeah, Jack's always been there, but he, he's never been involved with gameplay. It's just mm. been like, let's just wait here and cover this door when Jack opens it. Yeah, this is this is the first time he's been like, really, you could like input a command to have him stun or to, you know, do other things. So um, okay. that was an it was a pretty neat addition. Yeah, absolutely. We'll say one frustration coming from Jack, though, is that uh, he is the game's flashlight. And <laughs> yeah. since he is a separate entity from you. Oftentimes, as you're exploring dark areas, which you do quite a bit as you're exploring abandoned buildings and such, then uh, you kind of have to wait for the flashlight to catch up to where you're looking. And it seems like every time you turn, there's like a couple seconds of just having to wait before you can actually see what you're looking at, which is I, I quite enjoy. I, uh, I kind of that that immersed me in the world a little bit because it I is find, an immersive element. I like you're, that. You're controlling <laughs> just like the time that it takes. Like you say about third person controlling with the, you just feel it's more a console pad kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like when you're controlling with the pad, it's very, it, the movement's still robotic. So when you have a flashlight that you're controlling, that's where you're aiming, 
it does feel a bit just like you're moving. But I think having a, it is annoy a little bit annoying, exactly what you say. But there is something about having a thing floating over your shoulder, illuminating these spooky, spooky halls that actually did it for me in terms of um, making the, you know, up in the tension. It's, it's funny, Ryan, you say that, um, that you only played uh, Gears 1 and then a little bit of 2. That's exactly the experience I've had. I, I've mm. never been an Xbox guy, but I did play Gears way back in the day and wasn't necessarily drawn to the bro shooter uh, and the aesthetics of it. And then because I worked for Lace Records, we just put out the um, the digital soundtrack for Gears 5. I wanted to play Outer Wilds, which we'll talk about later. So I borrowed someone's Xbox One and it just happened to be the week that Gears 5 was coming out. And I got the Game Pass trial and I thought, well, I'm working on the soundtrack. Got an Xbox One. Let's jump into Gears 5, the campaign. Uh, I'm not a multiplayer guy. And uh, and yeah, I beat the beat the whole campaign and pretty much what you say is is true although that yeah that if you're not used to gears you, there is an annoyance kind of like well what's this weapon i really like the shotgun i've already got i don't really want to have to experiment with this to find out what it does and then occasionally you have the chance to to try different weapons and it doesn't go so well or it, it's not right for that particular situation but I, I did feel i feel like if i could go back to myself just before i played gears 5 and just say look just don't worry about any one weapon. Just mix and match, pick stuff up, try stuff out. And then equally, there's no harm in sticking with your favourites. Like there's a shotgun called the Overkill, which is absolutely beastly. Uh, and that was my best friend for a lot of that game. And uh, and yeah, it's a good looking game for the most part. And they do well to kind of have the icy, this huge kind of semi-open world icy section, which is very much like the kind of Uncharted 4 thing where you get in the vehicle you go to a, a, an outpost and you do that bit and then you come out and you do something else and then later in the game there's a red desert with storms and stuff which is a nice visual change of pace and uh, and yes yeah, some of the game is is pretty pretty difficult you've got these big boss guys come out or mini boss guys come out in the middle of a, a really intense firefight and they just hunt you down and batter you and so i found that if I had more experience with the series, may I maybe I'd already know this, but you you really have to stay on your toes, don't you, and and move around the arenas and and get get to know them. And it's something that I think it it has over Uncharted Four, which has got the different enemy types, but they're all people. But Gears Five, right. of course, they can have these huge dudes mm -hmm. with double double things. So it was pretty tricky. I was dying quite a lot, um, but but because I was just sort of playing for fun, I I made a pact with myself that. At some point, I would just drop it down to easy just so I could get to the end and see the story, which was pretty good, a bit a bit inconclusive, really. It doesn't it sort of ends in that way that's kind of like, oh, okay, I guess I gotta wait till gear six then to Yeah. Yeah, the 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 they're definitely making another one ending. <laughs> you know, they uh, I, I kinda had a different experience than you guys because I played this game entirely in co-op. And, uh, okay. um, my, my friend Tom and I have played the last few of these games together and, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a blast. It's funny, Ryan, you brought up the flashlight thing with Jack. I was playing as the non first person, uh, the, the non, uh, you know, player one character. So the flashlight was always following the player one character. So I was always <laughs> in the dark. Um, I agree with everything you guys have said. I'm not going to go on for a long time, but playing with somebody else and actually being able to talk 
to them in those combat arenas and be able to kind of like strategize and, and kind of say, oh, there's a long shot over here. Okay, there's a boomer coming from the left. And specifically in the area, I remember not to get too granular, but there's a section where the enemies are coming across an ice like field to mm. you and you can shoot out the their their feet yeah, below yeah. them and make them drop into the ice and like being able to call those shots out to one another and kind of work in co-op it's it's one of those games that like the game is good and i enjoyed it completely but i feel like it's made better by by playing in co-op just because it's nice to have another person there to kind of to share that experience with because because i feel like those arenas like you were saying tom uh thomas like like once you get to know them and once you kind of know your spots and maybe you've played through it and died once or twice you kind of have that strategy like i'm gonna go here until this guy comes out and we take them out then we're gonna go die, here die 10 or 11 times <laughs> yeah right exactly but um but yeah no it's uh yeah i, I really enjoy the co-op i didn't enjoy the open uh, you can't even call it an open world but the more open sections with the side missions as much mm. because i feel like just running around as a gears character isn't mm. like, no, in an open space isn't that fun Feel that's worth uh, that's worth kind of elaborating on and calling out here is that the, yeah. one of the major additions mechanically to this game was that uh, instead of being all kind of linear corridor shooting, there's um there's two uh, kind of open empty hubs uh, in the environment that you go to at various points in the story, and uh, you use kind of a, a skiff vehicle to get around. Um, it's actually pretty fun to drive, I would say. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and you can encounter, you can kind of like traverse uh this area and find little side like little pockets of activity and little side quests and stuff like that and so it does uh involve a little bit more kind of like freely running around uh you don't really want to be too far away from your skiff in that open area just because it's so massive and your character isn't that fast uh but yes i I definitely agree that like the gears characters are made to run in one direction and look in one direction and so like it feels like you're kind of you know pushing a square peg through a round <laughs> hole a little bit when you're yeah. doing a little bit more kind of free form exploration and those those sections are slightly i found more interesting than uncharted 4 for instance because because the very very light um rpg thing of of upgrading jack and trying to find these mm, components yeah, yeah. so so although yeah. the biggest problem for me was you always know what's coming there's a gunfight coming there's always a gunfight coming. So what Uncharted has that this doesn't is there's going to be platforming and stuff like that. There's always a gunfight. But at least when you find stuff now with upgrading Jack, and he has really good, interesting powers, I find that I really enjoyed mm-hmm. using and trying the different ones. And none of them, at first, you kind of think, what am I going to use that for? And then you try it and you're like, ah, oh, that's great. You know, freezing guys. And Jack might be a bit janky overall, but I found that that's what made the semi-open world work is that I felt there were at least a few things of value that I was looking for. It makes me excited too for what they might try um, in the next entry because a game like this, when you're on the fifth numbered entry, like you've got to try to find some ways to reinvent yourself just to keep the player engaged and to not feel the same throughout. So um, I, I definitely welcome those sections. I think they could have been a little bit better executed, but mm. um, but in but in general, like taking that risk and kind of uh, not risk necessarily, mm-hmm. but just taking that leap, you know, to like hey, let's try this out how does this work in an open world what will we need to change to make it work in that open world um makes me excited for them kind of like like trying to push the boundaries of what this franchise is did you guys feel like that i I keep coming back to uncharted 4 i I don't want to keep doing that but actually uncharted 2 verticality in these gunfights is something that i still feel is lacking 
from Gears. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, for sure. And that might just be that it's it's not supposed to. Be, I don't know. You know, not supposed to be played single player in a in that way. That that co op and multiplayer, and there there are these other much bigger pillars that uh, are more important to the design than just a a solo player playing all the way through a campaign and, and not touching the rest of the of the options and features and stuff. So that that I'd still say because I dipped into Gears Two whilst Gears Five was downloading, and um, yeah, I, you're still picking up lances, you're still hiding behind cover. Don't feel like the game has changed enough for me to kind of say that this is an essential game for people who aren't who haven't played Gears to kind of suddenly come come to the the series i'd say there's some uh there's some aesthetic details that really make it stand out in my memory better than anything else i think that the gunplay is is good and satisfying but is pretty basic and doesn't really like cover a lot of new ground as far as third person shooters go but um i just think like there's there's some moments in especially those open world sections that are just like so inventive and so beautiful um you know whether it's uh the sun shining through like a big wall of ice or my my personal favorite which is you know reminds me of like the inventiveness of uh some of the sections of um of the legend of zelda skyward sword is um i love in the desert this big kind of sandy desert the you see these like weird trees all around and you're just like what kind of tree is going to be grown in the middle of a sandy desert? And then later on, you uh, you ride through a lightning storm and you see the lightning striking the ground and you see the uh, lightning turning essentially the sand into these glass structures. And you're like, oh my gosh, yeah. that's what these were the entire time. That's crazy. That's amazing. I missed that. I yeah. was just too busy smashing into them over and over again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, really cool little detail there. I, I like that a lot. Um, but if if anything, I would compare those open world sections to 2018's God of War remake, not remake, reboot. Mm. <laughs> those uh, portions in the boat don't feel brilliant to play, but they're I, I like what they brought to the game overall, you know. Um, so, yeah, mm. the thing another thing, too, that I think a lot of people complained about in the earlier Gears of War entries were like er- earlier times there would be exposition dumps would be done by like a character with their you know fingers to their earpiece walking slowly mm. through a hallway. Yeah. And these areas allowed for a good section of just like talking and radio communication where you felt like you were learning story things, but you're actually still engaging in gameplay and not being slowed down. And it, it just kind of it solved some of those problems. And those were loading screens, weren't they? Because it happened. Those an unreal yeah. thing, isn't yep. it? With Batman. And Arkham, yeah, yeah, touches his ear and suddenly slows down. Yeah, it's down. pretty exactly. Yeah, so yeah, it's it's um yeah, I thought a, a welcome change and and the gameplay feels good. It feels like it at this point it almost feels like they're doing an impression of themselves because it's like mm-hmm. oh active reload and cover based shooters like I've done this before, but you've done that before in Gears of War games. You know, they kind of created it so or at least created the modern version of that. So yeah, I I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, I I think they've taken good 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 steps forward. And in terms of having a female lead character, Kate, mm-hmm. she is, uh, she's not the most interesting character. I well, none of them are really the most interesting character. They're kind of strong enough and emotionally, they've got a, an emotional dynamic range you might not associate with the Gears of War game, but mm-hmm. they're not quite, they're not charming, um, particularly, uh, and, um, there's a, a a choice. There's a there's a, a narrative branch later on that felt very like it 
caught me by surprise. However, the, the, there's definitely, it seems like they've advanced in that way. It seems like there is an emotional storyline. There's some really good acting and voice acting and stuff. Solid, I would say, rather than exceptional. And not to turn this into an entire Kane and Rince podcast on Gears of War 5, but <laughs> at the beginning of the game, like J.D. Phoenix was kind of the protagonist. And mm. in it kind of those fir- that first act, he was kind of that guy. And I'm sorry if I create an edit, or edit point here, but like the willingness to take the clean cut white guy who was the, the hero in the last game and kind of turn him into an unlovable douchebag like that, like. To me, they they were saying something, you know what I mean? Like it was taking that protagonist, the safe protagonist, the stereotypical protagonist and being like, this guy kind of a head, you know, I'm sorry, um, kind of a jerk. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, they uh, like that, that. That was a, an important step, I think, in the right direction, because I think there was really valid criticisms to make it Gears 4 with how they kind of handled the protagonist and the evolution of Marcus. It was just a another crew cut white guy holding the gun leading the squad and and i think they while they didn't they didn't course correct completely in my opinion they at least made some necessary steps to kind of turn that image a little bit on its head yeah but i I found even when you switch characters then and you follow this different storyline i still feel like it's quite predictable yeah for sure and um it had all the, the the beats you imagine with the kind of the family connections and the alien horde absorbing the blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. I won't spoil it. There's not much to spoil. And, and then, yeah, the conclusion isn't satisfying in, in a story way, but, you know, fun final boss and you're kind of happy it's over in a way. And, and so it, well, it doesn't let it down completely. Let's uh let's wrap up Gears 5 there and actually go out of order a little bit because I'm really interested in seeing these two right next to each other um just because of some of the some of the complaints and things that we both liked and didn't like about Gears 5 and seeing how they stack up. Let's skip down to Remnant from the Ashes. So this is another third-person shooter kind of built around co-op. Um this was I, I think it's most commonly talked about as being kind of Dark Souls with guns, which is yep. a um, pretty good descriptor, I would say. It's kind of actually surprising how how well that descriptor works out. You know, I, I, I didn't know going into it really what to expect. It didn't really, that descriptor didn't, didn't really inspire a lot of confidence in me um, because I, I love Dark Souls. Everyone yeah. loves Dark Souls, but all of these kind of like Dark Souls um, spiritual follow-ups, you know, the, the Surge and uh, uh, that other one about the angry man in the medieval times, I don't remember. Lords of the Fallen? Yeah, there's something like that. <laughs> Never really like, really got me anywhere <laughs> that interesting. And so I was a little bit kind of like, ho-hum about about picking it up and going into yep. it but it, it came to game pass and i i just was really you know i was open to trying it and so i sat down with it and um i ended up really enjoying myself um i i guess we'll get into the details later on but i'm, I'm curious brian about your history with like coming to it as a concept and as a game yeah, I actually came to it because um, I heard a lot of people talking about it uh, with praise. But for me, when they said, oh, it's Dark Souls with guns, I'm like, oh, that was Bloodborne. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> that was Dark Souls with guns to me. I feel like this game's a lot different than that. I mean, this is Dark Souls, but exclusively guns. And um, yeah, I came to it because it sounded like something for me. But I actually, unlike a lot of other people, I played this game completely solo. And yeah, I, I it, it had a vibe that I kind of was dealing with, uh, that I was uh, vibing with and... 
it seemed like the type of game I, I'd be into at the time. I was kind of coming off a big, long experience, and um, I played through the game entirely on solo, uh, entirely solo, excuse me. And at first, the game didn't do much to win me over. It was kind of a, a bleak, you know, kind of like this ruined city, you know, post-apocalypse yeah. kind of environment and something that I feel like we'd seen a hundred times before. And I kind of, you know, trudged my way through the area. I, 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 I paid for the game. I didn't get it on any service, so... I was like, I paid $40 for this, so I want to make sure I get my money's worth and trust through it. And then when you, when you kind of get outside of that first area, like it really opens up in some pretty beautiful and unique environments. And um, yeah, the game clicked with me completely. The gameplay, it's um, people use the word deliberate to describe Dark Souls, like a deliberate uh, gameplay. But for me, it just like um, it, it's really based on consequences, like um, like like firing that last shot before you reload and making that decision and making making the decision to swap weapons or what weapon you're going to outfit for what scenario. Like, like it's all consequence based for me. Like what, what am I going to be losing based on this choice as opposed to gaining from the opposite choice? Yeah. Remnant clicked with me, uh, uh, you know, a couple hours in and I, and I played it pretty much exclusively till I finished it. Uh, yeah. Ryan, what did you think of, uh, like, like I, I feel like encounters and boss design kind of like escalated at first, but they get to a point where it's like a lot about just like there's one boss and then a lot of ads around to kind of take your uh, take your um, focus. What do you think about that? I'm still pretty early in the game, and so I'm still trying to really come to a conclusion with my own feelings about it. But I've been just like really gelling with it so far and have been uh, really impressed by like how good it feels to play uh but there are there are some elements that i feel would be more manageable in uh with multiplayer um, okay because yeah, i'm sure. also playing solo as i tend to do there's a lot of situations where you'll get kind of swarmed by multiple enemies and i don't i don't mind that because i think it creates kind of an interesting shooting gallery uh, mm-hmm. But um, I guess one minor annoyance there is that uh, people will also spawn behind you. Uh, yeah. I like in Dark Souls how you can, if you're being methodical about clearing out a room, you can pretty well, as long as you're taking it slowly, nothing's going to catch you by surprise necessarily. But in this one, if if people are spawning behind you or whatever, then that feels a little bit unfair that like no matter how much prep work you had done, you can still be ambushed in that way. I had a a couple boss fights that I felt that way about uh, one kind of towards the middle of the game, one towards the, mm. like I would say the penultimate boss. I felt that way about two where it's, it, it only felt that m- the only reason that I wasn't being able to pass this challenge was because I didn't have somebody literally watching my back. So yeah. that's a, that's a flaw for sure. I feel like they didn't, they didn't take into account the player that would be playing it solo. As far as what you said about the game feeling good to play, there is something, and we said this is another overused term, about the weight of those gunshots. Mm-hmm. Like when you pull that trigger and you feel the gun fire and it kicks back, like it just feels so, so satisfying. And I, I don't know how you do that. I don't know how like, like Doom 2016, you know, like made the perfect shotgun and how, or how like it's the sound with the animation, with the rumble, with the, it just like, it all has to combine to form this experience that makes you feel like you're actually doing it. And Remnant is one of those games that just does it. I, I almost exclusively used the pistol and the, the, the game shotgun equivalent throughout it because I just feel like they, they, even though they weren't necessarily always the best for the scenario I was in, they felt so much fun to play with. And uh, and also the game's got a really good dodge roll too, which also helps. But uh, yeah, the game it just feels the game feels great to play. 
It's from the outside very quickly about what would make me want to play this game. I like Fallout 3. I like Dark Souls. This game looks like a, a nice marriage of, of that and, and Last of Us maybe a bit. But the, the title is terrible and generic in my For opinion. Sure. Mm-hmm. And, um, and just what I've seen my impression. You say... I'm finding this more and more. You say the later levels in the game, they've got these fantastic environments and stuff. And people say that about Death Stranding. There's some of these incredible vistas and whatever, things to see in the game. And yet, if you are only catching clips on YouTube or or screenshots or whatever, game just looks brown. I mean, Remnant just looks brown. And it's not inviting me in. It's not colourful. And Mm -hmm. I guess A Plague Tale has, in some ways, the... The same problem, and I'd say another game would that you Brian will talk about. Greed, greedful, is there something making me resist playing these games? Even when people are saying to me these are incredibly high quality experiences that 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 I'm loving, it's it, there's something aesthetic that's pushing back against me. And it does kind of load the worst of it at the beginning as well. Um, I, I'm not that far into the game, so I can't say from like an overall holistic perspective, but like. The very first proper level is just like the sewers that you're going through. And it is the most like brown, generic, uh, Unreal Engine type of uh, environment that you've <laughs> yeah. ever been in. And even going on to like the second level, which is the subways, which has these kind of beautiful like red uh, plants kind of growing mm-hmm. all over everything like that is a huge step up. And it makes me kind of wonder why they didn't start off on a better foot. <laughs> Yeah, and then even like your hideout, like your headquarters, is mm. like this gray concrete industrial thing. Like it doesn't, it doesn't. There's not a lot of warmness to invite you in there. And um, but it really does. Like the 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 environment after the subway, which you described, Ryan, is like a, a desert, and then there's a jungle, and then there's a swamp. Like it's just like like it gets. It, they just get better as they go. It's just unfortunate, like you said, they didn't front load a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. And and I think also like it, the enemy design is really neat too. Like like the, there are these at, at first there's these like these little ticks that you fight they'll come up to you you hit them they explode there's also these soldiers and then these like big kind of like these like almost like knight type creatures that have they're dual wielding that it, that seem very menacing and your encounters with them are always you know, kind of tooth and nail yeah it, it it the game builds a world for sure but it it is a very drab world at the outset and it takes a minute to kind of get to the more colorful aspects but um yeah one of the things that can't like and i'm i'm not sure if this is a quantifiable statement but like i was like i wasn't expecting a lot from this game and it just it just it kept giving me like the the act of playing it like i felt like i was progressing i was finding collectibles that then led me to be able to make my gear better and my my weapons better and i i felt the progression system was very satisfying so i never felt like even like on a run that might have failed like I was still gaining progress towards yeah, my goal. Yeah. So um, that, that that's, that's very important in those games. Like, like dark souls is very good about that. Like just when you're about like, you're just out of SS flax, so you're just out of health and there's a bonfire around the corner. Like mm-hmm. this game does that too. The breadcrumbs are, are, are really nicely laid out. And um, yeah, after my, I think I ended up being in about 20 hours somewhere in that range, but yeah, it just, it, the, the way that the way that it, it built the world and built the progression system was enough to just keep pushing me forward. And I, when I got to the end of it, I ended up having a, a very positive opinion on the whole thing. 
I do appreciate that it doesn't take things away from you when you die. Mm-hmm. I yeah. feel like that would have really put me over because there's, you know, in Dark Souls, there's always like items to uncover and stuff. And there are items scattered throughout the worlds in this game, but it's a little bit more kind of, I don't know if I want to say Diablo style. Everything feels a little bit more kind of consumable and less, sure, you yep. know, less like a big deal than like Dark Souls items. Um, but uh, it's it's nice that even on failed runs, which I've failed a lot so far. There's been that that first boss, like I just kept on kind of like bashing my head oh, against for a long way. time. Yep. It, it's it's encouraging to know that like even when I fail, I'm still getting a little bit stronger and getting a little bit more experience and getting a couple more items here and there. And like it does, you know, I can upgrade my weapons, upgrade my armor and everything. And it's um, it, it kind of takes that demoralizing aspect away from it a little bit, um, which I really appreciate. But Overall, like I'm really excited to keep on with this one. You know, I, I had kind of low expectations going into it, but I've been very impressed. I think it's it's one that just like, you know, I, I get that fear that I got the first time going through Dark Souls, which I just haven't had in a long time. Uh, I get that sense of like dreading what's around the corner and, and being very careful about checking every nook and cranny to give uh, one uh, minor complaint. um the first level in the sewers, there are two entrances, uh, one of that are both in kind of like an overall hub uh, overworld, um, two entrances, one of which is uh, one of which puts you on the critical path, gives you a big boss fight at the end that moves you on to the next level, the subways. But the other entrance, which I encountered first is just kind of a it's a full-fledged dungeon but it's like a dead end and i guess it's just yeah. there to like gather and i spent the longest time like trying to look for like where haven't i been yet why can't i find the exit <laughs> to this dungeon and it was just the wrong dungeon and there wasn't really anything that indicated it was a bonus dungeon um and that's, so that not, was a the, bit that's not the last time that will happen okay. either. that's pretty much in each in each world to kind of have these you know these side kind of uh, okay. dungeon encounters that might end in a piece of gear or a new weapon or things like that so they're mm. worth exploring but they do not do any type of job of letting you know that that is the right or wrong way yeah yeah, that's that's too bad. Yeah, <laughs> but um, it's yeah, I'm I'm really impressed, and uh, I, I think it feels brilliant to play. It's actually one that like I don't like uh, multiplayer that much, but like I I feel like I would enjoy playing this with friends. Yeah, I've actually um, I've just recently convinced um, a friend because it's coming to Game Pass. If it hasn't already, I can't remember the date. Yep, just launched. Yeah, so I told him like I already have it. I'm like we need to play this game together because I want to play it again. Yeah, but also it would alleviate so much of the frustration from my first playthrough to have somebody with me um, on those on some of those more tricky encounters. But it's worth seeing your time through. I it's um it's it's going to be up there for me for my games of the year this year. And we were talking a bit earlier about how um the gears five gunfights kind of lack some variety and verticality and everything. And I'm not going to say that this game has a lot of verticality from what I've played so far. It is, you know, it's fairly flat in a dark souls type of way from what I have experienced in the very small portion of the game that I've seen. But I think it does a good job of mixing it up with a lot of, you know, more inventive character types that Mm -hmm. all kind of behave a little bit differently. There were some that, um, attack at a distance there are some that um, come rushing right at you and just kind of swarm you but they're really easy to pick off one by one there are some that are 
larger threats, but they're so slow moving that they're just kind of like looming threats. And you're trying to deal yeah. with as much of the rabble as you can before, like you really have to encounter it. Yeah, the game's a lot about space, you know, space between yeah. enemies or certain enemies will create like toxic fumes or whatever, like an area of effect type thing where, you know, if you pick them off from afar, they're not going to be any type of problem. But you have also those those big ones, like you said, that if you let them get in too close, you're going to get absolutely wrecked. And um, so it's a lot about managing the distance and stuff. Yeah, it really it, it keeps you engaged. Um, every fight seems unique. And, and even if you die and go back to the same encounter, if you encounter the enemies in a different order, it can completely change the way you, you kind of see it. So, yeah. So anyways, I'm very eager to spend more time with it. Um, I am loving it more than I thought that I would. And I'm, I'm really impressed. It, it's one of those like nice double a type games. That's just like, it doesn't feel like, ultra polished to the point of you know sanding off some of the like rough edges that give it its personality i like that it still has those rough edges because that like gives it you know some flavor um every once in a while but uh <laughs> mm-hmm. it's also like it has it just has like an idea that it fully explores they obviously had you know enough budget to cover this idea without like over specking and and potentially watering it down so it's just it's a really nice game and uh i'm yeah excited to get back into it so that is a remnant from the ashes speaking of double a games with interesting ideas um this is one that got some mixed reception at launch and i've been very curious about and so i want to hear all about greedfall um yeah so greedfall um it, it from maybe the best developer splash screen at the beginning of a game a game by spiders is just a great <laughs> um it's a great way to open up a game it, the way the the uh, the shortest way i can describe greedfall i'm not going to take a ton of time on it is it's it's essentially dragon age without the magic if you think of like in terms of building a party to go on a quest and you have these different companions, your companions have quest objectives for you to, to, to accomplish that will get you to, you know, kind of get to know them a little bit better or things like that. You're, you're essentially, you play as a character disarde, you create your own character, but the story remains the same. Um, you're, you're going from your own little island to this new land that you've discovered because there is a disease that is kind of, slowly taking over your country and and you feel like this new area might have the answers to solving you may be able to find a cure and a lot of the game is um is is much like old school bioware games is dealing with dialogue choices and and um creative solutions to problems you can solve fights without even fighting you know just by you know creative dialogue choices that allow you to kind of talk your way out of situations you can also have uh, situations in the game where you might enter a new area and depending on how you you've acted in other areas your reputation with them may be higher or lower so they might attack you on site or they may, might welcome you as a friend so it has all of kind of the the trappings for for better or worse of a of a early style bioware rpg i was initially really um charmed by this game it looks great um the the dialogue and the voice acting is incredible i think the music is very good the setting is is interesting it's almost kind of taking like a industrial revolution uh uh europe type of uh you know like late 1800s europe feel to kind of every settlement you know these kind of big brick edifices industry trying to kind of come to come to terms with with the moving of the world and for the first 10 or 15 hours i was completely engaged and loved it but then the combat kind of is very samey so these encounters kind of happen over and over again with wildlife and sometimes with 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 human enemies um 
kind of kind of I kind of soured on it after a little bit. Um, the story itself it felt felt kind of flat in the middle. There were some customization options like leveling up and progression seemed fine, but the skill tree was massive and it didn't seem like I had enough skill points to really do anything um, significant among my character. All of these kind of little gripes I had kind of added up to around 20 hours where I was probably 75% of the way through the story. And I just decided, you know what? I, I don't really think I have what it takes to finish this. It, it has a lot of really cool ideas. I love the idea of, of a Bioware style RPG taking place specifically kind of in like a human realm, um, like a human interest story type of thing. And I think the story itself as it started was promising, but didn't follow through on a lot of its promises. And, uh, and I had trouble kind of finding a reason to continue on um, after the 15 to 20 hour mark. One of the things that struck me about this was that the fashion was very um, oh, yeah. reminiscent of Bloodborne. Like how, how much does it ride that line? Uh, it's it the fa- uh, it doesn't it the fashion's very much bloodborne um and and actually that's one of my favorite parts of the game is is customizing your character and picking like your armor styles are all represented on your character in in the world and and the amount of clothing in this game is really fantastic i love playing dress up in video games i, I absolutely love it <laughs> and you could really um take your character one way or the other i mean you could have the big heavy iron armor with the big pauldrons but like my character was really a lot of times in just like a long pea coat and you know and and maybe some some like armored boots but mostly just all leather stuff for my dexterity and it, it's it's represented very well in game the the attention to detail in this game is actually one of if not its greatest strength because um, the character design and the world design is 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 absolutely excellent. It's just um, sometimes the follow through with what you're actually doing in that world doesn't match up. You know, like I wish some of the detail given to character design. It's very easy for me to say was given to say quest design or to dialogue options or to, uh, to story design. Cause there's sometimes where you just walk into villages and, and there's, there's, there's a lot of bustle and activity in the village, but there's clearly the one person with the exclamation point over your head. That's the one you're going to talk to. And nobody else really matters necessarily. And it, um, it kind of, it's it's a very beautiful world that kind of can end up feeling a bit hollow. I, I I love my time with it, but it got to a point where I was just like, you know what? I just don't really feel like investing any more uh, effort in that world. Interesting. There's a lot of these games that are kind of these double A action RPGs, mm-hmm. like Elix, I think it's called. Um, that yeah. end up having like a huge cult following. People are raving about the quality of the game, if if not always the gameplay. Um, and so I was I was kind of hoping it would be one of those but i'm not getting a like a huge sense of enthusiasm from you on this one so no, where would know, you give I, it like recommendation wise i i would say that if if it if it goes deeply discounted or comes to a game pass or something like that absolutely check it out it might be your jam you know maybe hmm. maybe the story just didn't click with me but i think it's unfairly i think like game like alex or elix or whatever it is called and this game get kind of unfortunately characterizes what they a term that i very much don't like called eurojank yeah. <laughs> um, that I, I, I really, I don't like that term at all, but it's, but it's commonly used to describe those games. I think this game rises above that. I think the gameplay is good. I think it handles well. I think it's, I think it's a, it's a quality product. It just didn't connect with me in a way that it might with others. And I think a lot of that is based on story and interactions. Cause what I'm looking for in a game like that, um, with the type of games that I like is, is a really compelling story that pushes me forward. But if you're there for just mostly the gameplay and the combat and things, it, maybe it would be something that you'd be, you'd be into. Very interesting. 
Thomas, was, is Eurojank a bad, is that a bad term? I don't, I, I've never only heard, heard that. it recently. I love okay. that because um, okay. <laughs> it reminds me of like uh, Eurodance, like uh, banging mm. 90s, um, yeah. early noughties. Uh, it sounds like a music subgenre, basically, Eurojank. There's a game that I'm thinking of that I can't remember from last generation. It was called like Risen or Rivet. I can't remember the name of it. Yeah, yeah that, that was the them. first time. kind of like pirate RPGs, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, yeah, that that was the first time I had heard that term. And again, like I don't love that term at all. I just that's I'd heard it kind of tossed around regarding that game. So, but that is interesting. This year, very quick point. It, and Ryan, you read my mind earlier when you said about the double eight segue to Greedfall uh, with mm-hmm. a Plague Tale as well. Arguably, the Outer Worlds sort of not quite to double mm-hmm. A, not quite triple A. Maybe it does feel like because the 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 middle really did fall out of the market. 10 years ago maybe uh, i don't know enough to say that it is or isn't back but it is nice to see high quality you know especially stuff like remnant um plague tale and to hear that they're really good quality and worth finishing worth investing the kind of time Mm -hmm. you might reserve for higher quality higher production value games quote unquote Um, and the jankiest thing i've seen all year is jack in Gears 5, who just suddenly appears out of nowhere, <laughs> yeah. you know, goes straight through doors and whatever. And that's the, the biggest of the big, so. Yeah, that, that's that's an interesting title. And I'm uh, always interested in getting these kind of like left of center games that are just kind of out of nowhere, um, but obviously made with a lot of passion. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll check it out eventually, I think. Anyways, that was Greedfall. Now let's move on to another game that is a real indie oddity this time around. Um, this is a uh, game that was published by Double Fine Productions. This is just called Kids. Um, it is made by Playables, uh, Mario von Rickenbach, and Michael Frey. And is a, uh, I guess, kind of a follow-up. Not not in as much a story, but... Um, a similar kind of extension of style as a game that came out a few years ago called plug and play, which was a um, very kind of artsy minimalist type of game. And uh, this game as well uh, is more of a modern art piece than a game. Um, It's just kind of interactive. Um, It's available on PC, Mac, Linux, Android, iOS, but uh, yeah, it's, it's very, very minimal in the actual gameplay. You're just kind of going through, various scenarios that it presents to you and interacting with the scenes in uh in such a way that it causes something to happen that will progress you to uh, the next scene it's a very minimalist presentation it's a entirely white background and all the characters are uh really well animated but just kind of like vague outlines of human shapes um just you know black lines on white background um, I think the the center stage set piece uh, that people would have probably seen is a bunch of these little people all falling into like a big hole in the middle of the the level, and this comes back a few times throughout the game. Um, but there's there's various different types of scenes. Um, there's some where you know you're kind of like you're using your mouse cursor or your finger to guide little groups of these people around a level, or maybe you're trying to get them all at the point in a single direction, or maybe you're kind of making a, a a wave like you would get at a baseball game or something like that. So, you know, there's all these little different kind of scenarios. And um, I would say it's, it's more textural than it is actual like narrative. Now, unless there's like something really kind of deep working under the covers there, it feels very like 
kind of modern performance art type thing where it's all very vague, but it's, it's just meant to be kind of, I think, interesting to look at, interesting to hear, and give you enough hints at themes to allow your mind to kind of, you know, venture into this land a little bit and uh, into what's being shown and said. Um, I found that it was very... Uh, very pleasant to uh, experience when you're a little um, buzzed <laughs> on <laughs> alcohol. Um, that's that's the way that I also recommend people play Kentucky Route Zero. I think it just kind of puts you in a good like mindset for this type of experience. But there's so many of these different um, scenarios that just have such like a pleasant sound to them, whether it's the um, characters clapping kind of in a wave across the screen or you know, whether it's just, it's a very kind of like slow game that is just, just, just interactive and not a lot else. So, um, Thomas, I see that you're all, you've also played this one. What yeah. is your impression of this? Well, I saw it at, um, a, a, a show, uh, and I thought it looked really striking, like it immediately just kids and then the art style totally caught my attention. I got to say, I was, uh, you, you, you've nailed all the, details i was a, a disappointed it was so short uh for one but then I it's about 20 minutes long yeah. um, it only costs about three dollars and it would cost even less if you previously owned plug and play right and then right. you bought that as a like complete my bundle on steam okay but it it yeah it felt a bit slight someone out there is gonna write five thousand words about what it says about <laughs> anthropology and uh, the human condition and, uh, you know, how humans behave in groups. And I thought it was going to lean that way, sort of say something deeper. And maybe it did say something deeper and I just completely missed it. But as it was, exactly as you say, Ryan, it's just sort of performance art, one of those fun oddities that you plug into your brain for a little bit and then and then it's done. But at the same time, I don't necessarily want to make it sound like we're downplaying um, what it did in any way. I still found it to be quite an emotional experience um, just because, you know, it just gives you glimpses of feelings of certain scenarios. Maybe it was just the alcohol talking, but, <laughs> you know, it, it really kind of, it connected with me for the 20 minutes that I was in it. I see what you mean. There's there's some joy to be had there in terms of basic sociology, isn't there? Like, what does it feel to be like in a group where everybody's pointing at you and sort of, and then more abstract and kind of weird and wonky uh, stuff than that. So worth worth checking out. It's about as low of, of an investment as any 2019 game. It's 20 minutes, $3.00. You know, so if you're curious, it's it's really it costs virtually nothing to check it out. <laughs> All right, uh, let's move on to. Um, sorry, I should recap. That was called Kids in all caps. It is a pain to Google, but uh, if you're searching within Steam or um, presumably the App Store, you can probably run across it without too much trouble. All right, uh, next game is one that has been long in production and is a uh, kind of follow-up or a maybe a closing thought on a game that has um, existed for a while still. So uh, this is a game called Killer Queen Black, which is a version of a game called Killer Queen, uh, which is a um, kind of a modern arcade classic, I would say. It, it's very much in the mold of traditional arcade games, um, taking inspiration from Joust, a lot of those types of, you know, like really great head-to-head arcade dimly lit room type of games that just get people excited it's a uh, three on three 
or is it four on four the, somewhere? The original there? is five on five. Oh, five on five. There we go. A uh, game where it's all single screen and there are two teams of, of five and everybody has different roles that they play. Yeah. Well, it's two separate arcade cabinets, usually back right, to back. Right. So each of the five people is on a different screen, but the screens are identical because it's a, you know, uh, uh, right. Joust kind of style, like a big joust board with lots of stuff going right. on. And again, I should kind of we should note specifically that the uh, Killer Queen Black version is um, is coming to home consoles as well. So Xbox One, uh, Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4. So it's not just for the arcades anymore. Right. And th- it isn't in the arcade. At- no, uh, Black isn't in the arcade at all. Black is very okay. specifically designed for home console and Killer Queen is kind of a separate thing that will always be mm. arcade only as far as I know. Uh, and uh, again, I should kind of give a disclosure thing of like, I know the people who made it. Uh, it first debuted actually at the NYU Game Center's No Quarter, which is an annual exhibition for these kind oh, of cool. like multiplayer, uh, you know, kind of party games in some sense that happens every year. Uh, and so... Yeah, and we've had, I mean, the funny thing is you should talk more about Killer Queen Black and I can kind of fill in the context is I've actually played very little of Black uh, just on a, a student's console just to see it. I haven't really had a chance to play, you know, the multiplayer, uh, but I've been around Killer Queen quite a bit. Uh, my office mate basically is in charge of kind of the Killer Queen, you know, kind of administers the the, the tournament structure and scene uh, and does streaming of it. And I'm, I'm ambiently around a lot of Killer Queen players okay. um, and sort of the social side of things. But in terms of the, the, the home game, it is it is significantly different in some ways that actually have made the the Killer Queen players. I know they they like it, but, they you know, there's definitely it. it it is less joust like is one thing that they were telling me in that hmm. in the arcade version, it really is more above who's higher up, you know, which ostrich or, you know, in this case, bear mm-hmm. or whatever is is higher up. Whereas in the home version, it's more about aiming. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's subtle, but it feels very different to them. Um, so I do feel like these are going to kind of split in different directions uh, audience wise. Interesting. So to give a very high level overview of what the game actually is um single screen arcade game kind of like just like we said but there are there are different roles that people have there are workers there are there's everyone's a worker except the queen but they can acquire different they can go into Mm, basically power up booths and become warriors or become faster i i guess one way to frame it there's it's a game with three ways to win and those mm-hmm. very much influence like what you do in your role. You can either win on combat, which is killing the opponent's queen three times. So they're the most powerful player. Uh, but like the queen in chess, they're also you know they're they're powerful but vulnerable. I guess com- combining the queen and the king into one role. Um, you can win on economy, which is there's uh, the workers can go around and gather little berries. Uh, and bring them into their home base. And if you get X number, like 12 or 15 berries, uh, you win that way. And then as just the third thing pulling your attention, there is a snail on the bottom of the screen uh, that either worker, uh, you know, a worker can hop on the back of and slowly drive all the way to the left or all the way to the right. And if they get there, that is the goal. And you win that way as well. So a lot of it is about, and it's very, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thing. One of the designers has made a lot of tabletop games as well. Uh, I know they're big fans of the old game Mule, 
Uh, and it has that. I mean, it's a very arcade game, very twitch, you know, like you have to hammer this button really fast in the arcade version like Joust. But it definitely has a bit of that tabletop sense, like those three victory conditions and the way they're balanced. It feels a little like it comes from a, a tabletop background. Yeah, I, I really like these types of games of split attention. Um, we should say the uh, the Killer Queen Black, the, the Black Edition, is um, the edition of a black team, which is, I believe, an online only thing. It's kind of like like a uh, a team that is winning, and then they are targeted. Uh, they have a different kind of aesthetic style, a different set of sprites. Uh, it's kind of a prestige thing, and so people who are playing against them can take them out and then become the new black team. And so it's kind of like a, like a fun thing to chase around, you know, to hold on to this, um, to this honor for as long as you can. Yeah. How do you, you've never played the arcade version, right? Um, I, I actually wasn't aware that they were that different from one another. I, I assume this is just kind of a, a enhanced port in a way. So I'm, I'm interested in, in these differences now. Yeah, no, I'm just kind of curious how the, I mean, how the gameplay felt for you. Was it easy to pick up, you know, and I, cause have you been playing it mostly solo against the AI or online against other people or? Well, my, my personal play experience with them, this one has been fairly limited actually. Um, it's not actually released yet. And so no, wait, experience that I the had UK? was, or no, I mean, you're sorry. Well, in the, yeah, I think just, I think just everywhere it's not available on. Well, actually, no, it's on no, Switch. That's not true. It's yeah, I don't it know did about release on else. Switch, and it hasn't released on the other consoles yet. It gotcha. was, um, but the version that I played was an early build that we were going to be showing last E3 or something. Um, and so we were, you know, doing a lot of kind of education ourselves, just playing the game and, and getting familiar with it. But it was, it was a little bit kind of rougher around the edges because it was still you know, a year out from uh, publication. So, uh, you know, it was interesting to, it, it's a great game for having everyone with different, with a uh, split joy con, um, just the sideways joy con on their own. And if, if you can gather that many people around your system, um, then uh, it, it's, it's a really fun game to get a lot of people in one room all playing. Yeah, no, I would love to play. I haven't had a chance to play like a big multiplayer local game of it, but uh, I think it would hold up really well in that context. It's actually uh, the I just remembered here. Here's a fun, weird fact. But the, the original, original, original version of this game was actually a physical people running around and picking up balls <laughs> game at come out and play the like big game kind of festival. Huh? That's awesome. So, yeah, I mean, it comes from this very social, like, uh, yeah, it organically evolved into being an arcade game. Uh, and yeah, I, I think it's great that that I mean, it's a really solid game design and that it's uh, yeah going to be able to be played if you're not in one of the, I don't know, 40 places in the world that actually has these giant cabinets. So it's it's an interesting game. It's um, kind of a, a like we said, a modern arcade classic and one that a lot of arcade players kind of swear by. And so. The fact that it's available now a lot more broadly on Nintendo Switch and then coming to other consoles soon, um, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's cool. You know, it's a chance for, for all of you to acquaint yourself with a uh, really inventive and uh, really exciting multiplayer game in a way that you might not have had the opportunity to before. So it's, it's really nice that they're releasing it. Um, I'm, uh, yeah, I don't have a ton more to say about that. At, uh, New York. We actually have game designers. <laughs> we have a lot of them, yes. Uh, so that was Killer Queen Black. And um, let's move now to Kingdom Hearts 3. Brian, this is one of yours. 
uh, everybody's got about 45 minutes for me to explain the backstory of Kingdom Hearts lore. <laughs> Catch I'm assuming. I had, <laughs> I had to write a summary of it from the Wikipedia entries for a comedy <laughs> article, and that was very entertaining, I must say. I've never played any. I've only played the first one a bit. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be incredibly brief, and it's gonna be incredibly judgmental. Um, and I and I just I'm letting everybody know that up front. Kingdom Hearts three is a bad video game. I'm just gonna <laughs> let you know that right off the bat. I love it. It it is it is probably the second best in my opinion Kingdom Hearts game. It's uh, better than one, not as good as two. But Kingdom Hearts three is a carnival. It is the movie popcorn of video games. It is the it is the Fast and the Furious. It is um it's just combining a lot of things that a lot of different groups of people love into a fairly accessible action RPG. The combat is floaty and weird and doesn't control particularly well, but if you smash on square enough or on X enough, you will get the job done. It's it's a game about taking the player to places that they recognize. It's it's a nostalgia game. It's it's nostalgia the game. That I, I remember getting Kingdom Hearts three on launch day. I played it on Xbox One and I putting it in and kind of remembering the story, watching like the up to this point videos. I'd played all the games previously. And then you get there and all of a sudden you're just in Hercules' Hercules's world and you're going up to the Coliseum and you see the characters you recognize and you're like, oh, that's fun. And the next thing you know, you're in the Toy Story world and Woody and Buzz and everybody's there and you're in Andy's room and you get your Andy's name written on your foot because that's the character design for the world. And that's how attentive to, de- attentive to detail they are to the Disney themes. And it's it's fun and it feels like home and it feels like a thing, you know, the game in my opinion, doesn't overstay its welcome. It is a 30-hour game, but game, these games in the past have been far too long. Um, it is just, it is a, it's being, it's going to a theme park. That's what this game is. If you've already, if you're already invested in the story or in the in the in the Kingdom Hearts universe, you're gonna come to it. You're gonna know exactly the type of game you're getting, and you're gonna be satisfied. It's gonna be the thing you remember. It's essentially because it was being earlier developed to be a PS2 game. It's going to feel like the thing you remember. It feels like that. Um, the, the other thing is that it looks incredible. Um, the Toy Story world, the animations, the colors, it looks beautiful. There's not a ton of substance there. And if you know that going in, it's going to be your jam. If that doesn't sound like a thing you like, it's not for you. And that's okay because these games have to exist from time to time. And Kingdom Hearts is a very confusing and convoluted thing because everybody who tells you that they like the Kingdom Hearts story, they understand it. I'm pretty sure that they are just Disney fans who are just along for the ride, will convince themselves they love everything. I'm kind of one of those people. And that's fine. I, I think that the game has some issues. Uh, my issues with it are the fact that it completely cuts out the Final Fantasy from this game, which is unfortunate. Um, I'm not sure if it was a licensing thing or if it was a contractual obligation or if, or if this game just was so long in development that Square Enix kind of wanted to pull its own properties out of there because it wouldn't be relevant. I don't know. But the only Final Fantasy interaction you get is in flashbacks and talking about past characters. The The Disney stuff, though, is on point. I think the Frozen world is ridiculous and awesome. At one point, they play the entire Let It Go music video in the game. You're not even controlling anything. You watch the entire <laughs> two and two, uh, two minutes and 45 seconds of the song, but you play nothing. It's it's a ridiculous Disney fan service carnival. And you know what? I kind of loved playing it. And but. I can, if somebody came out and said this game 
is a nine out of 10. I loved every minute of it, minute of it. I'd agree with them. If somebody else came out and said, this game is a four out of 10, it was a complete waste of my time. I would also completely agree with them. It's, <laughs> it's that type of video game. If you're already invested, it's for you. If you're not, you know what? You'd probably be better off seeking your entertainment elsewhere. And that's, and that's Kingdom Hearts 3, man. It's just, it's its own thing. It's so its own thing. It's so out there. I hope they make a fourth. And that's all I got. It's, it's quite interesting. <laughs> Very quick side point. This whole fuss about EA and the Star Wars license. Uh, Square Enix have had Disney's trust for quite a long time now, haven't yeah. they? And, and they're doing yeah. the Avengers game with uh, Crystal mm-hmm. Dynamics. It's mm-hmm. quite interesting. One wonders if there'll be something else using Disney characters that's a bit more accessible than Kingdom Hearts that's coming yeah, down I'm the way. Yeah, I'm not sure. Because the, the, yeah. the, the Kingdom Hearts of it all does is slightly off-putting, I must say. Well, they had Disney Infinity for a while. Yeah. That's true, that's I, true, yeah. I don't blame you. It's off-putting to me, and I'm a Kingdom Hearts <laughs> fan. Like, I unabashedly love those games. I would love to cane and rinse those games at some point, but mm. they are super not for everybody, and I just happen to be kind of a Disney mark for that stuff and and i like going to the toy story world going to the big hero six world and running around the world and having a good time but there's not a ton of substance there and if you go in with that mindset i think you're gonna love your time with it if you go in expecting something more i could totally understand your disappointment how are the worlds this time around i know that in the early kingdom hearts games it felt a little bit like running around a a cardboard box that was just painted to look like the world's like is there actually interactability or joy in being in these worlds i would say and this this might i'm not sure what this is a says about the game design in the earlier worlds i would say yes the specifically the toy story world the pixar worlds actually kind of across the board and i'm sure there's a lot of reason for that but like the the the, specifically the toy story world it feels like you're living there there's a lot to do it's a lot of you there's reasons to revisit it there's different things to see but some of the worlds like there's another pirates of the caribbean world the pirates of the caribbean world that it, it just it just falls flat. Like you said, it looks like it feels like a Western movie set, you know, where it's like the front of the uh, front of the, the building says saloon, but you walk in and all you see are the two by fours. It's up and down. Um, the, the place where it's, in my opinion, the worst, and I hate to say, I hate to use that term, but where, where it fails the most is in the kingdom hearts story of it all. None of it makes sense to me. Um, <laughs> I, I can't, I watched all the videos beforehand. I've played all the games. It, the the best thing that could happen in that series is just a complete kind of restart, you know, do a new storyline, pay no attention to the old stuff and kind of move forward. If you're a Kingdom Hearts fan, it's completely worth playing. If you're not, I I, I literally don't know why you're there. And um and that's okay. It's a uh, it, and also it's a great thing to put in front of a kid to get him to learn action games and RPGs and these different mechanics in, in an environment where they're not going to be kind of overwhelmed by you know, themes they don't understand, or it's all about friendship and companionship and loyalty. And it's all positive. You know, there, there's a lot of good things to say about it, but I also truly think it's not a good video game. So like it's, you gotta, you gotta kind of take the good with the bad, I guess. Very interesting. All right. Well, Kingdom Hearts three, that is a uh, very interesting review for a very interesting game. So uh, let's move on to something that will hopefully be a little bit easier to sum up. Yeah, so this next game is one that uh, I've only had a very brief time with, so I'm not going to be able to contribute a whole lot to it. But this is my time at Portia, or Portia, whatever it is. Um, This is coming from Pathia Games and published by Team17. It's a nice, kind of pleasant farming, living your life, crafting, going out and 
you know, having a job in the world type of game, uh, kind of in the mold of Stardew Valley or Harvest Moon. And uh, yeah, it's it's pleasant so far. I, I think the art style is really strong. Um, characters kind of ride the line between being cute and being kind of gross and weird looking. <laughs> uh, kind of like a Rankin and Bass stop motion cartoons. <laughs> but I think they lean a little bit more towards cute. And um, overall, it's just it's a pleasant place to spend your time. Um, you go around, you meet all the townspeople. They have a lot of personality. Um, you uh, you can kind of just engage in the betterment of your home um, to whatever degree you you choose to. There's lots of different avenues, whether you go into the mines or whether you are out there gathering wood or picking berries or just doing you know tasks for the town people. It's very um, much letting you kind of set your own pace. And, uh, sometimes that's nice to just kind of have a little bit of a, bit of a getaway from things. So I am looking at screenshots now and I'll just say that it looks, it looks like kind of the best, most tasteful version of a very cheesy shovelware kind of style. Uh, if that like, like, but it actually looks kind of, I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm actually intrigued now. Everyone looks very happy. The horses look uh, noble. <laughs> and is it, I mean, is it as, I know you haven't played much of it, but do you, I mean, the Stardew Valley is kind of a fascinating game that I kind of feel mm-hmm. like the ripple of, like, I know so many otherwise intelligent people, <laughs> I don't mean it, but just like, we'll put like 400 <laughs> out, you know, just like, you know, we'll be talking about Slay the Spire. We all have our kryptonite. Like, do you think it has that level of, of like super compellingness? Just from the outset, did you did you have that urge to go deeper or was it just sort of like, oh, this is pleasant? It's hard to say, but it's it it seems like a nice um, game with a lot of, you know, interesting systems built onto it that could allow for a lot of discovery and a lot of building up of your home. And it, if that's the kind of thing that you're into of like, you know, having this kind of animal crossing loop of just kind of making a nice life for yourself, I'm sure there's a lot you can you can get out of it. Um, one of the things that struck me at the very beginning is that you um, awaken in this this house, which is supposed to be just kind of a, a modest um, cabin, so to speak, uh, just outside of town. But I don't know what it is about, like, the scale of everything in the game, <laughs> whether your character is really small or just, like, the environments are really big. It kind of plays into the cartooniness of it all. But, like, the size of that room <laughs> is like a cathedral. <laughs> like, it's enormous and I guess, you know, it's because you need room to put all the furniture and stuff, but it's just like, it's funny, like how this character is supposed to be in a very kind of modest home. And there's these like ceilings that extend higher than you can see and stuff like that. It's just, uh, it's, it's a nice game. Uh, I don't really have a ton to say about it. So that is my time at Portia. Let's go ahead and move on to another game that I've only just dabbled in just like yesterday and so really have very very little to say about it um this is a need for speed heat um which is (laughs) the newest need for speed title um they've uh i guess they've abandoned the uh subtitling and uh are just putting it all up there in the in the head title this time around no no colons no punctuation no anything so um odd choice this one uh, I I have a very strange relationship with. I was just chatting about this on the Slack this morning, um, basically saying like I don't really understand who this game is for or why it was made, which feels like a really like <laughs> awful thing to say. Like I'm I I love video games. I, I I work in the industry. I love the people who make the games. I know that like making any game is 
a miracle. And, you know, so I, I really don't want to be critical of of games more than I... But this feels like the, the fourth quarter Ouija board of just like somehow the, the yeah. all the corporate hands were on the planchette. And like, yeah. it's, well, you got to have something here on November 8th. You got to have a game. Cars. Yeah, it feels pretty generic. It doesn't really look noticeably better than other similar racing games. Uh, it doesn't really do anything special with the handling. You know, it, it like Burnout Paradise has a hook, you know, and I just don't really understand what the hook is in this game when you could be playing like Forza Horizon 4 or, you know, Burnout Paradise still exists. To be you know? fair, it, like- it is on. Remember, I was saying because I borrowed that Xbox and I was enjoying Forza mm-hmm. Horizon 4 for a little while before I had to give the, the console back. And I was saying, oh, why isn't there a game like this on, on PS4? And I wasn't up for... Mm. Uh, so so it is on PS4, not just on Xbox. And uh, Luke O'Reilly at, at um, IGN, who the, I think he's one of the Australian guys, who does absolutely love his racing games, and gave it an 8, eight out of 10. So that does at least make That's me sli- slightly interested as someone who's been really hankering for an arcade racer because every time i load up something like drive club or, or gran turismo sport i just immediately i just don't have the time to invest in it i just got my old ridge racer reflexes of just hurtling into a corner and just like breaking in the completely yeah. the wrong way and sliding and then but in those sim games i just do donuts but um i am slightly i'm not going to pay full price for need for speed heat but later on down the line i can see maybe trying it out and being interested just to have a bit of an arcade driving experience and it's there and it's on ps4 basically yeah i gotta say credit where credit's due the character performances uh, from what i've seen in the first you know hour or two of the game are actually pretty well done um i think the voice actors all do turn in a really nice performances i think the characters are visually uh, really well designed, which I know that the stories in Need for Speed games are things that are uh, frequently skipped by a number of players um, when they can be. Uh, and um, for what that's worth, um, if you're into Need for Speed story modes, uh, this, this seems to have a nice <laughs> cast of characters. There's some uh, some nice graphical touches, as can be expected. Um, some of the pink highlights on things, uh, kind of following up on a Rage 2 taking similar pink highlights into its world um, are, are really nice, like little just bits of um, and personal far, identity. And Far Cry New Dawn. Yep, that's 20, true. 2019 is the year of pink. Yeah. Add some nice kind of visual appeal. Uh, I like how the city, the lights of the city kind of fade out in the background when you're too far away, but you can still just kind of see the hazy lights peering through the night. Um, it's really expressionist in that way, in a way that I wasn't really expecting. Um, you know, that's a, it's a very nice touch. I love the way that the, the rain flies towards the camera, um, when you're driving really quickly, I think that looks, um, that looks particularly brilliant, but, um, yeah, overall, I, I don't really know. There's something weird about the water as well. The reflection tech that they have going on is like going haywire or something. I don't know what, what happened, but like, they just made some weird choices and it's not just, me playing it on pc like i've seen this in videos posted by other people as well but like you know in in video games how like sometimes it will reflect something that is in front of the water and not on the other end of the water just because of the way that like that whole technology works like it has that but like cranked up to 11 and so like just water looks like you're staring into like a black hole or something like it's, it's super weird it's just like bending space time around it so don't know what's going on there but uh they set this one in i guess like a 
facsimile from Miami, so there's plenty of water around. But yeah, anyways, Need for Speed Heat, it exists. If you're into that kind of thing, uh, yeah, it exists. Great. Let's move on to something that we will have more to say about <laughs> significantly. Uh, let's buckle down. This is Outer Wilds, and this is not going to be the only time that this game is discussed on this uh, long-ass podcast. It's coming up in another session as well with different folks. So, um, yeah, gosh, I mean, I think we both have a lot to say about this one. So to give a very high-level overview of Outer Wilds, it is a um, a space exploration game that is very... Um, it feels like like you're always looking through your character's eyes. You always feel you always feel small in this universe around you. Everything feels very physical. Everything feels very interactable. You know, it, it really gives you a really strong sense of being there, which is such a such a difficult thing to communicate in a game about space exploration because of the scale of it all. But I, I don't think it's a space exploration game, though, is it? Because you're not, it's not like uh, Elite Dangerous or something or No Man's Sky. Uh, where that's you're, true. I mean, you're going from planet to planet, though. So yeah, it's a, it's it's a, a galaxy. interplanetary exploration. Yeah, exactly. I, I'd say it's like a galaxy simulator slash planet, ex, yeah, planet, ex, uh, spherical yeah, yeah. object <laughs> exploring <laughs> mystery adventure point and click game. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I I really value exploration and curiosity in video games more than anything else, and so this one really connected with me. I love to immerse myself in in um, mysterious worlds and and poke around every corner and really kind of discover things for myself. It's an incredible game of scale. Basically, I mean, you explore a universe that feels absolutely immense. I mean, it's a whole galaxy, so to speak, but also small enough that you can really know every nook and cranny of each of these planets. Um, it does a great job of making the most out of every inch of its space and, uh, and using it all to tell an important part of the narrative, you know, whether it's the larger story or just the personal narrative that your character is experiencing. I don't want to go too deep into the, into the specifics of the game, but there are, uh, there are certain kind of mitigating factors that put it on a, a bit of a predictable pattern. Uh, so as you experience things, you can count on re-experiencing similar things uh, later on in a in a very predictable sense. So you can use that almost like a game of Hitman to uh, to kind of get certain things um, because certain things kind of change over time, and then you know they they change back to how they were, and then they go on and change again. And so you can get to know the schedule of the universe, and you can get to know where to be at what times and how to cause certain things to happen and how to put yourself in a place where you can discover something that would have been invisible or covered up or, you know, whatever before. Um, it's, it, it's a game that really rewards exploration. I feel like there's so much to see, so much to experience, but given the size and scale of it all, it always feels like you have an idea of where to go next and uh, always have an idea of like, something you have yet to see or understand. Um, I love that the entire game's progression is not built around your character getting any stronger. It's just about you, the human being playing the game, actually understanding how the physics and metaphysics of this universe work. And that affects how you think about certain things that you've already seen. And then all of a sudden you're approaching things in different directions and just like, whoa, you know, I, I, I hadn't even considered going in, uh, doing it from 
in this way before. And uh, it, it's so good at like hiding such clever things in plain sight. Um, I, I just love uncovering it all. Thomas, I know that you went through quite a process of discovering <laughs> and uncovering. So what was your kind of emotional arc with this game? Well, I, I think you say it's big. I mean, it's only, I should correct myself from earlier. It's only one solar system, actually. It's the sun and, uh, oh, if we're not spoiling it, it's the sun and some planets. And, uh, mm-hmm. and whilst it's big and it communicates a kind of vastness, it's actually quite, uh, it's like a pocket sized experience like you can still navigate around and think about where you want to go next and what you might want to learn next from a from a way i trying to say that you're not like overwhelmed some people might say that that no man's sky is sort of that you know however many 18 billion planets or whatever might be intimidating with this it's kind of you you've got a whole solar system to explore but it doesn't feel like it's too much or too big to me but the thing i loved most about the game is that it was a terrifying game for me it was a horror game for at least half the experience because (laughs) the because space is scary to me you know some people don't like spiders some people don't like um toboggans i i think space is fascinating and terrifying and the idea of if everyone's seen the movie gravity the idea of just being um uh, cut adrift uh is is or just pulling back and seeing a whole planet we've got such t- amazing technology now here that you see the planet you can land on it you can take off you can go back into space and that experience is something that i find really sort of transcendental but more than that there are um places you explore and physical things that happen to you or or um you you or mistakes you make that have physical real you know, physics-based consequences, and you can get flung off into space, and uh, and there's the, the terrifying visual, and as your oxygen runs out, and uh, 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 you know, Ryan's been dancing around how that resolves itself, uh, and you get back to a better place each time. But I found the way the game is structured let me get into some truly terrifying situations, and not terror in in there being a big monster or anything like that. Uh, not that there aren't necessarily some scary things in the game, like directly scary things in the game, but just, you know, huge celestial bodies passing overhead and the shadow mm-hmm. playing across the landscape or accidentally getting pulled into the gravity of the sun and, and even more extraordinary and wonderful things you see in places you go in these structures. That's what I take away. There's so much more to talk about as well that we can't hear. Uh, in terms of gameplay structure and puzzle structure and the, 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 the things you acquire in the game being pure knowledge and knowledge that if you started the game with that knowledge, you could just walk to the ending and fairly quickly. And there's an achievement for doing so as well. It, well, yeah, but you, there's just no, what would be the point in speed running this, this game? I ask you, you know, the whole I thing mean, just is for the, the achievement, just for the achievement. <laughs> the whole journey is quite extraordinary and it, it yeah. isn't without its frustrations. And I think because I'm quite sleep deprived this year because of young children and very limited of gaming time, I felt no compunction um, giving myself little bumpers and clues to, to get through some things that I knew that I didn't have the patience and imagination at the time to discover myself. It's interesting because uh, Ryan and I had a, a colleague, uh, McKenna Rince Chat, who was working all of this stuff out 
for themselves and it was really exciting just to have them come back and like yeah. report back to us what they were discovering what they thought might be happening in the story and that was really exciting way of reliving the game as well so it's a it's one of those brilliant games that 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 lodges itself in your brain whatever frustrations you had whilst playing it i think do get wiped away afterwards just from the sheer magnificence of the of the ending and then the way you can go back and relive it in your memory um, and also fantastic soundtrack. And, and it's one of those games where you can love the game, love the atmosphere, listen to the soundtrack within the game and then revisit it afterwards by listening to the soundtrack and, and sort of putting your back in, put yourself back in that headspace. So I, I can't recommend it highly enough except to people who know their own puzzle solving and exploring tendencies and if you are somewhat of a sort of, uh, I don't know, completionist or min-max or you like objects and crafting and menus and, and stuff like that, um, and less um, puzzle solving and abstract thinking, it might not be for you. I can see that the puzzle construction, especially the time-based, loop-based puzzles might frustrate some people who just have no idea how to even approach it. And then I'd say it's such a good experience. Either just play with a guide to nudge you along and don't feel guilty about that. Even even when people say you should go in completely blind and work it all out for yourself. I don't think that's true. I think I think you can have a very good experience um, even if you're using help. The way that you might any old LucasArts puzzle game, I think. You're not it's not transactional, you're not using items on things per se, but using a guide would help you smooth the experience for yourself. Avoid those frustration road bumps and uh, and get out of it what I think they were intending. Or, or get somebody that knows the game and can kind of give you little hints in the right direction <laughs> as well. Yeah, adaptive tips guide, yeah. Yeah, it's useful. Uh, one of my complaints about the game is uh, once you land on a planet, the worlds themselves are not always that well landmarked. Mm. And for as memorable as each of the locations are, it can be a little disorienting trying to like walk between there's a, a few planets in particular that, you know, there's there's one planet that has a lot of kind of nearly identical buildings. And it's hard to get a sense of like where on the planet you are, whether you need to walk all the way to the other side of it to get to the building you want to go to. Um, there's planets where there are pretty similar looking hallways and it's hard to tell whether you've already been down one or where they lead. Um, I feel for a game that does such a good job of like kind of grabbing and making all of these locations seem so unique and memorable. It, it didn't do such a good job of, uh, of landmarking within the locations once you're actually there. Mm. Um, that's a really good, it's, that's a really good point. I didn't, that is definitely a frustration I found too. And it's also the, the, the traversal thing, isn't it? The, the game is very much about physical traversal of space and spaces mm -hmm. And I think some people were frustrated by the uh, verisimilitude of the ship controls, of the kind of booster rockets and and lining up landings and stuff like that. I can I, some people would love that. I quite enjoyed the challenge of that. But you really have to want it. In, I think you really have to kind of enjoy that kind of thing. Otherwise, you're going to find it very very frustrating. But you can also have a lot of fun. Like there's planets so small that you can just. Uh, with such low gravity and gravity plays a really important part and the, the science of the game is just incredible but you can z you know shoot yourself up in the air with a jetpack and just fly around a whole planet you know in one 
jump and that can be really exhilarating as well and also accidentally fly off into space <laughs> and just have to start again so so yeah traversal is another one where i think know thyself know what kind of gamer you are and if you are frustrated by controls that are de- deliberately very deliberate um then you might find some frustration there yeah this game makes me feel nostalgic in a way that like so few other games do like it makes me feel really at home in that universe because you know i've explored every inch of it and i've come to really love these worlds you know um the the music the atmosphere the way the characters talk like it all just all just like really feels like a like a new home um mm. yeah i just i, I wish i explored uh, i wish i enjoyed exploring the planets on foot as much as i do when i'm in the mm. air i find yeah a few of them a little bit confusing but other than that like yeah, there's uh there's scenarios where it can be a little bit punishing uh finding yourself in no-win scenarios and having to wait a significant amount of time to get a second chance at doing something uh which can be a little bit annoying for something that is otherwise really accessible. Um it's so kind of accessible in concept that I I wish the controls and the actual like interaction with the worlds w- was a little bit more accessible because even as somebody who's a pretty experienced gamer there are moments of frustration in there of the the jumping system is a little wonky the trying to predict how the gravity of that particular planet will affect your jump um can be a little tricky i just i i wish i could recommend this game more broadly to people um i mean mm. I, I i would love for people to experience it somehow whether they have to watch a let's play or whether they are getting in there themselves but you know it is a fairly it does require a fair amount of um, control expertise mm, uh, as far as gaming skill goes. That, that does add to the on the on the plus side. I'd never recommend a game have frustrating controls, but in the given that the uh, these we've got these huge monolithic structures and vast landscapes and and just incredible vistas and stuff. I do find that the finickety controls added to my sense of horror and terror. That's true. You know, because you you you're you're on a platform and you you miss a jump and you go hurtling into something I won't spoil and and it's just terrifying losing that control and and crashing or dying or whatever. However, you end up at a messy, sticky end. And I found that was. Um, almost like existentially speaking or philosophically speaking really terrifying as well so i quite there was a there was a silver lining i'd say for the uh, the frustrating controls for me overall the game is also very receptive to you having an idea and it giving you feedback on whether it was not or it was or was not the right idea there was occasionally like a clever thing that i would think of i tried and it wouldn't do anything but for the most part you know it, it did a good job of really rewarding your experimentation and you can tell the dev the devs really kind of thought through every approach that you could take to these things um another really really small complaint is that uh the game is like most like i i prefer playing it on keyboard and mouse just because of the kind of first person viewpoint but the game is not it is technically possible to complete using only keyboard and mouse but there's one portion of the game that just like the keyboard and mouse does not work at all it requires a little bit more uh you need the the sensitivity of the analog control thumbstick you need it to not be an all or nothing you know when you're managing your boosters so 
that's a little frustrating that like a control scheme that works otherwise is really like there's a bottleneck of the game that it just like you can't use it. So that is that is unfortunate. I guess technically it would be possible if you happen to get very, very lucky early on, but like and just kind of send your well, I don't want to get into it. But if you are playing keyboard and mouse, uh, just be aware that you may have to plug in a controller on one of the planets. But yeah, basically, by the end of the story, it interweaves so many really complicated sci-fi concepts in a way that are really effortless to understand because I had personally experienced each of them firsthand on a smaller uh, context. And, you know, I've it made me feel like smart in a scientific way. Like, usually I feel clever for like figuring out a puzzle, but like this one made me feel like I just did like a thesis course in quantum physics, you know, like <laughs> I, I was able to speak about the way that this system worked in like such a high level way and like understand how different physics systems and this and that all play against each other in like such a high level way that like, I don't know. It's like, it taught me so much so effortlessly that I, uh, I, I'm extremely impressed. I'd love to see it in VR. Uh, I think, you know, it's a very, very physical, very hands-on game. I just love to spend kind of more time in this world. It feels very VR already, but mm. um, it just isn't. Uh, you can't play it in the headset right now, but I think it would be a no-brainer to get that going as well. They'd be even scarier, though. That's true. Because <laughs> you, yep, you imagine some sections. <laughs> well, well, just the the you know, if you find space exploration scary in that kind of way, I I don't mm. think I could face it honestly in VR. Yeah, but overall, it's one of my uh, very favorite games of the year, if not my like number one favorite game of the year. And uh, I I can't recommend it highly enough. Either play it yourself or watch a a good let's play of it. Like whatever it takes to get into the world of outer wilds is um yeah it, it's an incredible game that was outer wilds let's move on to rage 2 i i don't have a ton to say about this one uh, maybe i do i don't know <laughs> this is a game i haven't spent a ton of time with so far but it's just like it's left such a strange taste in my mouth the game's key art and marketing make it seem like it has like a ton of personality and and is that's kind of like humorous subversive a weirdo kind of you know fast-paced shooter and like really it doesn't have the same level of personality you would expect going into it it actually it comes across as a pretty generic first-person shooter everything from the setting to the story is about as generic as they come really and uh i can tell that they tried to put some personality into it uh whether it's the again this kind of like bright pink highlights on certain objects and incorporating some of that more kind of colorful color scheme into it but it it just kind of comes across as like it felt like they made those choices really late in production and just said like okay how many uh how many textures can we go, go back and paint over pink, you know, instead of like building the world around that, it feels like they built a serious game. And then at the last minute, somebody from corporate came in and said like, we need it to be uh, colorful and humorous. That's what people are into these days. And they just like retrofitted the personality onto it rather than having it there. Always. They recorded a few like quote unquote funny lines and they, it, it, it it's just all very last minute and surface level but otherwise it just it kind of feels like an xbox 360 game 
Oof. the game l- looks very nice from a tech perspective uh and driving around in the car looks pretty terrific it's just a shame that like the art direction is so kind of unremarkable this is just the kind of game that you'll forget <laughs> as soon as you put it down but it's a nice enough time while you're playing it uh the shooting feels pretty decent uh, the the game looks you know relatively uh nice from a tech perspective um it's just if you want a checklist shooter um with some satisfying guns and um it, it's not a bad choice but like far cry 5 is better and probably pretty cheap these days so like i just don't really know why you would choose rage 2 in particular yeah uh, one minor complaint uh playing on the pc version is that i don't i don't like that they map a lot of the special abilities onto the control key uh, because these are things that you need to do like during combat and reaching all the way down there with your pinky to the control key is just a little annoying um and then you're in that zone of like accidentally hitting the windows key which is just bad all around so yeah it's just it just seemed like a poor choice but that's a that's a minor thing overall it just feels very expendable i'm i'm sure it's fine if you're looking for this kind of thing in particular but i'm just not really finding a lot that's really gripping me so eh, rage too <laughs> not boiling your blood nope so let's uh let's move on Jesse, yes. why don't you take it away with Slay the Spire? All right. Well, actually, before Slay the Spire, let me fit in a tight 90 seconds on Ring Fit Adventure, just because I did pick oh, yeah, it up sure. last week, and it is very weird, and I'm really enjoying it. I always i am a sucker for Nintendo exercise games, and uh, just any time, you know, I bought the variety Labo pack. If I had a bigger apartment, I would get more Labos. I I like supporting them and ex- experiencing whatever wacky toy thing they've come up with. And yeah, I like exercise games. And this one, it's, it's really good. It's really slick uh, in a very Nintendo-y way. They're keeping up the um, Super Mario Odyssey thing of when it says certain nouns, it'll have a little emoji picture of that noun right before the word, which is a very, do you know what I'm talking about? It'll yeah, be like, like there's a goblin, and then right before the word goblin, there's a little head of a goblin. It's absolutely baffling, and I love it. But they're continuing that, and and the ring is, stir- you know, it feels like I'm going to break it, but then I realize I'm like in the 20th percentile of upper body strain, so <laughs> clearly it is built for people stronger than me, and it does give you a nice work, you know, for something that's a lot uh, more compact than like the Wii Fit board. It does a nice job of of all of that and definitely like I've been doing it in the morning. It's getting my blood going. I have a Apple watch. It gets my, you know, BPM up to about 120, 125 of like, you know, light, but nice exercise. What's really weird about it though. And I haven't, I've only been playing it for like a week and I kind of want to see how this shakes out is the RPG element on the one hand makes perfect sense in that RPGs are kind of addictive and like trying to, you know, and grindy and like trying to sort of harness the power of the addictive grind to exercising, you know, is a very clever move. On the other hand, RPGs and this like has numbers and like you get XP and you level up uh, and you can get different equipment and numbers go up and that affects, you know, your ability to hit other, you know, hit the monsters or whatever. Like RPGs are in a weird way kind of about avoiding the game or like, you know, powering your numbers up to the point where 
the thing isn't hard anymore, which has a really weird tension with the like, well, I'm here to like squeeze this ring a hundred times and like get my blood going. Where like I accidentally grinded the game a little just uh, I brought it down to the game center was showing it to some people. So I read it a couple of the earlier levels just to do something quick where I kind of knew it was coming and it over leveled me for a bit. And like I was finishing the exercises before being halfway through the reps because the monster would die already. And it's just a really interesting game design dilemma of how to how that works. Um, but yeah, if if you enjoy if you want an excuse to, you know, jog in place and uh, and, you know, squeeze a ring a bunch. Uh, <laughs> have I got the game for you? You'll not be disappointed. Also, the mini games are very you can you can definitely like bring it and show it to your friends. And it definitely works as like, I think, better than we fit as a wacky standalone mini games compilation. All right. So that's the short one. Now, Slay the Spire. I don't know how to start with here. Are you familiar with the 1975 edition of Dungeons and Dragons? Let's start. No. Um, <laughs> uh, are you familiar with deck builders like Dominion or games, board games where you Start with a little crappy deck of cards, and in the course of the game, you're buying better cards. They go in your discard pile. You know, you reshuffle. Now you use these better cards to buy better cards or beat up monsters or something like that, right? It's kind of derived from Magic the Gathering, the idea of, like, taking the building a deck part of Magic and actually making it the game itself. And that starts in like 2008 with this game Dominion, and that has become such a big genre in tabletop. And Dominion's an extremely good game, but it also plays a little like a tech demo in a way where everyone who played it was both inspired by being impressed by that mechanic, but also saw a different direction to take it. So now it is like if you're making, if you have an IP, if you have some movie IP and you need to make a tabletop game and you can't think of something better to do, it will be a deck builder. Um, <laughs> there's a Juggalo deck. It's pretty good. <laughs> Um, not great. Decent. Anyway, so that's sort of the context that this game Slay the Spire is coming from. It is uh, a deck building roguelike. Uh, and I had been talking about Dicey Dungeons earlier. Uh, there's a game from 2013 Dream Quest that's like a very cult game, which it has very janky looking graphics. A lot of game designers really loved it. The guy who made it went on to uh, be a senior designer at Hearthstone. And has worked on their dungeon runs, which are this kind of deck building roguelike. It's it's kind of a standalone thing where and if if so this part intrigues you, but you don't want to pay the money yet, I do recommend the the Hearthstone dungeon runs are free and you can kind of ignore all the rest of Hearthstone and just play these solo adventures. But they all have a similar structure where instead of buying the cards during the combat, you know, it's slightly different from the tabletop version that you're not literally purchasing the cards as you are doing the thing, in this case, fighting monsters, right? It's basically, say the Spire is a series of nodes. You choose between two or three nodes. They have little icons, uh, monster icon, shop, uh, 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 bonfire where you can rest or upgrade one of your cards, and a question mark that can, you know, be a different event. Lots of monsters. You You fight monsters. One thing that's Interesting about the game and kind of ties it to Into the Breach for me is that they're both games where you know exactly what the enemy is going to do on your turn. Uh, and it's very much about kind of optimizing what you have in front of you with that perfect knowledge. So you'll, you'll have a monster. It'll say basically, here's what its attack is. You have a hand of cards and you get a new hand every turn. Uh, like a big difference from Dominion 
to, uh, from Magic to Dominion was that in Magic, you drew one card a turn. You know, it's kind of a slow game in that way. Dominion, you draw a new hand every turn. If you don't use cards, you still discard them at the end of your turn, draw an entirely new hand. You're, you're going through your deck over and over. Re Dominion is a game that involves an enormous amount of shuffling. This is digital, so you don't have to you know, worry about that. But yeah, you're going through this deck of cards, beating up a monster. You've got attack, you've got defense, you've got a, a zillion different abilities. Um, and then when you defeat the monster, you have a choice of getting a new card. Uh, and then there's also special powers called relics, which, I mean, there's an enormous amount of powers and things that bounce off each other in this game, which is why I've played probably 350 hours of it in the last year and a half. I got in on the beta, uh, yeah, beginning of last summer. And it's, it is the one game I've ever, like, pulled out my laptop on the subway uh, <laughs> and been like, I don't care. Like, I got to finish this game. Uh, then it came out on Switch. So I had to, like, go through all the Ascension levels again. Uh, one nice thing about it is it's it kind of is self-balancing in that the game starts relatively easy. And you probably won't, you know, unless you're totally unfamiliar with deck builders where you'll get up to speed. But you won't have a huge amount of trouble beating the final boss. Uh, but then you'll get to play it on Ascension Level 1, which makes it slightly more difficult, you know, modifies one thing. And it goes up to Ascension Level 20. I'm stuck on like 17 or 18 for the three different characters. And now there's a fourth character in the beta that uh, brought me back into playing the game when I thought I was kind of, you know, done with it. Uh, there's also a mod community and they make their own characters. And it's... Uh, yeah, it, it's the one game I've, I'm, I'm kind of a dappler, like I've never gone deep, deep into some particular game where I get into the scene in the way I was talking about with Killer Queen earlier. Uh, but like I lurk on the Slay the Spire Discord, you know, I read the, you know, patch updates. I've gone pretty deep in on it. Can I ask you a question, Jesse? Oh, ask away. There's, I mean, I have zero gaming time at the moment and n almost no appetite for... Uh, very long or kind of not lifestyle games, but games you can pour a lot into right. that structurally will reward you, but they don't necessarily have a story that finishes. Uh, I guess I'm thinking about anything from like, I don't know, Spelunky or Dota or whatever. All these wonderful games, Destiny, that I just don't have time, don't have inclination to play. Now, I've never, ever had a session of Dungeons and Dragons, and I've never played a deck builder in my life. I think I downloaded Hearthstone and never never opened the app. But it sounds brilliant. You know, the, these games where people say, oh, I spent 500 hours in it or whatever. It's like, well, it must be good. <laughs> and I would love one day to finally find one of these games to really engage with. But how good is Slay the Spire from a standing start? If someone was to come to it completely, you know, uh, a beginner in, a, in every sense. Is it, or, or is it actually still t too much steeped in the the genre and the tropes? And as you say, these games that have come before it and the community that kind of knows what to expect. No, I think that's why it's the game I've spent so much time with. Is it kind of snuck up on me in bite sized pieces? Because here's a couple of things about it: you can, if you win, it probably took forty five minutes to an hour. If you lost, you know, 30 to 45 minutes, I mean, you might die very quickly, but like it's a half hour to an hour long game. You can stop, you know, at any point. Here's a, a weird thing about that has made it very compelling. It lets you cheat in a very specific way, <laughs> right? Which is that if you have started a battle 
and you, you know, used a couple of your cards and all of a sudden you're like, oh, crap, I was going to drink this potion, which ups my strength before I started, the, you know, at the very beginning of this battle before I did anything. You can quit the game, restart it, and you'll start back at the beginning of that battle. I try not to, you know, I, on the honor system, don't abuse that where I get to the very end and I'm losing. And I'm like, well, let me redo this entirely different way. But at least once or twice a game, that thing of like, oh, I have a bunch of different powers. I forgot every 10th card I play does X. OK, I'm going to just restart and do that again, which has allowed me to play it in this like listening to podcasts on the subway. Like definitely, you know, when I'm listening to the Kane and Rinse, odds are I'm also playing, say, the spy. Like there's a pretty good chance, like the sound effects, you don't need them. Um, and once you get it down, you can, you know, you definitely will at certain moments stop the podcast or, you know, like really kind of stop and think about what card do you want to take or what decision you want to make. It can be played in a pretty casual way. And I think the way that it unlocks stuff, you know, it definitely starts you with a very uh, a sub a subset of the cards and a subset of the powers you can get. So it definitely has a nice progression. I don't think it would be I think it would be a pretty reasonable place to start in uh, with this kind of game. Probably more so, even though it's free, than the Hearthstone Dungeon Run if you haven't played any Hearthstone. Because that one is actually a little simpler in one way, but really does rely on you already kind of knowing the panoply of Hearthstone cards. Interesting. But yeah, I think I think you can you can pay varying amounts of attention to it, which is how it has, you know, snuck up. And it's just a game I, you know, every day I'll probably maybe play one, maybe play twice. That's uh yeah. An interesting game, and the one that got the very high marks when it came out, um, I anticipate it being on a lot of Game of the Year lists. Yeah, no, I think... Oh, one, just one more thing that kind of goes to your mm -hmm. point is that the designers were very smart in that they, they kind of got it popular through marketing it to Hearthstone streamers as kind of their side game. Like, here's a game that will kind of scratch a similar itch. Uh, but, you know, if you don't always want to be playing Hearthstone, but you don't need to commit to as a lifestyle, you know, you can throw this onto your stream as a change of pace. So it definitely fits as that kind of like, yeah, side thing. I've just gone. It just hits exactly the, you know, a particular part of my brain uh, that, you know, whatever. If I were uh, 30 years older and didn't know about games, that would probably make me play slot machines. So what, what I'm better does it, off this way. What does it cost? I think it's like 20 or 25. Okay, so it's, it's a proper you buy it and there's no uh, buying debt. It's on Game Pass for PC as well, if you're interested. If I had a PC, I would be. <laughs> it would translate yeah, pretty well to tablet, but I feel like they're keeping it off that specifically because they want to keep the, the price at a you know a premium level. Yeah. Would, would you say... Uh, if someone had an iPad and a Switch, is it on iPad? Is it on iOS no, at all? No, that's the thing is I think they're trying to keep it, you know, two consoles, even though it would it would translate fine. But yeah, it's I would it works great on Switch. It's actually probably easier to just fiddle with buttons than uh, do a touchpad thing. Mm, now to slay okay. the spire, let's move on to another card based game. This is Steam World Quest Hand of Gilgamesh. How does this one differ and relate? I think it relates in that it's the first wave of like Slay the Spire has been kind of big in terms of like like Dominion in a way uh, of just like people play it and they're inspired by it and see other directions they can go with it. I know that Shovel Knight is coming out with a kind of death building roguelike. And, and again, I think Slay the Spire is pretty inspired by that game Dream Quest, which if, if people are into getting into this genre, that is on like iPad and iPhone. It came out in like 2012. It's probably like three bucks. And it's a weird but rewarding game. But in the same vein, 
this uh, the Steam World game in the Steam World series. It's got a cute, light narrative, cute characters, like nothing apocal, but it, it moves the thing along nicely. And unlike uh, these other games, it's not a roguelite. In uh, there's definitely little bits where you can do almost like the um, whatever they're called, the catacombs in Bloodborne, like little pro- procedural generation bits. You know, they're optional, but mostly it's a campaign that you play through with, you know, bespoke encounters in a fairly linear order. But, yeah, you go around, you you know, you talk to a couple of people, other robots and stuff. You have some narrative fun, but mostly you are in battles, not unlike Slay the Spire, uh, with opponents. And I would say the big differences are that here you have a party of characters. You pick three out of, I think, at the end you have six I got maybe two-thirds of the way through this game, uh, and I liked it a lot, um, But and I plan on going back to it. But, um, but yeah, you pick three of the characters. They each have different uh, decks of cards uh, that they will mix together, and then you are... Um, yeah, I, it's similar. I, I That's the thing. is like It is very different, but to go into it is very mechanical and nerdy. I'll, I'll try to keep it as broad as possible. It, but it, the important point is like they do find uh, interesting, different wrinkles so that it does not feel like a copy of this game. But it feels like, say, the Spires just sort of established this genre that has a lot of, you know, arable land uh, for people to occupy. Uh, it has a steam meter, like certain cards that are weaker will pump up your steam meter that let you pay for other cards. Uh, a lot of what you play depends on the combo, depending on the character. Like if you play all three cards from the same character, they'll do a special power. You know, a lot of it's about sort of putting your party together. Um, yeah, a big difference is that you have pretty constant in between the battles control over what is going in your deck, who's in your party, what cards they're bringing in. So you can try a lot of different things, whereas a game like Slay the Spire or Dream Quest is very much about like taking the suboptimal card uh, because that's the best thing you can get right now and you need something because like a roguelike you're just, you know, in a procedural death labyrinth uh, <laughs> and taking whatever the best thing at the moment is and sort of trying to cobble together some sort of strategy. Whereas this is much more like, it's not like Dragon Age Origins, but sort of the same level of fiddliness that you could get into if you wanted to in terms of optimizing your build from battle to battle. And it should be said, this is a charming looking game with uh, lovely kind of hand painted art that just glancing at YouTube, it definitely seems like it's easier on the eye than than Slay the Spire, yeah. but I suppose that, that doesn't matter that much in this type well, of game. they both fit each other, right? Slay the Spire is a little like Spelunky where, right, it looks like it, it needs to look and, and it's kind of hardcore and you kind of see past it if you're playing it, whereas this is much more like it's a campaign. Like there's a narrative with a story that the battles are tying into. And yeah, the fact that it it's charming and like Slay the Spire has no story. There's, you know, hints of the lore, but there's no story to it other than like you're beating things up and then you're you're slaying the spire. Whereas this, I don't know, I don't know if either of you have played other Steam World games, but yeah, I would say it's it's mm-hmm. of a comparable level of of sort of charm and snappiness in terms of all of that kind of narrative surroundings. I've been uh, interested in the Steam World series for a long time. Dig, Dig Two, are both really high quality games. Uh, Steam World Heist came out of nowhere being a completely different genre, and then this one as well. It's just the team is just jumping between genres and seeming to do pretty well at whatever they try. So 
yeah, cool yeah, little team. This, I mean, it does feel like this is to Slay the Spiral what Heist is to XCOM, of like them kind of seeing, like they have found their game design take on a on a subgenre. And yeah, I think they, they, they've done very well with it. Awesome. That was SteamWorld Quest, The Hand of Gilgamesh. On now to Telling Lies. This is the follow-up to her story by Sam Barlow a number of years ago. But uh, this one's a lot, oh, say, bigger in scale. Um, this one is... So you're still watching a series of uh, pre-recorded live-action scenes, uh, mostly conversations, uh, things that people are either recording as like a video diary or um, most often like Skype conversations that people are having with each other. Uh, you'll only be getting one side of a conversation at a time, uh, which I'm a little mixed on that. Like, I think it's interesting trying to like infer what the other side of the conversation is looking like, but it's always easy enough to find the other side of the conversation because, you know, it's just really easy to get like context clues for what's being said and just like immediately looking up the other side of the conversation that it just kind of comes across as being a little time wasty. Um, especially when some of these conversations get up to like, you know, eight minutes or something like that. And you're just kind of sitting there watching it for, for a long time, knowing that you're going to have to watch basically like another broken conversation from the other side again, later on. If you read the, the design interview on, uh, Gama Sutra with this particular game, Sam Barlow definitely wanted to go for something very deliberate and very specific. And he had in mind this um, rewinding like physical tapes, like investigators. Yep. And, and he just fell in love with that kind of idea. And he wanted to represent that idea of doing the physical thing, but obviously digitally. He knew what he didn't realize until people play tested it. And then he didn't really walk back was that people would be a bit weirded out by those kind of one-sided conversations and the actor just kind of reacting to nothing. And he, he did it anyway. He kind of knew people might be a bit frustrated or certain person, like my wife and I played this we kind of at first we always rewinded to the beginning of the video which is not what the designer wanted he wanted you to just sort of scrub through different bits of it and jump in and jump out and do it at speed like actually read the subtitles at speed and stuff so i feel like it's one of those games where it can be a bit weird and a bit frustrating but maybe it would be better to kind of even read that design interview before you play it so that you kind of know the the spirit of the design before you go into it. Yeah. Like I get that he didn't want people to just scroll all the way back to the beginning of the tapes, which I did. Uh, that was my choice that I made, even knowing that that wasn't the design's intention, because I feel like uh, there's just, I mean, you're going to be watching these videos. Um, and again, they're, they're quite lengthy. Oftentimes I, I, I would just rather kind of have all the context that I could have around a certain, like I, I really liked in her story, how it was kind of built around all these little clips, each having something specific to say, if you're just picking up a longer video, three quarters of the, of the way through, there's no end point until you hit the end or something that you recognize previously, it'll still mark the video as being previously watched in the UI. If you, you know, and so like yeah. it really, from that side of things, the systems are working against you as far as like not rewinding. Yeah. But rewinding itself is so slow. Like it takes a long time. <laughs> and it's just like, and you, since you kind of constantly have to do that, if you want to watch the videos from beginning to end, I, it just feels very unfriendly. It, um, it, and, it's and true. It's really annoying. But it's slightly different approach. My wife and I played it quite impatient, 
quite methodically and impatiently at the same time, which sounds stupid. But we had like a Google Doc up and we gradually built out who we thought the characters were. And there were plenty of videos that we came across where we just didn't watch the whole thing. We, we either yeah. went, went based on the word searches because you, 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 the whole thing is based on searching a database, a static database that's not going to update or anything. You just have a selection of videos. You can't access all of them at once. You've got to use word input. Um, and keywords, the whole thing is built around keywords, just like her, her story, such that the intention is not to have you be like, oh, okay, I want to find the video from September 8th. Okay, now I want to find the video from September 9th and go through the whole kind of catalogue of videos and always rewind to the beginning and always watch the whole thing and then watch the other side. Very much the intention was, and, and we found ourselves reaching this point naturally in our own natural exploration, curiosity, and trying to solve the mysteries at the heart of the game, was that we did get better at, at fast-forwarding through videos and just reading the subtitles really quick, especially if we knew it was a video that was going to be particularly slow or particularly um, not rich in new information. And then eventually we had a lot of fun trying to find the right keywords to trigger videos that happened later in the timeline or at very specific points in the timeline and anything from earlier in the timeline of the story we just ignored i don't know whether we watched i think the game tells you i can't remember if we watched like 60 percent, 70 percent of the videos but we certainly didn't watch everything and we certainly didn't go back we, we got out of the habit of going all the way back to the beginning of the videos being more like just trying to dip in and grab pieces of information and piece things together. And once we knew who someone was or we kind of knew a conversation, we're like, oh yeah, I know what that conversation is because we've, we've already understood that this conversation took place. We don't actually need to watch all of it because we know what happens and let's go and find, find something else. So I think having someone else to talk to and my, my wife and I played, um, her story as well together. Having someone else to talk to and reason with and, and have two people kind of come up with keywords, a bit like Gears 5 with the, you know, playing it cooperatively, I, I found was a pr pr potentially the better experience with this game. Yeah, potentially. But I mean, the, the characters' performances are all really strong. Like the mm. acting is so good that like it feels wrong to be just fast forwarding and reading about it. You know, it's like watching a, Watching a movie at 1.5 speed, it's like it's paced in a certain way for a reason. Maybe not in this case. I don't know. But like the performances are so strong. Like I don't really want to skip them. I want to learn about the characters, what they what they're like as people. But but you, you could do that to start but th and then start getting more focused and specific. Later and as far on. as like finding specific videos and, and trying to determine like which ones aren't going to be important, sometimes they do drop very important pieces of information that they never mention again in videos just kind of right at the very end. Like there's one character's name in particular that I think is only in like two videos that can be really tricky to track down if you're not, you know, familiar with, uh, with those specific pieces of, of video evidence. Yeah. That's, but I found that there's, although I didn't, I didn't love all the actors just on a, on an interpersonal level. The performance is really good, but the main guy, I was annoyed by his eyebrows because he does a lot of reacting. Okay. He does a lot of reacting yeah. to stuff someone is saying to him. And it could just be his daughter going on about something for five minutes. And I, I did get a bit annoyed by his face, but that's okay because he's not necessarily supposed to be, um, the most lovable person. I don't know. It's, it's kind of, 
It's textural. I find just knowing that these characters are there having these conversations, but that we don't feel like we have to see everything feels just like nice texture like oh he's lying down now oh he's talking to so- someone in a more intimate setting or oh, mm-hmm. he's really agitated in this one and his manner and demeanor and even if you're skipping past specific conversation bits i still feel like that was nice there was lots of extra body language and costuming and, and things that were that were quite clever but in terms of finding nuggets of small information i think i think it's quite obvious when you found the ending with this one it's a slightly less it's less ambiguous yeah. than her story but there are small sub stories that you could miss totally and we loved finding that just that tiny little thread and be like oh okay this is how that this is how this gives more texture to the whole thing there's one particular um side story i'm thinking of ryan that we should uh, chat, chat about after this so we don't spoil it for anybody but but we easily could have blown past it i reckon yeah so i'm i i just find myself being a bit disappointed with this one because it was so close i i really i'm intrigued by this style of gameplay i love this kind of like evidence scouring and and watching these interviews and stuff but it just feels in its size so much less elegant than her story was mm. you know i just that one was such a such an interesting story it did such a great job of pacing and and getting you through the um kind of giving you even though it was non-linear giving you the most important pieces of information at points to kind of keep you hooked and intrigued this one like i felt like there was a ton of time wasting um yeah. it really swings for the fences and it's an amazing technical achievement like that much uh, live action video getting them I, I don't even know how they did it like getting them to react to the other actors but oh it was like, they're not wearing they, they, earpieces and they built two sets simultaneously and i think they are wearing earpieces because they would have had to be to okay. be able to record it but they're just really really subtly dumb but they basically built the two sets they rented some like houses in a plot or buildings and stuff. And they would, the conversations are for real. Okay. Yeah. And like you say, incredible production feat. I do agree that it's the def- difficult second album thing, isn't it? Once they'd chosen to do the same framework, which was exciting for her story fans, because we know how to start the game straight away and get into the meat. And there's that, that, that excitement right at the beginning, like, oh, who's this person and who's that person and, and how does it all fit together? And I wonder what the core the core mystery it is but you're right that that you know there's a lot of um but it is you can't call it can you can you call it padding it's not it's not cynical padding because it created so much more work for them it's more like it's more like it's, it's, you just have to get smarter it's just not very conscious of my time and experience though like it, it doesn't do a lot to serve the pacing of the game or the experience of playing i, I just i, I the pacing is so much is i can't unpack set. here that's the thing the play the pacing is player set and like i say maybe it's because i was fortunate enough to play it with someone else who and we were both feeling impatient to get to certain strands there of you the go story. you're feeling impatient you know <laughs> yeah but 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 in a good way and that drove us through that 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 really helped us ignore, you know, a lot of the earliest videos in the database. Once we knew what was going on, there was a lot of earlier stuff that we'd see. Yeah. We're like, yeah, we don't need to watch that because we know pretty much what they're going to say. I also, I also feel like the narrative wasn't really as gripping as the one in her story. Like no, there weren't no, that true. many big twists or turns. Like I feel like I got to a point probably about like a fifth of the way through the game 
where I was like, okay, cool. I get what's going on here. This is a really interesting scenario. And then like for the rest of the game, it was just like, oh, uh, it seems like I just got it really early and not much has really changed even like towards the end. I mean, there are a couple of like surprising plot moments, but nothing that really served as like a like a major twist. Nothing yeah. that really made me think about things differently. There, well, there are there is one of the major characters' plot lines. There is one that is uniquely twisty and and fun and especially entertaining. Bit, the way but it she's wraps the one up. that feels most removed from the entire story. True, and there's a lot of videos that you don't need to watch of of their interactions. That's that's true. So yeah. I definitely agree. Idea in an ideal world, I would have preferred he did something more twisty, potentially even like mystical or supernatural, and less, uh, yeah, just just presenting even more content. Um, but the the fundamental kind of thing you're finding out and mm -hmm. journey you're going on is is perhaps less less, yeah, less kind of compelling. Yeah, it's than an interesting story. story, but it just like it really didn't have the same hooks for me. Um, it was, it felt like the writing was all circumstances and no themes this time around. Well, it's char it's a character study, isn't it? I mean, that's, if you're interested, if you find yourself not, li not liking these people and not being interested in what happened to them and what is going to happen to them, then you're going to be stuck. But, uh, although the, the lead, I found, we, I found we were having interesting conversations after we finished the game about the lead character and their motivations and mm -hmm. how they went about things and how we might even know people who were just a bit like that. I think since the game is so kind of light theme wise, it's, it makes it also kind of difficult to gauge the purpose of the piece. And I, I was talking on Slack after finishing it, and I'm not going to get into it here because it gets into kind of spoiler, major spoiler territories, but some of the actions that the main character takes at the end of the game, the game doesn't really take a stance in framing them. It's just kind of like everything is very procedural and everything is very like, this is the just what happened. Oh, I disagree. I disagree, though, because if you're thinking about, I'm trying to say this without spoiling it, the, the themes are about law enforcement and about a mm -hmm. certain American law enforcement w approach to people and operations where it's just way that their ethics are just utterly skewed and turned around on their head. Mm -hmm. And, but because of like nine 11 and the, and the way that, that they've been told to do things at a much higher level, they're, ex they think they're expected to do things. I think there's a quite a strong critique of that there. I mean, that runs all throughout it. I think that's one very, very strong theme that's true and, and then the other theme with one of the the female character we were we were dancing around her whole profession and demeanor and the conclusion to her storyline is quite rich there as well about and 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 it all feeds back into the title of the game so i think if you weren't in it's just, we in, we sounds like we enjoyed it more than you did and i think because i enjoyed mm -hmm. it i don't mind kind of going back over and trying to tease out some of those bigger themes i think they were there to to be honest um but it's difficult the conversation hasn't happened about the game because it's so easy to spoil and it's another one of those ones like outer worlds where it's like it's such a fascinating thing that that people should be talking about and it, and you can't you're kind of not allowed I, I guess that's fair i'll revise and say that like there are themes in the game but i don't feel like it really gained anything by unpacking them like it felt like it just kind of left everything very 
I, I like I had the same opinion on things coming out of the game that I did going into them. Yeah. But maybe that's just my my own personal leaning. But I, this is all getting <laughs> very like behind the music anyways. So this is probably not going to be that interesting for people that we'll wait to the kind of rinse episode. Yeah. Let's just uh, let's kind of keep things moving on. Uh, I don't know if I would recommend this one, but it sounds like Thomas had a better experience. So uh, it's getting very high marks. And, um, you know, so. I think it's it's going to be interesting to watch the discourse kind of continue to unfold about this one. Um, I'm a bit disappointed that there hasn't been more on it already, but uh, maybe maybe in the future we can revisit on the actual podcast. Uh, anyways, let's uh, let's move on. Uh, that was telling lies. Moving on to the outer worlds. So I've played a bit of this one. I'm impressed. Uh, I, it's it's really stunning to look at. It's finally a Fallout style RPG that actually looks pretty good it's been like since fallout 2 since we've had a fallout rpg that looks anywhere close to decent and uh it's it, it, it's a brand new ip from uh from obsidian who made the um the better of uh the fallout 3d games uh new vegas and it's 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 just really nice you know i haven't spent that much time in it but it's it's very well acted there's good writing it's quite funny when it wants to be um it, it it's really beautiful in its art design. Um, there's just a lot going for it. And, you know, I'm, I'm still pretty early on, but I just love having the conversations with the characters, getting to know the people and the, the general mood and tone of the world. Um, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's a good one. And I'm, I'm looking forward to spending more time with it. Um, I don't know if I have a ton to say about it. The, the shooting is better than fallout, but it's not like, not a, like real first person shooter in the same way that you would get as like a game that was built around that specifically. It's very much an RPG first. It it has some nice like visual touches that make it really punchy. It has some nice kind of auxiliary powers and things that you can add to your, uh, your skill set that are, are really fun to play around with. Um, uh, companion characters are great. And uh, I just, yeah, I love the interactions you have with people and how much, freedom it seems to give you in shaping the story the the way that you do you know they say that that they've written every quest so that no one character is completely necessary so like it can write itself around you having killed pretty much anyone in the game and uh i i like that there's there's a lot of freedom there not that i would choose to choose to do that necessarily just because i like to spend time around the characters but like it's cool that they are thinking about these kind of fringe cases of how people will be approaching each of these scenarios. Yeah. Cool, cool game. Uh, let's move on now to something that uh, was another kind of surprise hit. I guess not. It had a lot of buzz beforehand or a lot of hunk beforehand. Honking, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is Untitled Goose Game coming out of uh, House House, which is a team over in Australia and published by uh, Panic. Um, this one debuted on the Epic Game Store, on PC and Mac, and on Nintendo Switch. So, uh, Jesse, what is your take on this one? <laughs> I have enjoyed this. I've been nibbling at it on the subway. I've gotten to the third world, but I do think, you know, there's a there's a fellow in academia who writes for the Atlantic named Ian Bogost. He's a gadfly uh, some for some nemesis, uh, and he, he's definitely a provocateur. And he wrote a piece basically uh, saying it was in this series where and, and it's the culmination, which is like games are better without games, essentially. And it was essentially the idea of the goose game as sort of supersedes the game itself, which is actually 
I, he thought it was somewhat tedious. I don't think it's tedious, but I was surprised. It's not a game that you can hand to someone else who is not familiar with video games. It is not a gateway game, right? The, the control of the goose dealing with everything is actually fairly, I don't want to say gamery, but like you need to have built up a certain vocabulary um, to be able to complete, you know, the quests. I feel like and, it's and, all very, um, very practical though. You know, it's like, there's a lot oh, of yeah. things in games that like we assume like digging through the trash to find health pickups. Like that's not something that like a non gamer would ever think to do. And I feel like everything within goose game is stuff that like people could reasonably think that, Oh yeah, this is what a goose might do in the scenario. Yes. No, the puzzle, uh, the puzzles and the thematics, I'm saying the actual controls themselves. Okay. I just, I remember handing the joy cons to a friend who does not play video games, but you know, who I'd shown Baba is you to previously an ape out you know, wants to maintain some cultural awareness. And he just had tremendous trouble, you know. So, but my take, I mean, I think it's, it deserves to be kind of the breakout hit. It is because it did create this entirely new fiction. Or like, people didn't know they wanted to be a a chaos goose, you know, before this game came out. It was not like this was a existing, you know, there's no TV tropes, uh, goose page. Well, maybe there is. Who knows? Probably is now. <laughs> right. I'm sure there is now. Right. And but yeah, I I think it's kind of perfect in what it is, but it is the actual things you're like the puzzles are often pretty clever. I definitely liked, you know, uh, figuring out to honk at the guy at the right time to make him hit his thumb with the hammer, that kind of stuff. But yeah, I don't know. I, I was left slightly ambivalent in that way that Bogos described of the actual gameplay isn't as transcendent as the aura mm -hmm. that's, you know, maybe it is a better game to experience secondhand as a friend of a gamer who just knows this amazing thing exists and has seen 30 second videos. I don't know. It, it at least got me thinking. Yeah, I think it's a really cute idea. It's it's well implemented. Um, overall, it's it's a very slow game. Uh, and it can be kind of frustrating at times uh, in ways that it probably didn't need to be. But like overall, it still feels like a fairly low friction game. I I felt very warm throughout it. You know, I, I know a lot of people have described it as like really being like a hilarious game. And there were definitely some funny moments, but like I didn't find myself like, you know, busting my gut the whole time. It was, you know, it was very like it was very pleasant, though. And it's very something that just like made me. Uh, made me smile more than laugh out loud. As practical as the situation was and as all the solutions ended up being, it felt a little difficult to get past the game as a video game, mm -hmm. trying to solve video game problems in a video game kind of way, you know? It's hard to see past the people as AI patterns. And I know that like part of that is just around they wanted to kind of minimize the unpredictability and frustration. And, you know, in a puzzle type game, you need that good feedback you need to know if something's not working, you need to know that it's not working so that you can try something else and come back later. Then you start to see people as just like series of numbers and algorithms that are just running in sequence. And it, it takes away a little bit of that sense of like the real world. Um, I, I think there were some characters like the little boy with glasses, like he was <laughs> very like he was able to roam around the world and you can interact with him in a very naturalistic way. But the old man looking over his newspaper was very much like on a timer and gave more of a sense of being a robot than like a real person. Can I just very quickly, it sounds to me, have you guys ever played the Amanita design uh, 
adventure games, Machinarium, yeah. uh, Chuchel, uh, Botanicula. It sounds a little bit like that, like it's this overwhelming charm, uh, audiovisual charm, but actually the, the puzzle design can work against it. And if you're, if you're stuck for too long, the charm starts to starts to fade slightly a little bit um i mean i generally generally really liked kind of just kind of mucking around and causing um mischief even when the game is moving r- rather slow there is still funny stuff happening and you can kind of set up these silly scenarios so it, it never gets to the point where and a lot of point and click adventures when you get stuck loses its momentum because the things that you enjoy about the game are no longer happening and in this case, when you got stuck, the things that I enjoyed were still happening. So there was less of that internal friction, I think. Yeah, walking around and honking and extending your wings is is inherently pleasurable. And it is a fun game to, mm. to do. For, I mean, I'll definitely, I've popped it on the subway and like played it for 15 minutes. Still haven't solved any puzzles on this level, but like I, it, it wasn't wasted time. Yeah, I, you know, I'd give it a, a a qualified recommendation in that, like, if it sounds great to you, be be prepared for it to be, you know, an imperfect game, not a not the perfect concept, but it is definitely worth playing if you like if you like Hitman, but, you know, think mm-hmm. it would be better if it was sort of a smaller game, more goose oriented, I think, uh this is this is what you've been waiting for. Yeah, animations are really good. The goose oh, looks God, yeah. fantastic. Um, just really, really well animated. Yeah, the sight lines between the goose and the people, like you definitely like that is <laughs> almost the best part. Is like the way that they look at each other and like yeah. there's just a lot of unspoken uh, ambivalence uh, going on. Yeah, and it's, it's a cute story. It, the ending is really funny. Um, I hear good things about the the music as well. Is oh, it God, uh, yes. a Debussy piece that's worked in? as an interactive music yeah mm-hmm. i think several i'm not i'm not sure but yeah the music it's 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 a it's a funny thing maybe to pair with ape out actually uh very different mm-hmm. games i think ape out is more successful in the gamey way but but i think you know goose game uh yeah but just very stylish and very kind of deliberate every aesthetic choice is very thought through yeah i would say there's just enough frustrating moments to always keep me a bit on edge in a way that feels a bit antithetical to the tone of the game. But overall, it's a very nice game. It's very, very memorable and definitely worth experiencing. I love seeing all the memes that people have created of putting the goose into other games and just like how quickly it cemented itself as being like a foundational video game character, which I love. Are you saying goose for smash? I I mean, it, uh, it could happen. You never know. <laughs> yeah, I think that just about wraps up my thoughts on that one. Yep. Untitled Goose Game. Let's move on to uh Jesse. This is one that I intended to play but did not get around to it in time for the pod, so hoping you can kind of take us through a little bit of uh sure. Wilmot's Warehouse. Wilmot's Warehouse. This game I really liked. Uh I played I was I actually played about ten minutes of the beginning uh during the Outer Wild segment just to refresh myself on it. But uh, <laughs> I saw my previous, my, my save has about four and a half hours. So I'm about halfway done with the game. And it is a game, you're a little square and it's top down and you're essentially on a grid, but you move smoothly and everything moves smoothly within that grid. And yeah, you're in an empty warehouse uh, and there are little squares that are objects uh, up to 200 by the end of the game, right? I, I'm about halfway done in that. I've unlocked about 100 of these things. Uh, and they're all just little, you know, half inch by half inch squares with some simple pattern or picture of like a cowboy hat or a, a club from a deck of cards or four dots or a snowflake or whatever. 
you are given a bunch of them at the beginning of a level. You have like two or two and a half minutes to organize them however you want. You can pick them up and drag them around. And then at the end of the time, uh, some people show up at the top of the screen and they request certain items and you run and you grab them and you try to get them to them as fast as possible. And what's really interesting about the game is, right, there's these 200 objects. There's no difference between any of them mechanically, right? It's just sheerly these different pictures. And there's no, the warehouse is is a big empty box with basically big, uh, six big squares that are pillars. They're kind of breaking things up. And one of the powers, you know, one of the upgrades you can get is getting rid of those pillars so you can use that space more efficiently. Um, and there's other upgrades that are, you know, you can speed yourself up. Uh, you can, you know, rotate the things that you're carrying, etc. But what the game is really about is this sort of weird metacognitive thing of like how you categorize information. And it's very deliberately designed with these little square icons to kind of mess with that. To be able to find the things as quickly as you need to, you need to know where you put them. And to know where you put them, you need to kind of group stuff together. And maybe you start grouping stuff together by color because you're like, well, that, you know, can't go wrong with that. And of course, three days, four days into it, it'll start giving you two color items where it's like they've intentionally crafted it. So it's, you'd be have to be ambivalent put this with blue or with green, which would I remember this being with? You know, if you if you do them by subject, uh, like in just the little opening tutorial, it gives you, you know, two places, you you know, do stuff for winter and then hats. And so you have some clearly winter things and some clearly hat things. You put them there and then, of course, gives you some like snow caps and you have to decide, you know, where you're going to put those. Uh, and that's it sort of teaching you that, yeah, that's essentially what the game is about, is figuring out your own weird Byzantine system that only makes sense to you. Uh, it weirdly reminds me of, there was a very old, right at the beginning of like the iPhone, there was this 99 cent game, I think called Colorblind, and it was incredibly simple and addictive. It would show you a color, a big square of color for five seconds, and then the color would go away, and it would give you RGB sliders, and you had to make the color. And the closer you got, the more points you got. I learned a lot about how my brain worked. Like one thing I learned about myself was that I'm verbal in that my strategy in that game was to describe the color in my head using words and then try to recreate that description rather than actually trying to recreate the color I think I saw in my mind's eye, which was a very weird and you know interesting thing to learn about yourself in the course of this incredibly simple game. And I feel like Wilmot's Warehouse, you know, in a different way, hits that same, like, there's not a lot to the game mechanically. It's very lovely, uh, kind of like, you know, similar music to Baba's You, kind of a similar look, you know, nice and simple. Yeah, and a lot of the craft is about the actual particular items they give you and how their categories intentionally intersect, how certain things are ambiguous looking, or even the kind of thing you interpreted it as, you know, could be two or three things, uh, et cetera. Uh, yeah, just a, an interesting kind of artsy game, but also very relaxing. Definitely scratches a certain, you know, there are these free periods after every three or four days. You get as much time as you want to just reorganize your stuff however you want. Uh, and definitely when I was playing this, that was a, a put on a podcast and chill kind of activity uh, in, in a Minecrafty kind of way, I suppose. So, yeah, a very a unique and uh, not a game for everyone, but... 
but it will it will teach you things about your own brain. So that's nice. Is it kind of meditative or is it high pressure? What does the failure state look like? Um, you get less stars, which lets you get less upgrades. I did. I was playing it on normal. There is also an expert, and I felt like the time pressure was enough to make you get a move on, but it didn't feel super pressured. As long as you kind of step yourself organized and use those free periods to clean things up, I never got to a point where I was just like failing to, um, you know, give the people what they wanted in the time limit. It could snowball on itself, where if you get behind, if you get so disorganized, you don't know where anything is, you know, that could redound on itself. And I guess then you would start a new save or something. But yeah, I found it lightly stressful, but not, but mostly meditative, even in the timed parts. Okay. It was just mostly very satisfying to be like, I know exactly where that is. It's, you know, with, yeah. the, with the eyeballs and <laughs> things that let you get around or whatever insane, you know, things you might find <laughs> at Home Depot was definitely one of my categories. Very interesting. Well, that is a Wilmot's Warehouse. We're coming towards the last of the games before getting into the Apple Arcade section. So this uh, this is rounding out the end of the alphabet here. Yoshi's Crafted World, um, which is a... Yeah, Wooly World is one of my favorite Yoshi games. Um, I was really optimistic about this one, but overall, I'm kind of disappointed in how it ended up coming out. Uh, this is a kind of standard side-scrolling Yoshi game, but with some 2.5D elements, uh, a lot of kind of chucking eggs into the background or the foreground and to hit various objects. And um, I really usually like this type of scavenger hunt type of side objective. Once you beat a level, you can meet this character that asks you like, hey, can you go and find five cows or whatever in the level? And then you just kind of chuck eggs at them as you see them um, when revisiting. Uh, but unfortunately, it only gives you it only lets you kind of tackle one of these asks at a time and it can give you multiple for each level. And so you have to go through the entire level multiple times to clear all of these asks. And it feels like something that would have been just fine to just include the first time you went through a level. Um, it felt a little bit of like time wasty there. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Overall, it just it didn't really gel with me. The whole throwing exit thing in the background uh, just felt like it was handled kind of poorly. Uh, you can only really, yeah, it felt like it really slowed down the pace of the game. Uh, which I know Yoshi games are usually a little, little bit more stop and go than other types of platformers, but you know, whatever pace it had was just kind of like really kind of ground to a, a halt. Overall, I found the game to be like way too easy for way too long, but then right at the end, it gave you some of the end game challenges that were just like so difficult that I didn't see myself wanting to complete them, which really just kind of put me off the idea of 100%ing everything else. And so, yeah, I don't know. I, I just didn't really get along with this game. Uh, I wish the composer had written a second song as well. That would have been great. <laughs> I was really tired of the one tune throughout the game, basically playing on every level. The Woolly World composer was firing shots at the Crafted World composer mm, yeah. and like getting really, really uppity on uh, on social media about <laughs> it. I thought that was quite funny. I, I played this game with a with a three year old, so my my uh, and in co op. Uh, you know, most of the time he he could barely finish the levels, so I was sort of swallowing him and, and running through it. Mm -hmm. and it was too hard for him, um, apart from the very earlier stages, and because we had a limited time borrowing it, so we could send it to Ryan. Um, <laughs> we had to we had to rush through the end of it. I think I, I may even go back and buy it because it's very 
I think it's very charming to look at. And uh, it's, mm-hmm. if you've seen Tear Away or you liked Tear Away's style or Little Big Planet, I think it does the same thing. It, it almost feels derivative of those, but in a colorful Nintendo way. I don't mind. It's a nice way. aesthetic. I, yeah. I'm okay with as many games using it as they want to. And um, I think for seeing it through the lens of a three-year-old kind of enjoying what's happening and enjoying the baddies and the the vehicle levels which i found infuriatingly difficult but uh but then i was playing with him and so it was like no don't walk over there no no come over here come to the right go to the left go to the left and he was just like what he couldn't even he was holding the switch controller like the wrong way around because he just found it easy to hold so it was it was uh frustrating for different reasons so i can't really judge the you know the relative quality of the game as like a platformer I've never played any of the Yoshis, but um, to play, I'd say, as a parent who's who's okay, who's comfortable with platformers, to play it with maybe for at least four years old and up, I'd say, because uh, my three-year-old did struggle, um, but he still enjoyed it. He still wanted to to get through it and, and us to play together, and um, we didn't care about 100%ing or anything silly like that. We just... He loved the... Um, uh, the costume you buy costumes at the end of each world with tokens, which is kind of teaching him about gambling <laughs> and loot boxes and stuff like that. But um, he really enjoyed putting them, putting the coins in the machine and getting uh, new, cute, stupid costumes. And it's true that the music is very repetitive, but it is uh, uh, the first, the tune, the main tune is quite adorable the first few times around anyway. Mm-hmm. So, so we were kind of. We were charmed by it, a bit frustrated by it, but then playing with a three-year-old, playing anything with a three-year-old co-op is is pretty frustrating anyway. And it was quite nicely designed for that kind of, you know, the other player can drop in and drop out. And um, there's various things you can do with the other Yoshi. So you can like eat mm-hmm. them to get through a particularly difficult, you can kind of carry them with you as it were. And they can just hold the jump button and fly through quite a lot of the level as well to stay out of danger. So they, they, I, from that perspective, it was, it was a pretty good overall package. I'd be tempted to actually pick it up again so that as he gets a bit older and more competent with the pad, and obviously he's got a little brother as well who would get older and I'd let them touch the switch a bit, a bit more often the older they get, the less likely to break it they are. Um, mm. so yes, yeah, so it's quite nice from that perspective. I, I think the game aesthetically, it looks, pretty nice um the crafted materials are really cleverly implemented but it feels less consistent than woolly world um not a lot of the same kind of like inventiveness with the craftiness it's just kind of like just the things that things are made out of and you don't really like unravel parts of the scenery as much or anything like that felt yoshi is a lot worse than woolly yoshi just as far as the look of it goes and then there's just like a couple things that they didn't bother transforming into crafted materials like the chain chomps are just like regular ass chain chomps and it's like what happened to the whole thing we were going for here <laughs> like why not just make them fun little crafty chain chomps but whatever that's fine i would say though that the visuals uh fitted through unreal engine 4 blurring and everything like that wasn't worth the drop down to 30 fps uh with significant and frequent frame rate issues uh, this is another game, kind of like um, the Zelda Link's Awakening, that felt like it was made for a much more powerful system, which is puzzling because the Switch is the Switch. So I don't know what they were going for, but like it just it 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 feels like it would have benefited from being less visually lush and running at sixty. 
We didn't see. We'd never. We didn't notice. Neither my three-year-old or I. <laughs> he de- he definitely noticed the frame rate. No, we didn't notice the frame rate. We didn't notice any kind of characters or, or stuff like that. Te- didn't really have any technical issues. I guess it just it, maybe it feels like slightly as an overall package. The way you describe it, coming from the rest of the series and the technical things, maybe it was a touch either either touch rushed or they bit off more than they could chew early on and and were sort of stuck with the the technical limitations. Yeah, this is one that I just don't really understand because Good Feel did has done like plenty of really clever and really inventive games before and this one just had like none of the creativity for me in in my eyes anyways. So even having played it so recently, I've already forgotten almost everything about the game. Like it would have been if I went back to it now, it would be almost like a clean playthrough and that's not really a good sign because i usually have a pretty good memory for this kind of thing so i uh i'm gonna say pass on this one but um of course you know if if this is your kind of thing then uh i don't know maybe maybe it'll connect with you and now to round out this first session it's been a long one and we thank you everyone who has stuck with us for this long uh the podcast is uh is significantly longer even still so um uh yeah we've got four more sessions to record after this but uh for now we're going to round out this session with an overview of the apple arcade uh it is apple's gaming subscription service that launched in september of this year um it came to ipad iphone mac computers and apple tvs so all of the games are playable across all the different platforms um i don't find the messaging about the games to be that good any like there's no single list anywhere on the internet other than like itunes of all the games that are included like it's it's really tricky to track down any kind of information about this service like it's all just like hype reels and nothing educational which is a bit bit odd but i guess that's apple's kind of mo so um yeah i guess that's fine so I picked up an iPad this year because I was very curious. I work on Game Pass, and so I'm curious, like, you know, what is the uh, what does the competition subscription service look like? And um, I have I set a goal for myself, and I have played at least a portion of all of the Apple Arcade games that have been released to this point. We are recording on November 17th, Happy Life Day. So obviously, I'm not going to be talking about anything that came after that. Uh, some of these have been pretty quick jaunts, and so I'm not going to have a ton to say over a lot of these because, um, yeah, uh, you know, just kind of brief impressions overall. But I uh, just wanted to give a nice overview and see what's uh, see what's going on. I guess before we get started, um, those of us that are left in the recording, um, what platform are we playing on? I've been playing on iPad. All touchscreen except for Sayonara Wild Hearts, which I played with a controller. Is uh, what is everyone else playing on? So I'm on a I'm on an iPhone Seven. I don't mm-hmm. want to upgrade my Mac to the Catalina or whatever it is because I fear change and I especially fear Mac OS ups updates. But there are certain games like Manifold Garden I'd love to play that I just cannot face playing on a on a small iPhone. So. At some point, I'll be trying to get it. And then my iPad's too old, so it won't even run Apple Arcade, which is uh, uh, a bitter disappointment because I was expecting it to work, uh, even though the first month is free, so I didn't you know, lose anything. But So, yeah, so playing on an, uh, quite an old iPhone at the moment. I am on even older. Yeah, I'm, uh, similar will not update to Catalina because it will break half the emulators I use for my 80s class along with 
other software. Uh, <laughs> my iPad, which is mostly like a reader, you know, uh, Twitter, you know, uh, web kind of thing is too old. And I have an iPhone SE, uh, which is, which runs, fi- it isn't, you know, a power issue. And I, I stand very firmly behind that form factor and like it fits in your hand. You don't need one of those weird little buttons on the back to like, it is a normal size phone in my world. Uh, but unfortunately every other phone is much bigger. And I did notice that and it hasn't been an issue before. Like I've played plenty of Hearthstone on this thing, uh, and been able to, you know, tell what everything is and not really think about the size of my phone, but definitely there's a lot of the games I've played here. Uh, like Assemble with Care, which I think we'll talk about first. Uh, mm-hmm. I could play it, but it is definitely being designed for a, a bigger screen than I got. You know, the details mm, okay. and all of that kind of stuff. And it's, it has it has gotten in the way. Yeah, it, it definitely feels like with these subs- subscription services, possibly with the uh, exception of Game Pass, but I think I guess of like Google Stadia slash Google Caveat coming out of just the difficulty of these kind of play anywhere services but maybe in a couple of years, this will have all been ironed out. You know, th- th- we'll all have better devices or whatever. We'll be able to access these in a, in a, a, a better way. But it definitely feels like this opening salvo of Apple, Apple Arcade was an awkward one for me, not having a cutting edge Apple device that I'm willing to sacrifice all my programs to to update. <laughs> so doing it as part of an update was, I'm sure, technically necessary, but it was disappointing. Yeah, it's interesting as well that a lot of these uh, systems have very different interaction methods. You know, there's a couple touchscreen devices on there, exclusively touchscreen. There's a couple that you can, I mean, the Apple Arc, uh, Apple TV, you can only control with a controller, presumably, or with the little remote that comes with it. The uh, Mac books have keyboard and mouse support. So, you know, building all these games to support these different control methods is uh, an interesting ask for the developers as well. And, the, uh, they, and they have not succeeded, as we will discuss. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. So let's, let's dive into the catalog and see what we think. Um, so while we will briefly touch on um, all the games in here, we uh, wanted to prioritize a few to talk about first, um, just to kind of get them out of the way here. Let's chat about Assemble with Care. This is one of the bigger games that um, was kind of one of the one of the headliners for Apple Arcade when it first came out. Uh, this is made by us too. We previously made Monument Valley. It's a game about repairing devices in a very kind of physical, hands-on kind of way. It, it reminds me a lot of uh, of the Room, um, the uh, the game, not the movie where you are rotating objects and and sliding little bits out and, you know, unscrewing screws and things like that. And it's all very hands-on um, as you're kind of replacing components in a simplified way. And it's all kind of built around a frame story of um, each level gives you a little bit of like interaction with characters in a certain town. And they start to kind of like interweave their stories together. And um, yeah, so uh, Thomas, what is your impression of Assemble with Care? So it's a very gentle experience. I'd say if anyone's played Florence uh, on mobile, this is very, very much the mm. same. It's pretty much the same thing, uh, slightly more involved. And like you say, this sort of tactile idea of having a screwdriver to unscrew the screws from the back plate of a neon light to then find uh, the power inside. But it's all very 
easy and nicely laid out and it's very difficult to kind of mess it up so as it's an incredibly like relaxing smooth experience it's like drinking a glass of milk and it's got this kind of um the way they've the the, the font and the the art um and the music is this fantastic like mid-80s like a Duran Duran or or um, Dire Straits album cover kind of aesthetic, <laughs> uh, and I I really dig it actually. And they've the story is very um, like a children's book for learning other languages, like like if you're English <laughs> but you're learning French. Yeah, that's true. The story of the book is very um, safe, you know, and low stakes. Uh, mind you, I've only played a couple of I've only played about an hour and a, and a bit of this to to be fair. So I don't know if it suddenly takes a much darker turn like doki doki uh literature club or something oh, like, that. like that i very much doubt it but uh yeah so it's, it's just goes set goes down super smooth really lovely music um and uh yeah but there's not too much to it so if you thought that florence was a bit of a bit of a hollow experience or whatever you might not find much more much more joy here but i don't know that the puzzles don't get more involved later on I suspect not because it feels very much like that mellow vibes type of design. Yeah, I kind of wish the puzzles did become a little bit more complex as they went on. It is very satisfying to interact physically with these different items, but it, it does remain pretty straightforward throughout. And the fact that the puzzle scenes can be done so quickly and the story scenes relatively go on for a fairly long amount of time it just kind of gives the game a little bit of a imbalance there um doing the things that i enjoy doing less and the things that i was a little bit more kind of so-so on for longer amounts of time but uh yeah um jesse what is your what is your take on this game i thought it was pretty cheesy uh, I mean, I, the, the puzzle stuff was fine. I do like, like that puzzle box is kind of, you know, an inverse of like kind of the escape roomy thing we talked about many weeks ago on A Fisherman's Tale. Uh, and I enjoy those sorts of <laughs> games. Uh, but the voice acting, I just found it really was nails on chalkboard for me. I mean, it was some combination of the way it was written and the, like, it, and the, the way it was written made the dialogue difficult to deliver no matter what without it being cloying. But the uh, the main actor did themselves no favors. Um, so I got halfway through it. And also, right, that because I'm on such a small screen, some of the fiddly stuff I kind of had. A, it, it's easy enough that even if I didn't know what an object was, you could kind of brute force it and just be like, well, what if I put this over here and it will kind of magnetically glom on and do the thing. I did enjoy the screwdriver. There is something weirdly satisfying about doing a little twirling motion on the on the touchscreen uh, and having the screw, you know, unlike in real life, just perfectly, you know, screw shut. It's fine. Mm. It's free. Whatever. It's Apple Arcade and, and you can probably finish it in like under an hour and a half, maybe. So why not? But yeah, I I pretty quickly started just reading the dialogue and whipping through that fast. That's fair. Yeah, I was, you know, I thought the story was kind of nice enough, but it didn't really do anything to win me over. Yeah, overall, I'm I'm of a kind of mixed opinion as well. Uh, I think it's a it's a pleasant enough experience, but it's not going to do anything that really really blows your mind in any remarkable way. Assemble with care. Uh, let's move on to another one that I, I think this is the game that really um, was the big winner for me. It's one of my like games of the year, honestly. Uh, this is Grindstone. Thomas, you also played this one. Yeah, also game of the year for me, or one of. 
Yeah, so this game is a pretty simple puzzle game, actually. You play as a little character on a grid of monsters. Of um, Each of them all take up like one little square. And they're all of different colors. You know, there's like three or four colors in any puzzle that you're in. And you draw little lines between the monsters. And you have to kind of like stay within the same color of monster as you're drawing a line around the map. And once you've drawn a line long enough or you've connected all the monsters of the same color, then you can you can hit the go button and watch your character slash through all these monsters and kill them and leave little chunks of them behind as well. It's it's quite cute and funny in a, in a morbid and gross kind of way. Yeah, yeah. The animation's absolutely brilliant. I, I'm really charmed by it. Yeah, this is made by Capybara Games, who had done uh, Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery and um, Below. Uh, a really, um, really excellent game, though. It's, I mean, for as simple as the premise is, it's a really, really intriguing and really fun gameplay loop. Um, yeah. I just, I, I, yeah, I just can't get enough of it. You know, it's um, very satisfying the the amount of kind of like power and and action there is there, but it has just enough gameplay challenge to make every puzzle just like a little tricky to think about, but never to the point at which it's like way overwhelming. You know, thank God it's in Apple Arcade and uh, and it's a finite game. There's 150 levels, and that's that. But it's a game I could potentially play forever. I actually had a bit of a problem. There was certain levels where I was just like, my, my kids were shouting at me. And my wife was like, when are you going to do this? I'm still playing Grindstone or staying on the toilet a bit longer than necessary just to to grind out another level. But that I, I found it so addictive in a in a good way. And there's no microtransactions, of course. They do have, it felt like they could have gone that way. Like there's enough kind of currency in the game even within a level, but also throughout the course of those 150 levels, they're just always stringing you along with a, a nice new treat. So whether it's a new weapon, so you get all of these extra weapons um, that modify what you can do in a particular go. So it might be you. there's a potion to start from a completely different square if you're in a really awkward spot. Um, because the, uh, the, the, the longer you're in a level, the more aggressive the enemies get the more likely it is you you are to get hit mm-hmm. and lose a life and potentially lose all the goodies you picked up in the level but you want to stay longer than you just opening the exit to the level you want to stay longer to get the extra stuff to get the chest that you need to unlock but you've got to get the key first and then to beat the kind of slightly harder monsters that turn up so you get this fabulous feeling of like Okay, so I've got these red guys here and that gets me to a grindstone that lets me change my color so I can get the reds to here, grindstone, blues all the way around this loop, get the key, open the treasure chest if I do the greens after that and then I hit that guy but I've lost 10 battle points and it's just stringing together these mad insane combinations that make you feel brilliant and it's not hard it wasn't it wasn't hard to get through every level and get you know the equivalent of 3 stars per level and and make it to the top of the mountain but it was so enjoyable and so moorish and a bit like with the gears 5 thing actually of kind of you get plenty of extra weapons and things to use but you can only pick three as a loadout and i found quite early on i found my favorite um set things that i wanted to take into each level and they pretty much saw me through the whole game um, but the levels are just interesting enough as you go from zone to zone. They introduce like new uh, enemies that articulate in a slightly different way and um, environmental hazards and pits of lava and things that you need to anticipate. I just and I just found it totally what a brilliant game. Definitely 
top three for me for the year. Uh, and I'm glad it's honest. I'm glad it's finished. I'm glad it's not like 350 hours in, uh, yeah. in, in a, in a deck builder or whatever. It's a game I, I, I loved. I deleted it from my phone to never return. And that's that. And, uh, and I feel really good about that actually. There's a, a couple things I would criticize. Um, my, my partner's also super into this game and she doesn't play any games. And so this is like really fun to see her have something that's like she can really get into. But she also spends a lot of the grindstones in the game. And then I come back and I'm like, where'd all the money go? <laughs> like we were, you know, obviously it's not the same as like children emptying their real life credit cards of the parents or anything like that. But it's still like we worked on this together. Like we had all this, all these resources built up and you just spent them. Uh, but that's okay. Um, I would say that the difficulty plateaus pretty quickly True, and it yeah. doesn't even really pick up in difficulty again until you're like a hundred levels in and you get to the temple levels and then it becomes more difficult again. But for a while it's kind of coasting at around the same level of difficulty. But I think that's, is, that's okay though. I mean, I, it's an appropriate level. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't mind that. I definitely agree. I felt that, but actually playing it as if you think about Candy Crush Saga, which my wife is addicted to, heavily addicted to and she kind of looked over i criticize her all the time about candy crush and then she looked over at me playing grindstone she's just like you're playing exactly the same thing i'm like no this is really designed this is well designed game which is (laughs) totally not true i felt like it was such a kind of i'm gonna grab a level of grindstone that i didn't when when it got to the super tough levels there's like one or two that you have to kind of hammer away at because they could change how easy it is to make chains you you're ideally you're making at least a chain of 10 monsters but there's some mm-hmm. levels where they mix up the enemies in such a way that you just can't do that so it becomes a lot more strategic um about what you are able to do and what you're not and they change the the, the win kind of the win status for each level as well so i think there's just about enough variety level to level and then when they kick you back to a kind of quote unquote more normal level less gimmicky with just a clean board full of enemies that can feel fun as well because you know what you're doing those levels are a bit easier you can make longer chains and that felt fun as well to just sort of for sure be the master of a level rather than face much resistance yeah overall it's a it's a super compelling really great little puzzle game uh i think one of the one of the biggest disadvantages that it has in being on apple arcade is that uh, it is kind of locked in Apple Arcade. You cannot purchase it as a standalone product anywhere. The only way to play it is to buy the subscription. So um, yeah, that's a bit unfortunate, but hopefully it comes to other devices soon. Hopefully it just goes as a purchasable on iOS and Android. And um, But yeah, it's a, it's an excellent little game. There's uh, so many fun little challenges. You could get it beat in the trial month, couldn't you? Oh yeah, for sure. But, uh, you know, it's just, it's a nice thing to just kind of have and always be able to turn to. I like having a little game I can play at night before I go to sleep. (laughs) It isn't as replayable as other types of games because a lot of the interesting challenges in each level, once you complete once, they are permanently solved. So going back to a level that you've already beaten, there's not a lot of reason to be there other than just grinding for resources. But, um, yeah, minor quibbles in the face of an excellently designed puzzle game. So that is Grindstone. Let's move on to Pilgrims. This is coming from Amanita Design, who you'll know from uh, Machinarium and the Samaros series, uh, Botanicula, uh, Chuchel. 
a bunch of really interesting point and click adventure games, oftentimes with minimal or zero text and uh, really excellent sound and music design is mm. kind of their thing. And uh, pretty much all of that carries forward to this game so yeah thomas what is your take on this one so i haven't played much it's got that if you love those games for their quirky art and hilarious character design you'll definitely get that from this they've thought they've been really smart it's a it's a phone game essentially it's designed i believe with the phone mainly in mind just the way that the puzzles articulate you it's a bit like having a deck of cards but the the cards are items like you get in an adventure game but you have to play your own character as a card but actually you start to pick up other people in your party that follow you around um and they have different uh they they articulate in different ways so you might want to choose a different character to interact with a location you arrive so you walk around a map And then you arrive at the river, for instance, and there's a person there and they want something. You've got to work out how to get it so that you can get the thing from them to have in your deck and then use that somewhere else. It's pretty so far. It's pretty straightforward uh, transactional adventure game like that. But the audio is some of the fun and and the character design and the animation is some of the funniest I've ever seen in a game. I'm actually like laughing out loud. There's this like horny devil that you get in your party earlier <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, he's my favourite. And you, you play him into the world and he just goes bah, 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 and his head spins around. And then and then when you play different items, you know, do the traditional adventure thing of like trying every item with everything, just the, the interactions between the characters are sometimes like laugh out loud funny and the sound design is just, the music is occasionally the music the music is brilliant but it does just sound like a drunk guy just like hitting a pot but it's brilliant mm. and it fits the world and it fits the design and then the, the voice acting um with no dialogue but it's just sort of vocal noises is absolutely hilarious with the the characters so i'd say even if you were playing it for half an hour just for the to access the charm of the world it's well worth it it will make you giggle and unlike a lot of point and click adventure games this one uh, the puzzles have multiple solutions, which is interesting. You see an entire grid of cards uh, whenever you solve one of the rooms, so to speak. And it kind of gives you a little indication of what happened there. And then there are so many blank spots when the game is left over that you kind of get this idea of like, oh, man, there's so many little interactions and scenes I never uncovered and solutions to these puzzles that just, you know, completely eluded me and so it, there's replayability in a way that there isn't usually in point and click adventure games mm. there's a little bit of uh, monkey island in there do you find because because monkey mm-hmm. island a part of it is finding those jokes uh, by by combining yeah. items in in funny ways with funny things or, or things you're not supposed to do but there's a funny outcome so i feel like they've taken the spirit of that and added an extra layer on top of just solving solving the core game I think the visual design is is really pleasant as always. Um, it's visuals are stylized, but kind of grotesque in a in a way, but like in a way that is kind of cute and fun as well. So all in all, it it all kind of comes together in a really nice package. I've played maybe an hour and a half of it or so, and I I basically agree with everything you said. It's it's really nice, and yeah, it looks it's nice and simple, and it is sort of like a point and click adventure boiled down to just a really easy user interface that's very charming and looks great even on a little tiny phone like mine and yeah i look forward to playing more of it great that is pilgrims i'd recommend that one it's a nice little you can finish it pretty quickly and then uh, play it again if you want 
Uh, so this next one, another real highlight and another one of uh, my games of the year. I really enjoy this one, Sayonara Wild Hearts. Uh, this is one I became acquainted with back at Nintendo when I was working there because um, we were doing some uh, marketing for it and it just kind of like disappeared for a while. And then I saw it on Apple Arcade and I was like, oh, that's why. <laughs> it is a uh, it's a very, very strange game. It It plays kind of like a rail shooter in a way. It's all very like linear and you are just kind of reacting to things as it happen. There's a uh, bits of kind of rhythm action in there. There's bits of, of shooting and free control. There's um, yeah, really odd things. I would say to describe it, it is a very Sega game. <laughs> um, it was not made by Sega, but it has so many, all the touch points I can think of, you know, nights into dreams and Bayonetta and Re- res, of course, res. Yeah. Um, are all just like Sega games. Uh, so yeah, it, it has that kind of like lineage to it. And, um, I, I absolutely love it. It's, uh, it, it has a very, very strong aesthetic to it. Uh, it has a really strong soundtrack that, is like a really kind of nice pumping synth punk type of not synth punk necessarily a synth wave uh, soundtrack yeah synth pop sure um type of soundtrack very very strong and it plays really nicely with the gameplay um the the levels are all very um kind of right line between being interpretive and uh very imaginative uh they kind of play out like a like a web music video, you know, more than anything, it, it it's less about like contiguous spaces and more about just like experiencing something cool, mm. riding a motorcycle through the city or riding a, a deer through the forest or something like that. Um, but it, it's very, very punchy, very rhythm. You, could, you could watch this game. Couldn't, couldn't you on, on YouTube? Yeah. If you wanted just the aesthetic experience, because it's a pretty hard twitchy game. But if you were cu- well, curious I mean, it about is and it, it isn't because there's no real fail state. I mean, mm. there are some fail states that'll put you back a few seconds, but like, it's not going to fail you out of a song like it would in rock band, you know, like <laughs> you can just, it, it would just give you kind of poor rankings towards the end, but it, it's very low friction. There's some points in the game. I found, I would almost say some levels, the design wasn't perfect because I was hitting the same obstacle over and over again, and it was just yeah. looping me back, looping me back. And then it would say, do you want to skip this bit? It's like, no, I don't want to skip this bit. I want you not to put start me just a second before I slam into something. And then for me, unfortunately, that I played half the game the first time around with the touch controls on iPhone, and I can just uh, I can only just say they're broken, just totally broken. Yeah, touch controls are not very good. On because this you, one. you swipe across, and it's so slow. And you have to, you can't even swipe from the far side of the screen to the other side of the screen in one go. You have to kind of fling your finger across multiple times. And then I, I finally got the, uh, the uh, realized, remembered I could, um, you know, Bluetooth a, a PlayStation controller. And it's an entirely different experience, albeit when I had to like clip my iPhone in front of my face somehow <laughs> so that i could then hold the controller while i was lying back in bed so altogether very awkward experience for me overall but but the the music and the visuals and the synesthetic qualities of it i mean daniel olsen has just and uh, jonathan Engin in, in parts and is a, a beautiful singer as well have made this just incredible synth pop album but they've also taken they've done some cover versions of my favorite debussy tracks as well claire de lune and on the soundtrack album is Reverie, which I don't know 
where that turns up in the game but the the consistency and the music's always playing you load up the game and there's this really in your face synth pop song right on the menu and then there's just always music playing even before you jump into a level they've got this preview version of the song and then the 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 tracks themselves are really special as a as a game soundtrack if you like your your churches or or that kind of thing you might not judge it that well against kind of the, the best electro pop out there synth pop out there but it's way better than a lot of what i've ever heard in the game so i found it yeah really fantastic bewilderingly frustrating the, <laughs> for the first half and then i've had to go back and and replay those earlier levels just to enjoy them I know that uh, Leon was saying on the Slack that he didn't really appreciate this game this much. And I, I totally understand it. It's not a precise game. You know, it's, it's one that's more about the experience than it is about the gameplay, so to speak. But I just, oh man, it was just constantly surprising to me. I loved the energy and the inventiveness of it. I just, you know, this is one of my top games of the year. Like I just couldn't get enough of like how, like what a game, you know, like what an experience. The The bit with the, with the twins is just like one of the best things I've ever experienced. One of the most incredible frustrating things. (laughs) That's true. But like, what a, what a setup. Yeah. That is a spectacular. The the only part that I really didn't care for was, uh, the VR helmet section was like, it felt like a real kind of lull in the creativity and energy towards the middle of the game, which, you know, for a game that was pretty consistently high quality all throughout its relatively short runtime, having a having a chapter that didn't really work kind of stood out more than it would in any other game. But, you know, if all that you can say about it is that there was one chapter that was only good instead of great, then that's uh, that's a, still a pretty good review. Mm. And that there is something frustrating about when you say there's no fail state, the fail state is is getting a bronze when you thought you had a good run yeah. you know you're always going to get a bronze silver or gold and it, it if you, you the first time you play through you might be getting silvers and you're not quite sure why because you just sort of the first time you play it you're you're just flinging yourself into the game and it's so propulsive and the music just blows your hair back you, sometimes the levels are quite sh- surprisingly short and then surprisingly long in others that you'll just sort of finish a level and be totally surprised that it's over and you got quite a good score and then the next time you'll just be uh, you know hitting the same walls and, and getting a really bad score so yeah i i don't have the energy i think to go back and try and get like gold award on everything but it is a it is a an experience the first time through if you can play it consistently all the way through ideally on a bigger screen or the biggest screen you can get it on whether that's switch on the tv or a bigger ipad or something like that or the mac rather than the iphone i, I heavily recommend it and absolutely do not play it with touch controls um just doesn't work at all i don't know what it's like on an ipad um, but on an iPhone, it was really fundamentally um, getting in the way of enjoying the game. Jesse, did you play this one? I did, but I played it on my... I thought it was just my the tininess of my phone that made... Like, my thumb was bigger than the game, basically. <laughs> but yeah, I will have to... I have an Apple TV. I don't know if it's got enough juice that it wouldn't stutter and all that. But I, I, I should give that PlayStation controller trick a shot. Because I've heard great things about this. And it looked great, and I enjoyed those first few levels getting my bronzes you know with my fat thumb but (laughs) it wasn't yeah it it was clearly not the intended experience no and you need a big fat pair of headphones i think as well ideally to 
because the music is everything to the experience. I think you've got to play it, you know, with a chunky, chunky old pair on your head. It's also available on Switch and the Epic Game Store on PC. So um, plenty of places to check it out if you're interested. Uh, I would give this one a big recommend. At least watch it because it's a it's a stunning game and one that I was very happy to have experienced. Yeah, let's move on to the next game. This is What the Golf. This is one that uh, has been kind of out in the out in the um, the circuit of uh, trade shows for a little while now. It's been a fun little demo to to happen across from time to time, but. Um, yeah, got its its 1.0 release alongside Apple Arcade, and it is a fantastic, wacky, unpredictable golf game. Every level kind of utilizes a common uh, vocabulary to an extent of <laughs> golf metaphor uh, control schemes, but it's all so unpredictable that like every single level you are doing something different than you've ever done before. It's just random, random angry, but angry birds, isn't it? You're, you're, you're flinging something physically, but you have no idea what you're flinging or where you're flinging it until you, until you get there. And there's just awesome puns throughout. Yeah. I, I like these types of games where you just really have to think on your feet every time. Sometimes you'll be just kind of knocking a golf ball into a hole. Sometimes the hole will be running away from you. <laughs> Sometimes you will be pulling back to hit the golf ball and then the golfer will go flying instead. Uh, sometimes you'll be driving around cars or soccer balls, or sometimes you'll be in a rocket. <laughs> it, it, it's it's an unpredictable, yeah. It's completely like a wild, mad array of just completely off the wall gameplay, uh, gameplay things with really no rhyme or reason except just to kind of like tell little funny interactive jokes. Which is, uh, I'm up for that. And there's quite a lot to it. There's quite a lot of levels, aren't there? And then there's extra challenges on the levels. I found I found mm-hmm. myself enjoying the joke on day one of Apple Arcade, you know, downloading all these apps and just finding this one the most instantly accessible and funny and charming. I haven't really, you know, I've gone back to it a couple of times. I, You know, I don't care about seeing every corner of the game. Um, it does... You know, it's quite light in that way. Um, but uh, yeah, really leaves a warm, warm taste in the in the mouth, as it were. Yeah, I was impressed at, and this will sound sarcastic, but it's not, I was impressed at how easy it was in the sense of how confident they are to burn through material. Yeah. You can go back to stuff and do challenges, but it is like, you know, the, the, the median number of attempts that will take you on a level is like two or three. Like some are tougher, some of them you'll get on the first try. And it is almost like a, you know, an airplane movie, like the, the comedy airplane, <laughs> where it's just like, let's just, you know, keep the pace up. Not They're not all going to be winners, but like, you know, you're going to laugh at that and move on to the next thing. And yeah, it was, I, I dip in and out. It's very charming. I like the, there's a nice macro structure to it where to get to the different holes, you're kind of shooting a golf ball through this giant complex of different, you know, areas and stuff. So it actually... For a zany kind of game, it is nicely coherent. And, and yeah, the basic fundamental, it is, it is kind of the exact opposite of desert golfing, but also kind of has the same appeal of like the, the, the tuning of the pull back and shoot the thing feels good whatever you're shooting. I mean, it does. That is a fanta- fantastic contrast, isn't it? Desert Golf is just this ultra compulsive phone golf game. And this is also similarly compulsive golf phone golf game. But the 
the rappers could not be different. Uh, could not be more different. I feel like this game kind of overstays its welcome a little bit. It gets a little long into in the tooth towards the end. Uh, I love that they have all these ideas and, you know, great that they want to get them all out there. Um, there were some kind of checkpoint gates throughout the um, throughout the progression through the game that require you to go back and gain some of the mastery points on some of the levels, which if you aren't in the game for the mastery element of it, doesn't really play to what I found the most interesting about the game. You know, I'd have to go back and kind of play the game to win instead of just kind of experiencing the jokes, which is what I appreciated more. Uh, and sometimes they would tell different jokes on these higher mastery levels. And so, you know, maybe it was worth seeing a few of them, but I just, I don't see myself going back to 100% it, but I really enjoyed the time I had with it. So that is What the Golf. Uh, we are going to now circle back towards the top of the alphabetical list and go through the rest of Apple Arcade. Bear with us, everyone. Uh, it'll be pretty quick from here on out, I'd imagine. <laughs> first ones first. Let's start with Agent Intercept. This is a Spy Hunter-like game, uh, but more in the vein of the N64 3D Spy Hunter rather <laughs> than the old 2D arcade games. It controls reasonably well. It's, it's a very nicely stylized game. You play this orange car that's kind of like zipping around this uh, three-dimensional space going on these kind of exciting like on rails uh car chases and everything yeah it it has fairly forgiving objectives but i didn't really enjoy the game that much presentation's a nice fine line between kind of 70s spy film posters and a painterly style it, it blends really nicely but yeah i don't know it just didn't really uh didn't really capture my imagination that much Moving now onto Atone Heart of the Elder Tree is a narrative-driven RPG set in a Nordic setting. Um, there's some puzzle solving. There's some rhythm action scenes, oddly enough. Uh, it, it seems neat, but um, came off to a bit of a slow start. Uh, nothing wrong with that. But um, I just don't really find myself really wanting to play a big kind of like read em up on, uh, on phones. Um, it has a really nice style and... Um, Seems to have some kind of intriguing gameplay hooks, but uh, yeah, I, I just kind of dipped in and out on that one. Ballistic Baseball comes next. Uh, this is a uh, pretty good baseball game, actually. I uh, I didn't know what to expect, although it's been years since I've played a baseball video game, so I don't know how it compares to what you know the the modern standard is. But uh, I was surprised by kind of how well it works. Um, you cycle between being the pitcher and the hitter. Uh, there's not a lot of uh, fielding or anything going on, um, but it's just kind of nice, like tapping in certain areas and and um, and hitting little kind of like quick time things to make sure that the the ball goes where you want it to go. Um, it has some really fun animations, a really readable art style, um, some good controls. Uh, you you really only ever hit or pitch, so yeah, pretty simple. Um, don't see myself going back to it, but it's a uh, it's a nice enough baseball game if that's what you're looking for. Is it basically an action game, or are you like managing players and like switching things out? No, yeah, it's just the action of of hitting and pitching. I, I don't think there was any kind of like team management stuff and, on uh, there. And lastly, what makes it ballistic? <laughs> I'm not sure actually. It might have just been the nice little alliteration uh, gotcha. that they had going on, but. Um, it, it is a very kind of like cartoony, uh, stylized presentation. So, you know, I, I'd imagine they probably take some liberties with uh, <laughs> character strengths later on. Anyways, this next one is one of the real standouts. It is Bleak Sword, published by Devolver Digital. 
And that was one of the launch titles on the Apple Arcade. And uh, I was very impressed by this. It is a uh, kind of a top-down-ish action game with a very, very minimal art style. It's a black backgrounds with um, what looks like character sprites you would see on like an Atari 2600, like that kind of like ultra reductionistic stylized, but better animated than anything you would see back then. So kind of a nice blend of styles. And then it's all taking place on like a cube of land. Like it was like plucked from the earth or something and just kind of floating in space. Yeah. I mean, it's not the same as uh, down well or minute, but other devolver Mm -hmm. games, but I put it in sort of general family of that, that that kind of minimalistic, clear, incredibly clear kind of. Yes. Uh, for an action game played with touchscreen controls, it works remarkably well. Yeah. I thought that, uh, you know, you use your left thumb to move around using kind of a virtual stick. And then you use your right thumb to either tap to do a quick little slash with your sword in any direction. You can uh, hold it down to like charge up a, a swing, which will allow you to both kind of parry or unleash a more powerful attack or um, block as well. Kind of keep your shield up. And uh, it's it's really intense. There's, um, you know, you, you roll out of the way of monsters. It feels a lot like Bloodborne or Dark Souls, you know, in a way, um, but just very yeah. like paired back to the basics. I, I really like this one. Yeah, I was surprised. I haven't played a huge amount of it, but I do want to go back to it. And yeah, I mean, even on my tiny SE, it was very playable. And yeah, I was never every time I got hit, it felt like my fault, which was very surprising, yeah. you know, as in Dark Souls. And yeah, it, I, I had the same thought of it, def- you know, very different, but the same kind of moderate pace, right? Where it's it's yeah. twitchy, but it's not frenetic. It's it's real solid. For being such an abstract art style, it's surprisingly atmospheric. Like the weather effects, like the rain and everything look really good. Mm-hmm. And really, the sound effects really sell it. And it really kind of puts you in a place. No, I, I don't know who the developer is, but it... Uh, I wonder if they've done anything else because it's, it's got a very particular, yeah, a very strong aesthetic. As with, I mean, Devolver is just impressive in general in that they are, you know, it is like, I don't know, 4AD or some record label where you kind of know what you're getting and it's different every time. Mm. But like they've got an aesthetic and this fits very well, I feel like, in their you know catalog of games they can kind of show it off with. This is their, uh, their Dead Can Dance, if I maintain the 4AD <laughs> Anyway. It's Bleak Sword. I would recommend that one. Definitely give it a look. Next one is The Bradwell Conspiracy, which is a first-person puzzle exploration game. You know this type of game. It is, uh, yeah, I would say it's uh, it's pretty ambitious to get this running on an iPad. It, it worked reasonably well, but you could tell it was kind of like pushing the power of the particular model that I owned, which is like a 2019 model. So we're going to run up against this a few times uh, during uh, this rundown of games. It's, it's kind of neat. Uh, you are connected radio connected to a helper character uh not an uh, not another player but um somebody who's kind of assisting you along the way and you can send information back and forth by using uh taking photographs of your environments and so sometimes you know you can send her a photo and she can tell you a combination of something or maybe you need to kind of coordinate doing something um on two sides of a wall by sending photos back and forth um, I, I didn't get that far into the game, but it's uh, it's an interesting idea. I, I wouldn't recommend it, uh, recommend playing it on uh, touchscreen controls. And I feel like I got kind of lost and turned around into dead ends more than I would like to in this mm. type of game. But um, overall, 
it's uh i had a i had a, a surprisingly good first impression of it uh, that one is also out on uh, pc at least uh as if not other platforms as well next one is big time sports which is a kind of collection of mini games all of them based around different sporting events. So um, it has a very minimalist art style. Uh, it made me think of uh, Cricket Through the Ages, which is another game that we're going to be touching on pretty quickly here. But everyone has really, really large limbs and really tiny heads. <laughs> I, I find it very kind of unappealing to look at, but it's functional. I just, I don't really like the small heads. It's a series of mini games based on different sports. It's uh, pretty thoroughly okay, I would say. It didn't really... I didn't really fall in love with any of them. Um, basketball and diving were my favorites, but some of them like uh, skateboarding are, are really rough. And I, I don't know I, if I can really recommend this to anyone. It was kind of a uh, jack of all trades and master of none type of thing. It's like, okay, you feel this kind of spread a bit thin. Mm. But uh, this next one is, is an interesting title. Uh, this is Card of Darkness. Uh, this is one that you've experienced as well, another card game. Oh, yeah. No, this is the one I've played by far the most of. This is a Zach Gage title who consistently makes excellent games on mobile. Yes, he is. Uh, and again, hopefully my last disclosure, I think. I've actually worked with Zach. I was the developer mm. on, he did a board game, card game called Guts of Glory 2013 that I was the developer on. So I've known him for a while, uh, have enjoyed all his games. But I will say that I've played a lot more of this one than, I mean, Zach's a very interesting guy. and you know, has a very particular aesthetic approach where his other games are kind of norm core, right? They're very deliberate, yeah. like Spell Tower, um, the the solitaire games. He actually, I teach a, a class on traditional card games uh, at NYU, and he comes in every semester I teach it to talk about his traditional card games that he's made and, you know, play some of the student ones. I really enjoy them, but I don't get as deep into them as, like, they're incredibly successful at appealing to this kind of like audience of normal people who have not necessarily experienced a game of that aesthetic caliber that is actually targeted towards them. And whereas Card of Darkness is much more of like a nerd gamer kind of game. And for yeah. whatever reason, I've just, you know, and, and it's just a delightful, strategic kind of roguelite, puzzly, you know, it's cards, but you're really, you know, you're, there's an enormous variety of enemies that you know, appear in all the different levels that all have different powers. You have to kind of think through. You have a bunch of different powers. I mean, it is very not like Slay the Spire, but clearly I am the type of person who is attracted to a, a, a certain type of game. They do both fall in that category. This is a game that has art by Pendleton Ward, who uh, did the Adventure Time series of, of television shows, which Actually, I feel like this feels less like his art style than does Grindstone. Um, so it's kind of surprising to see that he was attached to this one and not that one. But uh, yeah, I, I feel like my only real complaint is that it starts off really, really hard. It doesn't really give you a lot of like warming up to the the kind of multiple asks that the game makes of you um, as you're going through it. It's... Um, yeah, it's there's there's a lot of different kind of requirements, you know, of getting uh, I, I really like the kind of matching even even an odd number attacks mm -hmm. versus monsters. And, and that's a nice little card game thing. What I don't really like as much is that you have to finish any stack of cards that you that you attack that you start. We're probably talking jargon for people who haven't played the game. It's a little bit too complicated to give like a quick high level review of. 
one complaint that you, I mean, I would say the two complaints I could make are it's it's swingy in a way that doesn't always work, and it does punish you for exploring in a way that is a very interesting tactical choice, but does not necessarily feel great. And I think that's what you're getting. Like, if you if you yeah, yeah. take the top card of a pile of cards, you are committed to that pile. Um, and there might be horrible, horrible things in there that end up ending your run. Yeah. And yeah, it is, it is, I have not finished it. I've, I've definitely hit a point where I'm beating my head against it a little bit and enjoying it, but, but yeah, it is not a casual game. And I definitely have to, unlike sometimes Slay the Spire, I'm, I'm going to have to, you know, turn off the podcast and really yeah. think hard about every move. Yeah. But an interesting game and definitely one that I want to return to after, uh, yeah, now that I'm all caught up. Next one, also a card game, Card Apocalypse. I, I don't really have a strong desire. I'm not like a big card game type. Um, so this is a Hearthstone-like game in hmm. which you play a kind of a card game amongst your friends on the school bus. You're a little kid um, in a wheelchair. That's a nice little bit of a representation there. I, I appreciate that. There's a frame story kind of built around it of this kid going to a new school and playing this card game against his friends. But uh, I, I can't really give that much insight into like how good or how poor of a card game it is because I don't really know the genre that well. So I miss this one. Yeah. I'll, have to, I'll download it and uh, we'll record another five hours. <laughs> cool, cool. Next one, Cat Quest 2. I, I missed <laughs> Cat Quest 1. That wasn't one that I had really heard of before, but this one is actually really solid. Mm. It's a very cute game. Lots of uh, great cat and dog puns. You're in a essentially a medieval kingdom that's made up of cats and dogs and other kind of like little pet creatures. Um, but they're all like dressed in little outfits and they have weaponry and they're building towns and stuff like that. It's very kind of like medieval and, and cute. But um, so it, it's like a like an RPG, but it has very minimalist inputs that I think work really well for. Um, for an iPad, especially um, the uh, the music is beautiful. The art design is just fantastic. Um, but essentially, you just kind of like you you point your finger somewhere on the map, and then your character will just walk in a straight line towards that point, and you can kind of like trace it around to make the character follow different pathways and stuff. But as you come to enemies, you tap on them, and then it, it initiates kind of a like an EverQuest like auto attack sequence. And then you can swipe your finger to roll out of the way of their counterattacks. So very simple battle system, very simple exploration system. There's some, you know, kind of light puzzles you're solving along the way and picking up loot and equipping your cat and dog character with all sorts of different things. But overall, it just seems um, it seems really pleasant. I'd say that the the dodging in combat is a little bit fiddly, but overall, um, I came up with a pretty positive impression, and it seems like a, a really nice project. Hmm, sounds good. Next one is a uh, another blast from the past. This is Choo Choo Rocket Universe, a sequel to Choo Choo Rocket. It is a uh, pretty nice puzzle game set at a very relaxing pace, um, easy to experiment with very little pressure. If you know Choo Choo Rocket, you kind of know what to expect. Um, it does a uh, kind of does the Geometry Wars three thing of wrapping all these Choo Choo Rocket levels around different shapes of three D objects that you're kind of like marching your little mice around. But overall, it still kind of behaves like a two D plane, so you can just kind of think of it like, like traditional Choo Choo Rocket. It has really nice graphical presentation. The menus are fun to navigate, and uh, yeah, it's kind of what you would expect it to be i uh i enjoyed my time with it next is uh one that i found uh very surprising actually this is cricket through the ages 
I know nothing about cricket because I live in America, but it's a fascinating game because this is also published by Devolver Digital. It, it leans a little bit more into the comedy aspect of the game, but it's a 2D side on starts off. It's kind of like a WarioWare type of no, I don't even want to say that. It just kind of puts you, throws you into random scenarios kind of throughout time, different time periods. If you're cavemen fighting against dinosaurs or knights jousting against each other, stuff like that. But it all controls in with a certain like similar vocabulary of uh, elements. Uh, so, you know, you can hold down on the touchscreen to swing your arm around and move forward. And you can tap to kind of like get your character to quap backwards a little bit. Um, it's all very wacky. It's all very floaty and not meant to be very precise. If you're holding an object that can be thrown, then you hold down on the screen to start rotating your arm. And then when you release, that is when it's thrown in whatever direction it ends up going. It's not meant to be something that you can really like get good at. You're always supposed to feel a little bit under not quite under control. It's a, one of those kind of wacky, random physics-y type of games. But what I found really surprising is that once I got through the uh, time travel type section of it, where, you know, you're going through all these different periods of time, I got towards the end of that. I got into the, the far future where people were kind of fighting for survival against some mutant crab creatures. <laughs> and uh, instead of dropping me to credits at the end of that, it dropped me to a menu and it was like, okay, now the second level, it basically dropped me in a pretty straight laced, obviously still with a very tongue in cheek sense of humor and the uh, wacky physics system uh, guiding it, a game of cricket. And I realized it kind of Mr. miyagi me into knowing how to play cricket. Oh, wow. So oh my God, it, I need this then. Yeah, it, it, it's really interesting because, you know, it is still like a wacky simula uh, wacky game that is not meant to be like a simulation of cricket, but like right. it still drops a bunch of really random elements into it. But like they started, you know, talking about like the different aspects of the scoring system and the way like the objective of cricket and all of that. And I was like, oh, yeah, I get that because. I did that to a dinosaur. I did that to a knight. I did that in the Renaissance or whatever. And it's like all these things kind of came together. And I'm like, oh, cool. This actually plays a pretty good game of cricket. <laughs> wow. Yeah. No, that is because, uh, yeah, Bennett uh, made sure that we have cricket as one of our games in our Games 101 mm. course. And I've heard, a, you know, a eight minute explanation of it. And I still find it. I, I, I don't believe it exists. And I feel like this game <laughs> might actually finally convince me otherwise. Yeah, and it, it's pretty funny consistently throughout. There's some really great deadpan narration uh, in between some of the interstitial levels, which I, I really like. Um, it's still a little bit too wacky and random to feel competitive. And I feel like they could have made it competitive just by kind of like retooling it a little bit and just give that as an option for people. But obviously, that's not really what they were going for. And uh, I think they achieved something really special with this. So it eventually turns into like, playing badminton badminton and playing uh and fighting wars against each other that play a lot like nidhog where you're kind of like battling to the opponent's side of the screen uh there's tons of content and variety in here that's just like really really different from what you've been doing before so it's a it's a fascinating game <laughs> i would uh i would recommend playing it and um if you're playing it single player it'll put you in like uh, it'll put you in scenarios where there is a fail state to um, to losing cricket matches against your opponent. 
Um, if you don't like that, because again, the game is very random, you can just play it in multiplayer and just play both characters yourself. And that fail state goes away. You can progress through the game and it's still kind of just as wacky and fun. So I, I would recommend doing it that way instead of uh, going through it honestly. <laughs> hmm. uh, next, Dead End Job. This is a um, this is kind of like a twin stick shooter where you play as a uh, grotesque looking kind of Ren and Stimpy ish character uh, who is <laughs> essentially like a freelance Ghostbuster. Um, he has a little photon pack on his back and he goes around these different locations and office building or whatever and just tries to like zap all the ghosts that are in it. It does not control very well with touchscreen controls with an actual controller uh, may be better, but I, uh, I was not really that inspired to, uh, to give it another shot with that. Yeah. It has a very appealing cartoon style, but yeah, not, not really a fan of what I have played. Next game is called Dear Reader. It uses chapters of classic literature of actual books and it removes or mixes up words to make little word games that you can kind of sort out as you read through actual chapters of real books like Pride and Prejudice. And um, I don't know whether it's procedural or whether they... Oh, no, this... it's all bespoke. This is okay. another <laughs> disclosure. I work with these people, too. Oh, great, great. Uh, this is uh, Eric Zimmerman, uh, who has a long history, uh, does a lot, does the GDC design challenge uh and there's been a rules of play which is a, a big major work of games uh sort of textbooks uh it's it's him and uh several other people and yeah i know they've been they've been actually working on this for years and it i don't know how the apple arcade deal worked but it was definitely this was a game that had already been uh putting together uh and yeah i'm pretty sure it's just all bespoke like content essentially yeah, I, I think it's a it's a pretty nice little concept. Like I like that it's kind of putting me back into these classic literature pieces that I've uh ignored <laughs> due to my own detriment, of course. Uh and it, you know, for whatever little bit of cultural literacy it gives me while playing a uh, a nice little word game. I, I actually appreciate this one. Yeah, I find it it's funny in that Wilmot's warehouse kind of way, right? It is metacognitive. I can't play too much mm -hmm. of this because I do find because I play was one of the playtesters a little bit, and for me, trying to read the thing and solve the thing really contraindicated each other. Whereas for other playtesters, it seemed to actually focus them and like it made it mm. like they would remember the the content more and stuff like that. So, but it's free. So download it and like either you'll have my brain and kind of bounce off it a little or you'll have their brain and absolutely adore it and finally read Pride and Prejudice and other fine top quality public domain books. Yeah, it has a really nice soundtrack as well. Overall, just a really pleasant kind of like a armchair experience, I would say. Next on the list is Decoherence or Decoherence. This is an overhead strategy game. You get randomly generated room of uh, differently shaped walls. You kind of place a base somewhere in this this room of walls. It's kind of a little labyrinthy. It's very small. Uh, it feels kind of like a paintball course, I guess you could say. And then you place little robots that you can use to defend your base. And the enemy has robots that it places as well. And basically, like, the gameplay portion of it mostly takes place in the prep session. Um, and then it kind of plays out and you can just see how good of a job you did of preparing yourself for the oncoming onslaught of robots. But, um, yeah, I'm not like a big tower defense type of person. This one has a little bit of, uh, 
you can kind of put yourself into a first person and, and play along with the, with that as well as one of your robots. But um, I, I don't know. The graphics were very blurry for some reason. And uh, I'm just not really that intrigued to continue. Uh, next one is Discolored. This is another 3D exploration puzzle game. Touchscreen controls on this one, I will say, first of all, are very tedious. Uh, the virtual thumbstick you use with your left hand um, move is pretty good, just what you expect it to be. Uh, you swipe to look around, but it's not very sensitive, meaning to like look in a different direction. You just have to make like a lot of jerky little swipes, which is uh, annoying. Uh, and then you tap in the center of the screen to interact with things, which I'd imagine is fine on your phone, but with a big screen like the iPad, and if you're holding it and like using your thumbs to play the game, then that means you just have to like reposition your hand to get it towards the like middle of the screen. And uh, overall, I didn't find that part really worked for me. Um, these are mostly kind of like black and white worlds that you're experiencing as you enter paintings and then you restore color to the world by solving puzzles. Um, it seems kind of intriguing. I, I, I might play it if it would, were to come to another platform where I can use kind of proper controls, but the controls are just so bad that it really just put me off playing. So not one for me. Next is Dodo Peak. Uh, you're on a mountainside uh, as a dodo collecting dodo eggs. You swipe to move one block in any of the four directions, um, either sideways across the mountain lanes or up and down um up and down the mountain as you uh, pass both moving and stationary objects. It's kind of like Frogger in a way. Uh, the one interesting wrinkle is that all of the dodo birds that you rescue tail you as you make your way back up the mountain. So you can kind of like extract them, so to speak, and uh, they can be eaten by moving enemies. And so, you know, instead of just trying to protect yourself like Frogger, you're just trying to keep your one block safe you also have to kind of keep in mind the more dodos you have the more space there is for them to potentially come to harm overall a bit mediocre i don't really so much see myself going back to it uh yeah eh. <laughs> there's going to be a little bit of that on here next one don't bug me another kind of tower defense base defender type game set on another planet uh, you're protecting a machine gathering solar energy space bugs approach in waves uh, you must use the solar energy that you're building, uh, that you're collecting to build towers that can fire missiles at the little bugs. Um, the towers only last for a certain amount of time. You can enter first person mode and shoot the guns yourself, shoot the bugs with a gun yourself uh, with a very limited amount of ammo that recharges uh, fairly slowly. It's a very slow game um, that doesn't really give up that much of a uh, uh, first impression. So I knocked that one on the head pretty quickly. <laughs> Down in Bermuda, this one's actually really nice. It's a uh, kind of a 3D hidden object game in a way. You are on these really kind of nice 3D islands. Uh, you play kind of a God's eye perspective and you can rotate these scenes um, that take place on these um, these little islands. It's all in a, like a nice kind of flat f uh, faux 2D style. And you can swipe to to look around and find little orbs and objects hidden all throughout the uh, all throughout the island, there's lots of like buttons and levers and stuff that you can activate contraptions and move stuff around. It's kind of uh, kind of like the room, the game, you know, it's very hands on. The uh, controls could take a bit of work. It abandons the way that uh, most of these types of games control kind of bafflingly. You can't pinch to zoom and then rotating feels all wrong, which 
should be kind of something that is pretty standard, especially if it's made for touchscreen. There's a maximum scroll speed and it's a bit too slow, um, but overall a pretty pleasant game and one that I might go back to. Uh, next one is called Earth Knight. This is one that I, uh, this was actually a 2016 Vita game um, that I saw uh, first when it was uh, coming to Nintendo Switch. And it's a wildly creative topic and one that I've actually spun off into a uh, a pitch on Playwright. So um, I, I really love the concept more than the execution, I would say. Um, you jump from an airship like way up in space and skydive. And then as you are skydiving, you can kind of like there's all these these kind of long snake like dragons flying around in the air and you are trying to skydive onto their back. And then from there. It turns into an endless runner as you run along the backs of these dragons. You jump over obstacles and try to get to the head of the dragon so you can, like, kill it, I guess. Overall, like, the art is terrific. The character sprites are super expressive and really, really well designed. I, I love everything about the game except for playing it, which is <laughs> unfortunate because that's a pretty big portion of it. So, yeah, I don't know. I feel like the endless runner section is a bit disappointing um, in, in light of everything else, but uh, it's. Obviously, a lot of love went into it. I love the concept. I'd love to see people do something else with it, just not this specifically, I would say. Next, The Enchanted World is a sliding block, sliding block puzzle game set in a beautiful low-poly world. Um, you are a witch trying to get somewhere. Uh, she appears to be a flower witch or some sort of like a, a flora witch of some kind. She can make flowers bloom on things. Um, and then as you are kind of moving through your environment, following this pathway through the woods, sections of the pathway will turn into like sliding block puzzles and you have to slide them around to get the blocks into place so you can continue your little journey. It's beautifully animated. The character animations are so full of character. I love the rubberiness of the trees and the environmental objects. It's really beautiful in this low poly style. Um, I don't really like sliding block puzzles in general, uh, or uh, sliding tile puzzles, I guess I should call them. Um, I really want to continue with this, but I'm just not sure I can really get myself into the right mindset to play a sliding tile type of game. Uh, my brain just doesn't really process these types of puzzles all that well, so it might just not be for me, but it looks really nice. Next is Exit the Gungeon. Uh, which is a uh, sequel of sorts to Enter the Gungeon. And instead of playing like that game, it is a 2D kind of Contra-like game um, where you are, uh, except you're not, it's not like a scrolling game. You are just kind of defending yourself on a single screen as as waves of enemies come at you. Um, but it's uh, it, it controls really well. I, I love the writing. It's some really funny stuff in there. Uh, the character work is really good. Uh, the animation is great, and they're reusing a lot of the uh, art assets and some of the creative concepts that were used for Enter the Gungeon. So, you know, there's a lot a lot to really like there. It's one of the higher quality games on the service and uh, goes alongside the Enter the Gungeon-themed light gun game that is coming to arcades, oddly enough. So these developers, you know, they're, uh, they, got, they had a good idea, and they're, they're running with it. I respect that. <laughs> Next, Fallen Knight. Yeah, so Fallen Knight, 2D combat platformer. All the combat takes place with uh, kind of sword swings. It's uh, fairly responsive control-wise. It looks pretty nice, but the parry uh, attack just before an enemy hits you works like 20% of the time, and it really saps a lot of the fun out of it. 
Maybe it works better on controller. I don't know. I don't really care. There are some glitches you run into almost immediately. Like your character auto runs when coming out of conversations, oftentimes right into gunfire, which is unfortunate. Um, it's close to being something, but not, not, not quite there, I would say. Um, we're going to skip around a little bit more in the alphabetical order here and uh, move on to uh, a really unique game that uh, caught a bit of conversation. I, I noticed um, when it came out, uh, I don't know exactly how to pronounce it. I assume it's kind of a French mutazione, perhaps. Yeah, I think, I mean, the designers are Australian or live in Australia. Uh, mm. And um, I guess that would be the right pronunciation. Uh, I, I don't know. There's no voice acting. So uh, yeah. I think you leave it up to your imagination. It's a point and click adventure about plants on a uh, mutant island, essentially. Um, you're going to this island full of mutants to meet your grandfather, I believe it is. Mm -hmm. And um, you are kind of a regular human, but apparently you come from like mixed human mutant ancestry. And your grandfather is just really happy living amongst the mutants. And um, everyone's very friendly. It's a very kind of like undertale-y, like just people are pleasant to spend time with and talk to. Um, it's an interesting game. What did you make of this one? I, I've only gotten about, I don't know, half hour, 45 minutes in. Uh, and I want I, I really like it. Um, I like the designers. The, the previous game, um, Johann Sebastian Joust, I think, was a you know, very, very mm, different right. sort of game. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, just lovely art style. Again, on a small screen, it's a little too detail-y, but uh, the play wasn't a problem. And yeah, I feel like there's some sub, uh, not subliminal, but some subtext about Australian treatment of its natives. Um, mm. and, like there, I think there's sort of a political angle to it that as a non-Australian, I may be just feeling the edges of or whatever. But yeah, I think it seems like a very humanistic, very warm game that I, I expect the narrative to, you know, pay off in good ways. And yeah, definitely one I'm, I'm not, uh, deleting from my phone anytime soon. Yeah, I, I really like the sound design, all of the the voices. There's no voice acting, but there are little like a little bits of sound that kind of give you an idea of what the characters sound like. And it's all like not vocal sounds. It's all like um like rocks kind of jostling around in a tin can or something like that. You know, it's but it's such like a vivid and textural thing that it's just like it makes me really wonder like what does this character sound like as they're speaking, you know? It's um a really interesting choice. I, I like that a lot. All the the music and the sound effects are really nicely recorded. Um, exploration is uh, a little bit imprecise, I would say. Uh, prompts to move on to the next screen, talk to characters, or explore items don't appear until you're standing right next to them. And sometimes positioning can be a little bit fiddly. So, you know, you might have to, you kind of have to walk all the way over to the other side of the screen to discover what is and isn't interactable, which is a bit annoying, but... Overall, it's a. Uh, it seems like a really nice game. Let's move on to uh, Overland. This is a game that came out uh, not only for Apple Arcade but simultaneously on Nintendo Switch. Perhaps other platforms, probably on PC as well. I would guess. Um, but it's a. Uh, I would say kind of an XCOM-like strategy survival game set in a like an alien invasion. Um, but basically, you are just trying to make it across the United States. Um, by car basically you get out of your car in uh, several little kind of nooks and crannies of the country and each of them are these little self-contained very small enclosed scenes oftentimes with monsters and 
objects to explore, things to interact with. And, um, you know, you can pick things out of, uh, dumpsters for supplies and you can get, um, try to pick up some gas along the way to refill your car. And you want to try to avoid confrontation with the monsters. You can defeat them, uh, if you have weapons, but it's, uh, it feels like the cards are heavily stacked against you in that regard. So it's mostly like just get what you need and try to get out there. Yeah, I, I've only played a little of this, although I did listen to the designer, Adam Saltzman, who previously has made like Cannabalt. Uh, he was on actually Zach Gage is and some and Doug Wilson, who did Mutazion uh, and two other people have a podcast called The Spelunky Show Like, which started out as a Spelunky podcast, but is now basically just about uh, procedurally generated games, you know, roguelikes, mm. that sort of thing. And yeah, it was Overland seems it deliberately punishing in a way that is trying to set a certain tone. This is again sort of speculation secondhand, but like this war of mine, that those kind of like difficult, do I leave this person yeah. behind? <laughs> like kind of like I don't have room in the car for both of you kind of decisions is what it's really going for. Again, pretty detail-y, so it doesn't is a little difficult to play on a, a small phone, but seems very smart. Yeah. Um this is one again that I uh, worked with on uh, the last Nindy showcase video that I worked on back at Nintendo. So I was familiar with it from that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a little, not the type of game that I tend to uh, enjoy spending a lot of time with. So I don't see myself playing it through to completion, but it looks really nice. You know, it, it seems to be very smartly designed and everything. So uh, yeah, if, if you're into this kind of like slower, more, uh, difficult and punishing uh, survival game where you're picking up characters and perhaps losing them along the way, then uh, this one might be for you. Let's go on to Neocab. This is a story-based game where you're playing basically a futuristic Uber driver, picking up various passengers in the car, and um, as you are in a an, new city, an unfamiliar city that you move to to uh, be with your friend. It's an interesting game. It's it's set in a very kind of like uh, light cyberpunkish type future where there is, you know, enhancement of people and some of these ideas of transhumanism and of uh, technology overtaking people's lives and this kind of thing. There's this this talk of uh, kind of like a surveillance state type of feel to it. Um, but yeah, overall, just kind of a narrative uh, based game. Jesse, what is your uh, your opinion here? Played maybe an hour or so and I really liked what I played. I thought it was, uh, yeah, it's kind of vapor wavy, uh, like nice aesthetic. And the satire is maybe a little on the nose at times, but it does seem, you know, it's 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 trying to imagine a plausible or at least semi-plausible kind of future and and how these sort of technological things actually affect people. Like one part I liked was that you end up picking a, a passenger and they kind of have like hyper Google Glass all over them and they seem very friendly, but then they're asking you kind of these odd questions. And as you press them, it turns out they're doing a survey for a big company uh, and they thought you knew because everyone knows, but you're new to town. And you have this little emotion reader chip that your friend gives you as like a, a welcome present that tells you what your mood is, which is a nice little UI, uh, you know, thematic uh, conceit. Uh, and so you're, I mean, it's not like Reigns in any way, but maybe as it goes on, I feel like it is about in the same way as that game Reigns is about like not letting any of your stats get too high or too low, mm. that a lot of the game is going to be about 
kind of, yeah, giving it a little mechanical crunch in terms of the dialogue trees and their effect on the game. Like, if your mood gets too angry, then certain dialogue choices get locked off. Um, you know, if you get too excited, other ones get locked off. So, yeah, it seems to have a lot of neat ideas. And again, one I'm going to keep on the phone. There's just... There's a lot of games. It's pretty, I mean, it's there great. There are a lot of games. But uh, this is another one that I wish uh, I'd spent more time with. Moving on to Fledgling Heroes. This is a Flappy Bird-like game, I would say. That's kind of an odd genre to put it in. Uh, but you flap around a pirate island as a parrot and other unlockable birds that actually mix up the gameplay style a lot. And you collect coins, free animals, bop enemies on the head. Um, there's quite a bit to do, actually. Uh, the penguins can go underwater, for instance. There's um, a lot of uh, you know, neat things that it does to mix up the gameplay. Um, really lovely art style, uh, really nice to look at. But um, I would say it's a little over-designed at times. It could be really hard to tell what is background and what's an obstacle. Um, you can uh, bounce off the ground, but just don't hit your head on anything above. Uh, there's a level designer as well that you can unlock pretty early on. It just feels like there's a lot going on in this game. And I'm I'm really impressed that they tied all of these ideas into a pretty um, approachable and pleasant package. Says Fledgling Heroes. I'd, uh, I'd give that one a recommend. Just, yeah, check it out. See what you think. Next one, Frogger in Toy Town is one of the games that uh, Apple Arcade launched kind of most prominently with. Uh, it was one of the titles that was pre-installed on iPads at the Apple Store that they just have as demo units. I guess because they want people to try this one, even though it's not very good. I don't know. It's a uh, it's like Frogger plus physics puzzles, kind of, but bad. <laughs> uh, it sets up the physics puzzles, but almost always allows you to just like circumvent them by just climbing or bouncing your own body into them. You know, they'll set up like a ball that you're supposed to roll into a series of blocks that you can use to knock it over. But then you could just roll into the blocks yourself and knock them over. And it's exactly the same. Like, what? what is even the puzzle here? It still operates on a grid structure, but the aesthetic details in the environment don't align with the grid. There are lines in the floor, kind of like between uh, the gaps in between, like the wood panelings in the floor that you're uh, hopping on but they don't align with the grid lines. So sometimes you might think it's safe to jump up one more space so you can be ready to get across a road or whatever it is that you're trying to do, but you get hit by a car or whatever it is anyways, because that was apparently just like a line in the middle of a grid line. And I, uh, yeah, I don't like that. It's not always clear what still has active hurt boxes. When you, uh, when you derail a dangerous object and get it kind of flipped onto its side, it's supposed to not hurt you anymore. But like, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. It's not easy to tell what's active and inactive in the world. It's kind of fun to cause a little bit of chaos and a traffic pile up with these little toy cars. But overall, I would say give this one a hard pass. Next, the Get Out Kids. Um, I played the first couple hours of this, and it's excruciatingly slow. <laughs> it's a super easy puzzle-solving game, broken up in way too much slow, slow, slow text. Um, it absolutely crawls along. It, it likely gets better as it goes, but gameplay is really minimal towards the beginning. Um, I, I appreciate diversity in games. Um, it's one of the goals that I always try to like strive for. For, not that I'm creating games myself, but like it's something that I, I, I like looking for when um, when developers do put them out there. And um, one of the main characters of this game is uh, 
Oh, and it seems like all the main characters of this game kind of tick off different boxes. There's characters that are gay or character. There's a character that's uh, one of the main characters is a Muslim as well. It, it's really great to see the representation, but like they really hammer those points over the head. Not in the way that I'm saying, like, stop shoving your politics down my throat. Like, that's not that's not me at all. Um, I'm. It's just that, like, there's not a lot of like just subtly building that into the character as much as like directly <laughs> saying it at the camera. <laughs> uh, all, all the writing is very on the nose. And I wish it did more uh, showing than telling in that case. Overall, the kind of narrative conceit is that it's kids exploring like a haunted house type of thing. And I'm really up for that kind of puzzle game, but I just don't see myself going back to this one just because of like how damn slow it is. Next, Guildlings is a uh, really cute RPG. Uh, you receive a cursed phone and become trapped in a bubble until you uh, lead a guild of your real life friends to um you know sort of save the world or whatever it is basically yeah you're just you're these this kid who lives in a lighthouse with the sister and you get this cursed phone and it takes you through this kind of like startup of what looks like a phone rpg you know it's like do you accept the terms of service not knowing that the terms of service were essentially like you selling your soul or you, you making yourself immobile in real life until the characters that you control, which is the phone bestowing actual magical powers onto the people in your environment around around you until you get them to complete certain quests. So really interesting. Um, it takes place in a quaint kind of mostly real life area. Uh, you um, there's some like emotional management in here as you're trying to manage your friends moods. So the battles are nonviolent. It's all about kind of like uh, surviving uh, as enemies try to like drain your phone battery or something like that um and then it's all like very undertale like it's all about like talking to your enemies and and kind of getting under their skin in certain ways um it, it's a it's a really nice game uh i would i would recommend this one it, it's kind of earthbound like it's wacky and and crazy um it just has a lot of heart i i really appreciate it so guildlings check it out hexaflip Pilot a hexagon through a beehive pattern by moving diagonally upwards by tapping left or right. It's very, very basic. Movement feels turn-based, but you pick up bonuses not based on how many turns you've taken to get to it, but by how quickly you get there, like in real lifetime. So it kind of discourages you from sitting around thinking about your next move and instead encourages you to kind of act without thinking, which feels kind of antithetical to this type of game uh you can earn coins and claim daily challenges i don't know it feels like this game was going to be like a monetized phone game before it came to apple arcade and not a lot changed since making that transition except for that they can't charge you for anything and with real life money this is the kind of game i come to apple arcade to get away from next is a super interesting game actually and i'm really excited to talk about this one it's called hogwash it's a very, very creative multiplayer shooter in a way. Um, there's one team of three players that play as pigs versus one player who plays as a farmhand on a farm. Uh, the pigs must run around the yard and bash into vegetables like pumpkins and watermelons to pop them and create like wet spots on the ground that turn into mud. And so they roll around in the mud puddles, get themselves all muddy, and then they can go to various objects in the environment. There's 
three objects that are kind of prized possessions that are scattered throughout the yard. And you're supposed to like shake off all the mud and uh, dirty these objects up um, to the point at which they become so dirty. They are like irreparable. Um, And then there is also a three story house farmhouse in the middle of the map that you can choose to shake yourself off and get dirty as well to win the pig players have to have to completely either completely dirty up all three of these objects um, that are objects of prominence and importance throughout the, the yard or cake all three levels of this farmhouse in mud. Yeah. So that is their objective. They have to complete one or the other. And the fact that like the farmhouse is all concentrated in one place versus the objects that are all kind of scattered across the map. Um, then the, the other player is a farmhand who has a hose, kind of like Super Mario Sunshine. And you can use that hose to clean off the pigs, to clean off the objects if they haven't gotten to that point of being like destroyed. Um, and then, uh, you can, you can, grab the pigs and hog tie them and then other pigs have to go and like rescue them so basically you're just trying to like protect your home and your objects for a certain amount of time against these pigs uh there's all sorts of really cool kind of asymmetric things that it does the pigs are obviously very small and so they can fit in um small areas and small objects that the farmhand has to go around um it's a lot of things it does to really kind of like make the farmhand's job particularly difficult a lot of really great touches here the touchscreen controls aren't great but i would probably really enjoy this on a different control method like mouse and keyboard or a controller um I, i'd give this one a recommendation just because of how creative it is it's just wildly creative and um i uh, i really like it <laughs> nexus hot lava this is a uh, game by clay entertainment but Unlike their other games, I don't really like the uh, style of this one that much. The the loading screen that comes up when you boot the app says optimizing for your device, which is odd. Like, why isn't it already optimized? I, I don't know. The creative design is really fun and clever, but the actual graphics are a bit gross. Textures are pretty bad, at least on the iPad version. I know it's also on Epic Games Store on PC. Uh, the controls are pretty poor with touchscreen. Um, controller controls are just okay. Controls are pretty stiff in the first person viewpoint. I I guess I should describe what type of game this is. It's kind of like Mirror's Edge. It's like playing The Floor is Lava, the game that you play with your your friends um, as you're jumping from couch to couch and table and trying not to touch the floor as you get to a place where you need to be. Um, Which I I love that aspect of it. A lot of these um, settings are very mundane but have the floor turned into actual lava, which is really fun. The first person viewpoint made the jumps a bit tricky and don't feel very precise or as fluid as something like Mirror's Edge or Titanfall 2, which I know is like comparing against some of the best, but Clay Entertainment is really good. And if this is the entire point of the game, like you kind of have to compare against the best, you know? I think it's online. I occasionally see other people in the courses, but I'm not sure what purpose it serves. <laughs> I'm a bit disappointed in this one. You know, Clay usually does games so well. Maybe the next one. I don't know. And maybe this will get some kind of like a fun online scene around it. You know, I I wouldn't be surprised on that either. Next on the list, Hyper Brawl Tournament. It's like uh, football meets American football meets street brawling, I guess. It's a top-down sports game that actually uh, works pretty well. There's a ball and two goal nets. You pick up the ball and throw it into your opponent's net. 
the opponents will try to kick and punch you and try to take the ball from you. Um, but overall, it's a very kind of nice arcadey single screen sports game. Um, and it's uh, actually pretty fast paced, small arena, good game. If you're into this kind of like pick up and play arcade sports game, give it a shot. Inmost, a kind of depressing art style, but extremely lovingly created sprite art. Uh, it looks fantastic. Um, touchscreen controls are a little bad, I would say. Uh, I should say um, this is a 2D, uh, I want to say platformer, but it's a little bit more kind of puzzly and slow paced. Not so much testing your platforming skills as much as kind of an order of operations or uh, uh, kind of like um, inside in a way where you're trying to just like solve puzzles in a platformy perspective, but the platforming itself isn't the um, isn't the core appeal. But really, really lovely sprite art in this one. Yeah, touchscreen controls are pretty bad. Uh, checkpointing is pretty bad as well, especially kind of glaring for a mobile game. You have to, you may have to restart at the beginning of very, very long levels to uh, to continue if you close the app, uh, which is unfortunate. It might be better to play on another platform. But overall, I'd say this one's worth experiencing. Um, it has a really amazing style, and it seems to tell an interesting story uh, across multiple characters. And um, I would, I would definitely be interested in returning to this one. So I might, uh, might play it on a different platform instead of on iPad, though. Jenny Leclou Detective is a uh, really lovely game. It's a narrative adventure uh, where you are playing as, well, it gets a little complicated. You are either playing as an old man who is writing a story about a young girl who is um, solving mysteries in this fictional town that he's created. He's uh, He's been writing this series of Jenny Leclou novels for many years about this young girl detective. And um, I think he's gotten to the point where his publisher is asking him to write something a little bit, not racier, but a little bit more uh, with a little bit more punch to it, you know, get a murder in there or something like that. And he kind of reluctantly agrees to it. And so then you go into the perspective of the characters of Jenny Leclou um, who uh, is reacting to this new twist in the story as her world changes around her. But really, really lovely. It has a fantastic kind of cut paper art style. Um, really lovely to look at. Um, and a really pleasant detective game overall. Characters are great. Writing is great. Uh, you shift into crime scene investigation modes and then use your own logic to link pieces of evidence in your mind to solve the mysteries. So, you know, it, it makes it a little bit obvious at first what you're supposed to be linking to what, but um, it still does require you to kind of make those logical extensions yourself instead of just kind of choosing from a uh, list of responses. But yeah, highly recommended. Check this one out. Jumper John is a a very simple platformer. It's a uh, one um, on-screen buttons that take up the entire lower portion of the game, which I'm sure looks fine on iPhone, but they're comically large on iPad. Uh, it's a pretty mediocre platformer. Everything is under a time limit of 30 seconds. Uh, you collect feathers to reset the timer and checkpoint yourself. Um, physics are pretty bad, though. I just, just don't play it. Kings League 2. Kings League 2 is a 2D... Uh, it's tricky. Um, so it's kind of like a battle simulator in a way. 
um, characters automatically walk towards each other and the battles automatically happen, but you can cast skills at opportune times and choose who to send in the battle and everything. But it's, um, it's all just kind of like maybe individual characters, two on three or, or one on one, whatever it is. The character art is really nice and really lovely, but the in-game sprites are unimaginably ugly. <laughs> I don't know what they were going for here, but like, it's not stylization. It's just like, bizarre they have like weird eyeless misshapen faces that seem to like drip off of their skulls like people ancient beyond reason it's it's a very odd choice um and then you're tasked with just building a guild of fighters recruit train them um there's some time management aspects as well uh not one that really particularly caught my fancy lego brawl or lego brawls i don't remember um is one of two lego games that's coming to the service this one launched with apple arcade back on uh back in september 19th um, there's another upcoming game, which I'm super weird and interested in called Lego Art House, which is aimed at more kind of adult audiences, I guess. I, I don't know if it's an extension of the Lego cinematic games that you would get on PC and maybe just covering, I don't know, like like Ingmar Bergman type of uh, movies, like bizarre art house films. But I don't know. I, I'm I'm curious to see what it's going to be. But this one, Lego Brawls seems to be online only which i thought was against the rules of apple arcade i guess you could do like a tutorial offline but like there's no legitimate gameplay you can play offline um it's a 2d smash bros kind of game that doesn't control very well um controls are pretty mediocre gameplay feels basic and bad um you're just trying to like beat up other lego people in this 2d platformer type of uh level um, you can pick up items to make that a little bit easier or harder. I don't know. It's just not that interesting. So instead, let's move to Lifelike. It's a puzzle game, experience game, I guess. I don't know. You just drag a dot around the screen using super annoying controls. Um, let's digress and talk about those controls for a minute. So you swipe from anywhere on the screen to move, but they have to be big swipes or it won't really work. And since it's on iPad... That means you'll have to be like, you'll be accidentally dragging from the bottom of the screen and exiting or pulling up system menus. It's really bad. You never move as far or as fast as you want either. Um, you drag around and try to encounter these like systems of like particle effects and they make nice little like patterns and stuff. And it's all very pretty and, and nice, but uh, the game feels really entirely pointless. Just drag until you find the next group of particles, choose a direction without any real guidance, and then just drag in that direction, see if you find anything. If not, you hit an invisible wall and then you have to go in the opposite direction. It's just like entirely, entirely pointless. I don't like it. Moving on. Next is a similarly named Life Slide. You uh, fly around a paper airplane using tilt controls, um, kind of like a race the sun in a way. Um, it's kind of hard to keep it in the air though. It's always descending and you have to do that like Batman, like swoop and pull back up to gain altitude again, but it doesn't really work that well. And sometimes you're, you're often tasked with going through really narrow passageways that don't really give you room to swoop and pull up. So you end up just kind of crashing a lot. I don't know it. I didn't really have that much fun with it. I was looking forward to it cause I, I like the idea. I just didn't really think the execution pulled it off. Next is one that's been getting a lot of attention, Manifold Garden, which launched on the Epic Game Store and will be coming to Steam next year. 
Um, it's an interesting th- uh, 3D puzzle game. You can, uh, you're walking around these kind of MC Escher like shapes that are just kind of floating out in, uh, in space. Um, it's all very minimalist art style, but like really, really lovely to look at. You approach a wall, you switch the gravity to pull yourself onto that wall, and then you can just walk on that wall and interact with certain objects that are of a certain color. Um, you use that to solve different types of puzzles. And at the beginning, I think it works really well when you're indoors and in hallways. But once you get outdoors, everything kind of changes a bit. Yeah, it just becomes you're kind of in an infinitely large space. And there are different iterations of the platforms and every room and everything kind of infinitely repeating in all directions. So if you fall off of the platform, you just kind of wait until you're on the next version of the uh, platform you were previously on. Then you just kind of continue on your way. Um, I'm sure it does some clever things, but once it opens up to like too big of a space, it just becomes a bit of a pain to navigate, especially with touchscreen controls. So I, I might enjoy this if I played it on PC and I've seen a little bit further into the game just on uh, videos and stuff. But um, yeah, I didn't really enjoy this one on the iPad, but uh, it's it's a lovely game. It has some really neat ideas. I love this kind of infinite uh, recursion type of thing that it sets up. So um, might be worth looking into. Next, Marble It Up Mayhem. Uh, this is a really excellent monkey ball-like game. Uh, again, like touchscreen controls are good enough. Uh, the actual rolling the ball around works pretty well, though I would say, and this should have been really easy to correct, it kind of bugs me that it's done poorly, <laughs> but the uh, jump button is way too small and way too easy to miss when you're trying to jump, uh, especially if you're using your right thumb to constantly kind of rotate the camera. Uh, it, so you end up missing a bunch of jumps and that penalizes you. And it's just, you know, it, it, it could be fun with the controller. Um, I, I expect I would actually enjoy it quite a bit with the controller. If you like monkey ball, you might like this one. Um, I would recommend it, but yeah, it's just the touchscreen controls almost work, but just like weren't quite there. So overall I give it a, uh, recommend next mind symphony. Um, I can only review the game as it was presented to me. <laughs> And on my iPad, it will not start. It crashes every single time I try to start it up. It's very strange. I don't know if it's an iPad thing. I mean, it's a brand new 2019 iPad. I've tried deleting the app and reinstalling it. I've tried shutting down the iPad and restarting that. Everything I do, it crashes on me every single time. So I can't actually play the game. I'm going to have to give this one a pass. (laughs) Um... Yeah, iPad Crash Simulator. Uh, pass on that one. Mini Motorways. This is a nice follow-up to Mini Metro. I'm starting to lose my voice. Oh no. <laughs> it's a nice follow-up to Mini Metro that adds a couple of interesting new mechanics, like um, you're you're building uh, street roads instead of subways this time. And street roads. No, what, what am I trying to say? City streets, I guess? <laughs> street roads. To link different buildings so people can drive to get to work or to get to where they need to be. Uh, the maps, uh, just like Mini Metro, are based on real actual cities. Um, doesn't really affect things too much, just kind of uh, bases where they place the water fixtures and obstacles and stuff like that. Um, there's a lot of new elements from Mini Metro. Uh, you can make highways, which are more direct routes to um, that can link one side of the map to the other. Um, those are really nice. One thing I don't like is that roads can only connect to parking lots of buildings from a specific direction which i feel makes it kind of unnecessarily punishing 
when there's a building in the corner of the map facing the wrong direction. It's like you have to to make a road that goes all the way around and, and link it up. Uh, you have a very limited number of roads you can place. You can destroy roads to get them back into your inventory. Overall, it's pretty nice. It's less less moment-to-moment engaging the mini-metro. There's a few more steps in between what you need to do to place the roads. You have to like tap the screen to enter a very limited view construction mode and untap to swipe to zoom anywhere else. And it's just, you know, a little couple of extra annoyances. My partner actually found it pretty unintuitive to go in and out of building mode. Um, overall, she didn't really care for it, though I feel like she'd like Mini Metro. It's just a couple of extra steps of complication and confusion that make it a bit less accessible. But um, it's still a really nice game. And if you are a Mini Metro expert, then uh, this might be a nice uh, next step. This one I'm really excited to talk about. This one is Monomoles. This is an incredibly ambitious game. <laughs> so it's part underwater platformer, kind of. You're, you're well, almost like a shmup in a way. Um, you're kind of swimming around underwater as this, like a, like an amplifier plug. <laughs> you can boost and boost into enemies to kill them. You can boost to jump out of the water, like echo the dolphin. Um, it's part ridiculous fishing, part combat, part block puzzles. Um, and each boss fight turns into an instrument that you can, use once you defeat the boss the boss turns into an instrument you can use in a sequencer to compose actual music so there's just like a ton of things all built on top of each other here there are more ideas in the first level of this game than there are in most games in aggregate it's impressive art style looks really great and is a very memorable great character designs uh, really well animated characters are super stylized but it does really push my ipad pretty hard um, you can feel it not quite hitting the desired frame rate. Maybe on another platform it would have been better, but is, I don't know. It just feels weird for a game that seems to be designed for mobile to not be hitting comfortable frame rate on a 2019 iPad. Um, I feel like it would feel better with an actual controller, but the touchscreen controls work well enough. But yeah, overall, I'd say don't miss this one. It's really inventive. Even if you just play the first couple levels, there's so much to see and discover that I feel like you'll come away and it'll give you something to think about. It feels like a Playwright game. <laughs> Plug in Playwright on Thursdays <laughs> here on the Canaan Rinse Network. Next is the Mosaic. Um, this is a... Shoo, boy, what is it? It is a side-scrolling, kind of, a, kind of like a movie that plays out of your character just going about a very mundane life and then kind of like happening upon things in his environment that inspire a certain level of like creativity and imagination in him uh, that bring color to his otherwise really drab and repetitive dreary world. Um, you've seen this type of game before. It's made to be meaningfully mundane, and it makes those moments of things that really kind of like break from the ordinary schedule really stand out. Animation is really, really great as a kind of minimalist, brutalist art style that's really beautiful. You kind of dip in and out of dream sequences at various parts of the game, and there's a lot of really expressive imagery in here. It's it's really lovely. Uh, touchscreen controls are a bit unintuitive and don't really work that well, but uh, it is also available on PC, I believe. That's where I first played it at um, at some sort of a trade show. Um, the character has like a little cookie clicker like game <laughs> that um, is on the character's phone that you can play, and it's meant to be satirically kind of stripped back but it's still kind of undeniably addictive 
you're just watching numbers go up and you can buy multipliers to make the numbers go up faster. But like, it's kind of frightening how quickly I can get pulled back into that kind of thing, even when I know the entire point is that it's meant to be no points at all. <laughs> it does give you achievements, though, if you care about iPhone achievements. Murder Mystery Machine. This is a 3D point-and-clicks adventure-style murder scene investigation game. Everything is very kind of contained one room at a time that you can rotate in 3D, uh, tap around the environment to find and examine evidence, which turns into nodes you can connect to infer causality. Um, I wish objects in the environment other than clues were interactable as kind of red herrings or something like that, but so far, at least from the very, very early levels I played, so maybe it's not representative, it just seemed very... Uh, very basic and stripped back and didn't present that interesting of uh, mysteries. Next, Nightmare Farm. Um, seems to be a game about farming and such. Um, has kind of a nice art style, very kind of grim Tim Burton-y, but really slow and confusing. <laughs> the tutorials are really confusing and non-intuitive. You're supposed to plant certain objects, with, which gives you other objects, which you can use to like feed a dog that uh, I don't know. It all feels very like Rube Goldberg-y. There's all like all these different objects you can purchase from the store and sell certain things and plant other things. And they're all kind of abstract and they don't really make a lot of sense as to like what should be doing what. I guess you learn as you go, but I just really wasn't that interested to continue. Um, so I, I knocked this one out pretty quickly. Oceanhorn 2, Knights of the Lost Realm, another one of the showpieces of Apple Arcade. Um, it's a sequel to a game that uh, Oceanhorn played kind of like a traditional Zelda game. And this one <laughs> plays like Zelda Breath of the Wild. It's very ambitious uh, for an indie title. And um, I, I really admire that they, they went for it. They went all the way for it. You know, it doesn't run that great on iPad. But if you have a chance to play it on PC and you, you like a kind of Breath of the Wild light, it might be worth looking into. Um, I didn't play that much of it just because of the uh, performance type stuff. But yeah, the uh, the first Ocean Horn was impressive, and uh, this one is certainly ambitious, if nothing else. Sorry, I can't give a more comprehensive review, though. Operator 41 is a grid-based stealth game, um, but it's also timing-based. So it's a lot of like waiting for guards to get out of the way and then sneaking past them by choosing which space you want to move your character to, a kind of XCOM-like uh, control system. Uh, graphics are really unique, actually. as a really, really neat shader that makes things look like uh, I don't even know, like you're looking at them through like a screen door or something, but in a good way, like it's really stylized and really fresh in a way that I hadn't really ever seen before. Uh, you can pick up flower pots to throw and distract or knock out guards. It doesn't work very well, though. Um, overall, the, the stealth mechanics just like don't feel that great. The game itself just wasn't that fun to play, and I just won't be going back to it. So uh, I say give this one a pass. Outlanders is a town building game about harvesting natural resources to build small villages, you know, lumberjacks, foragers, etc., that kind of thing. You've seen this type of game before. Uh, it's not something I'm all that interested in genre-wise. I do love the little sound that the hammering makes as buildings are being built, but uh, overall, I don't know. If you're into this kind of like civilization, building out a town in the, in the middle of the wilderness, then maybe it's for you, but um, overall, I... Uh, it's not the kind of game that I uh, really want to spend that much time with. Sorry. Next one is very interesting. This is called Pac-Man Party Royale. It's kind of a Battle Royale Pac-Man game in a way, in which four Pac-Man all roll around a map eating dots. Um, there's one ghost who isn't much of a threat. And as you eat more dots, you move faster. 
Um, there are power pellets around that allow you to eat not only the ghost, but other players as well, who then turn into ghosts themselves. It's actually pretty clever. Um, presentation's pretty decent, and the premise is really good, but I just can't get over how poorly it controls. Uh, it's got this weird thing where um, as you swipe in one direction, it doesn't turn if you swipe at a corner. It changes the direction that Pac-Man will turn the next time he comes to a corner. So if you swipe a bit early, then you're going to be fine. But if you swipe at the point at which you would normally turn playing a Pac-Man game, you might be past the, the, the flag that triggers kind of checking to see if you are in or past the intersection. And you might just turn at the next intersection instead, which can be really annoying. <laughs> I, I, I would like this game a lot more if it controlled just like regular Pac-Man. Um, it's nice that you can also play against offline bots, um, but you can play online as well against your friends or against uh, presumably strangers. Almost there. We're in the peas. This is Painty Mob, another Devolver digital game. As a uh, minimalist art style, you run around a pretty basic world and tap to explode into paint all over everyone around you. Mostly it's uh, neutral NPCs at the beginning. There's a few enemies that come charging towards you. As you tap and uh, spray paint onto the NPCs in your vicinity, they um, they become your color and they start an angry mob that chases you. Once you get caught, the run's over. Um, it kind of suffers from poor readability amidst the chaos, which may be the point, actually. Uh, so, you know, so much is happening at once that when I die, I don't really feel like it's my fault, which is a bit annoying. Um, but, uh, you know, I think just getting used to the chaos is probably the the core in engagement in the game so it, it might be one that gets better with time um there's unlockable characters that all come with entire different like level themes it's really impressive the amount of care and attention they put into reskinning everything in the game around each of these unlockable characters it's really impressive i especially like that um other devolver games cameo in this one as playable characters with different like level skins um, there's level skins that change the whole world into like enter the gungeon or the messenger or whatever, you know, it's very impressive. The amount of care that went into this, um, overall, I, uh, I don't know if I enjoyed playing it, but I think I want to go back to it. I don't know how to reconcile those things, but it's, it's an interesting game. Um, it's a bit chaotic, but I, uh, I like how much love there is in the game. Next is patterned. Um, it's a very meditative style puzzle game about assembling puzzles based on repeating pattern paintings. <laughs> uh, it's really nice, actually. My only real complaint is that because it repeats, obviously, you know, kind of going off one side of the painting and onto the next, uh, it's meant to be endlessly um, tiling panels of, of paintings. Um, since it repeats, it's oftentimes kind of difficult to judge what is within the edge, where the edges of the painting are because it shows you a little bit of context around the painting around the puzzle that you're rebuilding um that shows you you know the um the puzzle as it extends out into the uh out into the the space around it um and it can be kind of hard to tell what is the space that you're supposed to be placing puzzle pieces within um it starts off kind of black and white and then as you put in the colored color uh puzzle pieces then it colors in, you know, those portions of the puzzle, obviously. Um, but it's 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 a really nice, really meditative experience. I enjoy it. The repeating patterns, like I mentioned earlier, causing a bit of confusion as far as the uh, where the boundaries of the painting are, isn't that big of a problem, except that it kind of 
There's no real penalty, but the game gives achievements for consecutively placing correct pieces, so it feels a little bit against the intended experience in that sense, but it's not a huge deal. Next is Pinball Wizard. Um, this one's really, really good, actually. It's a pinball game where you play as a wizard who bounces around pinball bumpers as he climbs a scary tower. So each level is like a different floor of the tower. There's barrels and enemies and all sorts of different kind of RPG typical things that you can interact with. But your character basically behaves like a pinball on those little bumpers at the bottom of the screen that you can use the touchscreen to activate. So you fight monsters, unlock secrets all by using pinball controls. Um, there's a, it's a really generous roguelite. Uh, so as you progress through the game, you level up with XP, you gain during each run to get a little bit further the next time, uh, you gain skills that make it easier for you. Uh, there are little checkpoints throughout the tower as well. Um, the art style is really nice. It has this really cool 3d that is shaded to look like 2d. Uh, it looks great. It's very readable, very adorable. Um, though it could be a little bit tricky to tell when enemies are in the hurt condition and when they are, when they're dangerous and when they're not. Um, progress is pretty slow. The game, bit of a time suck, which is unfortunate. It's fun, but progression could be a bit quicker if I had to make a criticism there. But definitely check this one out. Possessions. This is a perspective puzzler. So rotate a room to get broken objects to align to reconfigure them. Um, so they will be like, Objects in a normal living room that are, um, there's one piece that is where it should be, like, let's say the, the base of a, uh, like a flower vase, let's say, and then a flower that is randomly floating somewhere in the room. And you have to align the perspective of this 3D room so that it looks like the flower is in the vase and then it, uh, kind of snaps into place. Uh, it's very easy, very forgiving. Um, it tells you when you're getting close. So even if you don't really, you don't really even need to understand, uh, what you're lining up for it to had to happen upon the right answer. Anyways, um, the story mode follows a family as a baby grows into a boy and you kind of get these little vignettes, um, around their life. Um, it seems like a pretty standard story of the dad being too kind of pulled away and pulled into his work and not engaged with his family life. It's, and kind of the same story that all of these games tell. Uh, the story doesn't end up going anywhere, though. It's very strange. Uh, they set up these characters and you kind of watch them age up. There's no resolution in the drama. It just kind of ends in the teenager's, teenager's room as he doesn't really do anything. Um, very odd. It's made by a studio in India, and that's pretty cool. Uh, clearly, a lot of care and attention went into this. Lots of really weird touches as well. You'll occasionally see like a rat run across the floor of the room, which is just kind of odd and off-putting. Like, why do these people have a rat in their house? Like, it otherwise looks pretty well-maintained. Um, but all the household objects are really lovingly modeled. Um, that aspect is really impressive. Overall, it's fine, but I can't really recommend it, even as somebody who really enjoys this type of thing, usually. I, uh, I personally, I thought it was going to be about a ghost inhabiting household objects, and I was a bit disappointed that it wasn't that, um, that possessions wasn't a pun but oh well next progression first light this is a 2d platformer where you are a shadow puppet um you can you can walk on shadows um so it kind of plays with um not really perspective but uh, you can cast light that cast shadows in different direction and turn those into platforms uh the first level is super cute it's very well scripted very funny 
a series of kind of escalating disasters that are caused by um by accident um really really good timing and everything um great physical comedy as well uh the second level not very good <laughs> you control a point of light and create shadows to platform across but it's super fiddly and very frustrating um i i gave up at that point just wasn't worth continuing <laughs> Which is too bad because I really enjoyed that first level, and um, obviously the the team has a lot of talent there. Just uh, the gameplay kind of lost me. Punch Planet is a two D fighting game uh, that doesn't control very well on touchscreen. Skip it. <laughs> uh, to be fair, it has a futuristic aesthetic with six characters, um, reasonably well animated. Not really a fan of the game though. So yeah, if if you want a 2D fighter that doesn't control very well, then, um, there you go. <laughs> Sorry. Rayman Mini is a uh, Rayman mobile runner. Y you know this type of game. There's, um, what is it? Fiesta Run and Jungle Run. I don't remember what they were called. I think that's right. Um, a couple of these endless runner games based on the Rayman Legends and Rayman Origins, uh, art style. Nothing really that different about this one, but it's, um, about as good of an endless runner as you're going to find. You know, the Rayman platforming games um, in the recent uh, revitalization of the series have been excellent. And uh, these endless runner games are pretty good. Uh, they don't don't get anywhere close to living up to like Rayman Legends or Rayman Origins, the free roaming ones, but they're good endless runners if that's what you're in the market for. <laughs> but I can't really uh, give a stronger recommendation. Rayman Mini isn't going to surprise you, but it's a solid solid mobile runner red out space assault it's kind of a mediocre space shooter it's not free movement it's a it's like a rail shooter so kind of like a sin and punishment and um kid icarus uprising um kind of thing but um movement is fine movement of the ship but um i'm still not quite sure how the weapons work they seem to be lock-on weapons like res, but it's a bit hard to tell when you're charging, shooting, aiming, etc. It's hard to tell. Like you, you have a fire button, but it doesn't. It doesn't make it clear what you're triggering or what the various timings of holding it and releasing it do. I don't know. It's very muddy implementation. I would say um, overall, I didn't really enjoy this one. Next, Red Rain R E I G N. Uh, this one's a MOBA but you can only view your home fortress from what I can tell. So you can send troops on one of three paths, but when they go off screen, they just kind of stop existing as far as you control, uh, as far as you can see. It's, it's very strange. I don't uh, Maybe there is a way to like move the camera to see the enemy base as well, but like you just kind of create uh, your soldiers, send them on the path and you don't really get any feedback as to like, whether they're doing damage against the enemy base or whether they got killed on the way or whether there's enemies that are approaching from a different direction until they're like immediately within your base's range. Um, it's kind of boring. There are progress bars at the top of the screen that vary in length over time, but I don't really know what causes it. I, I don't know how to win. Uh, it's not my kind of game. Sorry. Shantae and the Seven Sirens. This one's interesting because it's the new Shantae game. Um, and uh, obviously, you know, the Shantae series has been very solid for a very long time. Uh, this game continues to be a solid iteration. If um, if nothing else, the touchscreen controls should be 
avoided. They're okay, but not really up to snuff with a platformer of this caliber. But they only give you the first half of the game or something like that, and then they will give you the rest of the game as a free update when it releases. So it's kind of a early access type thing. Kind of makes me think they had a contract in place and then they didn't finish the game on time and had to deliver something. I don't know. It feels very strange, but um, it's a new Shantae game. Play it with controller. Um, But yeah, just probably wait till it's finished. I can't imagine hopping away from this one and then going back to it. I don't know. The Shantae games get pretty difficult later on. Uh, Next, Shinsekai Into the Depths is a Capcom game. You play an underwater diver. And honestly, I didn't spend that much time with this one. Uh, It's pretty slow and boring at the beginning. So I got bored pretty early on uh, and turned it off. Always meant to go back to it, but just never got around to it. Um, I don't love the way it controls with the touchscreen. Probably play it with controller, but overall can't really give that much information about it. Next is Shock Rods, a uh, surprisingly good game. It's like Twisted Metal with Splatoon type of accessibility. Weapons auto-fire when you're aiming at a at an enemy. Touchscreen controls work reasonably well. You use it to kind of move your, your RC-looking car around the map. Um, animations are a bit janky though. Uh, you can just kind of straight up go sideways in your car and it doesn't really do anything animation wise to account for the fact that this four wheeled vehicle is moving sideways. Give it a go if you like online games like Rocket League, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, um, it, it seems nice. Skate City, another one of the launch titles. It, uh, plays like Ollie Ollie meets Skate. So you swipe to Ollie or Nolly and do different tricks. Um, overall, it's pretty easy. The uh, soundtrack's pretty chill, way too easy to grind. Um, I never really had a situation where there was any threat of falling off the rail or ledge. Um, Not that interesting to me. Uh, I I like skateboarding games a lot. Some of my favorite games are Tony Hawk games, but this one uh, just didn't really have any kind of challenge from what I've seen so far. I don't know. Maybe if I gave it more time, it'd hook me, but it didn't at first. Sneaky Sasquatch, another one of the launch games. This is a neat stealth roguelite about stealing picnic baskets, as Yogi Bear would say, or uh, food from the bins, you know, in a campsite without ever being seen um, by the park rangers or other guests, because you are a Sasquatch, a Bigfoot. Um, Very cute art style, very good character design. Uh, Mechanics are kind of halfway between functional and good. So you hold your finger on screen to uh, to walk, tap repeatedly to tiptoe. It works pretty well. What comes up a bit short is the being spotted mechanic. So you can be seen, in which case you have a generous window to break sightline. Um, or you can be heard for walking in the bushes sometimes. You can uh, sell remaining food at the end of the day to a bear for coins that you can spend in the raccoon shop for permanent upgrades. Um, it's it's decent, but it's not great. Next up is Spaceland, a rather basic XCOM-like game. Uh, it runs well, and it's simple to pick up and play, but I just don't feel like it does anything in the initial levels that really stand out. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I'd knock this one on the head pretty quickly. Speed Demons, a top-down racing game with a uh, mostly black-and-white art style, but with splashes of color for readability. Um, it looks pretty nice, actually. Uh, good sparks and effects when crash when you're uh, crashing and drifting. Um, controls are kind of bad and floaty, though. Uh, but it also feels pretty weighty. I'm I'm undecided on that. Overall, I don't see myself going back to it, but it's uh not bad. Spec is a perspective puzzle game uh, with a minimalist two color art style. 
So a blob kind of runs around a perimeter of lines, um, but those lines are just the outlines of invisible three-dimensional shapes. So as you rotate the shapes to change the shape and combine the lines together um, to get the blob where it needs to go, there are little kind of points that you have to hit on these lines. Um, it's a clever idea and well implemented, but I just don't really have um, a lot of time and desire to can uh, to continue with this kind of thing. Next, Sociable Soccer is a sensible soccer sequel. <laughs> it has the old goal score and superstar hero song from the original uh, Sensible Soccer games. Controls are pretty good, even on touchscreen. Uh, it seems like a plays a decent game of football. Give it a shot. You don't you don't, never know. Um, I don't know how it compares to other type of football games because I don't really play them, but I uh, I found this one controlled and played pretty reasonably well. Sonic Racing. Here we go. Per Apple Arcade rules, you're supposed to be able to play every game offline. That's supposed to be an option. And this game lets you play the tutorial offline. And then when you attempt to start a race, uh, it just tells you that this feature is unavailable in offline mode. So I, I don't know. That feels like an unpleasant loophole. Uh, but this is basically a mobile port, downscaled port of uh, Team Sonic Racing, uh, which came out on console this year. And uh, I just, I don't think it's a very good kart racer, which is too bad because I love Sonic and All-Stars Racing Transform, just one of my all-time favorite kart racers. Just a magnificent game of uh, uh, lovingly creating a, almost like a museum of Sega history as you're going through all these different like franchises and things that are from uh, all sorts of different eras of Sega's past. This game and uh, Team Sonic Racing basically sucked out all of the Sega except for Sonic and his crappy friends which is too bad uh you don't get to play as like you know the football manager and uh and ryo from shenmue and the golden axe characters and you don't get to go in the levels that are based on uh, skies of arcadia and house of the dead like you know it's just so so uh so much variety before and and so lovingly created that I, I was really disappointed that they scaled back on the next one. Uh, but this particular part of the game is uh, just not good. So all the items are wisps from Sonic Colors, and I'm sure they work fine once you kind of know what you're doing, but they're very unintuitive, you know? Like in uh, Mario Kart, all the items are very readable. We have like a general idea of what to expect from a banana peel, but all these wisps are just like different blobby shapes with eyeballs and different colors. And it's just all trial and error until you memorize what they do, which it's fine. I guess not a huge complaint. It's just like, it feels like such an easy thing. They just kind of got wrong there. You can uh, lose trophies that you've previously obtained to other players in the online mode, which feels a little unfriendly. There's an XP system for each character that supposedly doesn't affect their skills to make sure that the online is still balanced. But like, why? Like, why does it exist if it doesn't do anything? I don't get it. It feels like the kind of game that was built around microtransactions that had them pulled out at the last second and they did nothing to accommodate for it. It's very strange. All these like XP systems and currency systems and it's just really ugly. But at least it's better than the mobile Mario Kart game. <laughs> uh, steering's pretty bad. Um, despite having a steering wheel at the bottom of the screen, you tap the sides of the screen uh, to turn all the way to the right or all the way to the left instead of kind of like having a more analog approach. Feels bad. Uh, runs pretty well, has lovely colors, can say that for it. You uh, you win coins by beating the races and you can use those coins to buy the wisps. Um, there's some like 
offer ends in X amount of hours BS that just comes off as really gross. When you buy the Wisps, it just gives them XP, but I have no idea if that does anything to them in-game. It's just a very, very disappointing sequel when the last game was so good. Next on the list, we're coming towards the end, Spider-Saurus, or Spider-Saurs, rather. This is a way-forward game, and it has a terrific intro video like an old 80s cartoon. Uh, scientists have crossbred dinosaurs and spiders to create a resource for more food, because, of course, eight legs. But, of course... <laughs> They became ultra-powerful and rebelled against humanity. Uh, so it's a 2D Contra-like game. Uh, guns auto-fire. You can change the direction in any of eight directions that they auto-fire. Um, animation and character design are great. It's a way, uh, way forward game. They always really nail this. It's a Shantae-style game. Um, I'd recommend it. Uh, give it a look. It might be better once it comes to a platform with a controller, though. I mean, you could play it on controller or an iPad, but yeah, give it a shot. Star-fetched. Um, no voice acting, only subtitles, uh, subtitles that go away way too fast, almost as if they were like written in another language that had, that was much quicker to read. And then they didn't adjust the timing when they translated it into English. It's kind of strange. Um, it's a fairly basic platformer, uh, set in space, but it has the art style of like skateboard slash monster truck rat fink type of art. Really kind of gross and over-detailed, but lovingly crafted. If that's your style of art, then you might really like it. Uh, it's not my aesthetic, though. It's a fairly basic platformer. Controls feel a bit stiff. It's not great overall. Stella. Um, it's very, very inside or limbo-like. Uh, it's hard to avoid that comparison. Like It is basically just trying to be inside. Uh, minimal, no guidance given. Controls are a bit unintuitive with touchscreen. Um, probably fine with controller though. It's fine. Very trial and error. Um, less immediately gripping than inside. Animation isn't anywhere anywhere close to inside, but like that's a tough comparison to make. That's a very high standard. Uh, just makes me wonder what the hook is. Next, Stellar Commanders is an RTS set on a 3D globe. You and another nation fight to dominate the globe by conquering other nations so you can install weapons, place tanks, install anti-aircraft guns to shoot down enemy missiles. Um, it's all very true to the genre, um, all very scaled down to a, you know, something you can kind of like fit on your phone for a quick game. Um, but it just makes me feel kind of gross. Uh, military stuff at that level feels like nothing to celebrate <laughs> for me. Um, and ultimately, like the end of the game comes to all of the um, nations that you own being secured and then all of the other nations basically like falling into like lava and fire which is just like oh gross uh, it's people that live there you know but whatever if you like this type of like space or a nation conquering rts it might be fine next super impossible road i really like this game <laughs> uh this is the game that's been making the rounds at, at conventions and such for years it's really good um, surprisingly easy control on the iPad as well. I was worried about that. Um, it is a, uh, basically you play a, like a marble that is rolling down a very narrow pathway. And as long as you stay on the pathway, you're going to be fine. But, um, you really got to like keep up with the turns and, uh, you can jump off the pathway to try to like get shortcuts or to pick up objects that are floating in space. As long as you land back on the pathway again, you'll be fine. Um, but basically, you're just trying to get down to the bottom in the quickest amount of time as possible, fewest amount of deaths. It's a really nice balance of difficulty, 
uh, despite its title, um, to ease players into it. Really achievable goals, even if you aren't like three-star in courses. Great sense of speed and danger. Overall, it's uh, not essential, but I like it. And I, I think it's definitely worth trying out. Next, Super Mega Mini Party is a collection of party games to go through them one by one. Cannons of Chaos, uh, sail around and shoot other ships with cannons as you pick up treasure floating in the water. It's fine. Jet Pig, it's kind of like Jetpack Joyride, but you're uh, limited by your jetpack's battery. So go as far as you can while collecting energy to keep going. Lava Leap, you are on a pogo stick, hopping on a series of of rings of cooled lava, kind of concentric circles, all being pulled into a vortex in the middle. You have one button that jumps you uh, to an outwards ring. Time your jumps, kind of like Frogger plus Super Hexagon in a way. It's a bit unintuitive at first, though, but it's not bad. Lunar Lander, or Lunatic Lander, rather. You are a Lunar Lander with engines on either side. Control your boosters individually to fly through space. Um, through uh, asteroids to try to um, retrieve a spaceman floating out in space and return him to the landing pad. Probably the best game in the entire mix. It uh, controls really well as you're managing the thrust on each individual booster on either side to turn and um, and navigate safely through these dangerous courses. And it has that kind of nice ridiculous fishing thing where you have to come back as well. <laughs> Minor Threat is a game about uh, a game of hot potato featuring a group of miners throwing around a stick of dynamite. It's entirely pointless and boring. I do not like this one. Motocross Mayhem, kind of like Excite Bike, go off of ramps and flip to gain boosts. It's kind of fun. Penguin Plop, jump over a series of arctic animals that come flying at your penguin. It's a jump rope kind of game, you know? A bit too simple. Spruce Lee, follow a series of on-screen prompts to punch a tree using one of four arrow directions. Uh, works reasonably well, except the buttons that you're uh, that you're hitting are too close together and too small. So you're always kind of like you're always looking elsewhere on the screen to get the prompts that you're supposed to be inputting. So it's really easy to hit the wrong button by mistake. Um, it feels entirely avoidable too if they just made the buttons a little bit bigger and spread them apart. Overall, they're okay. Uh, some are better than others, but it really reminds me of like Rhythm Heaven and its variety. But I mean, not its quality necessarily. Next, Takeshi and Hiroshi. This is a really nice story about two brothers. Uh, one of them is an aspiring game developer, and the other is his much younger brother. So Takeshi wants to show off his game and development for Hiroshi, but Hiroshi wants to play it immediately, even though it's not yet finished. So you have to um, to place monsters in the path of the hero in real time to create uh, difficult encounters that the hero can overcome. So you're um, you're scored based on how much stress the player accrues during a battle but without defeating the player and um that that stress turns into joy at the end of a battle can't make it too easy can't make it too hard um really nice art style during gameplay uh smooth animation framed with amazing stop motion cinematics between the levels that kind of give you a perspective on the characters really nice game i I don't enjoy the gameplay that much i find it to be a little bit too trial and error without that much like feedback during the gameplay portion of it. But um, I don't know, it's it's fine. Next is Tales of Memo, a really nice art style and animation. So there are several treasure chests uh, on each of these levels and an enemy kind of facing on the other side of the screen. You match colors to power up your attacks. So it's kind of like a mixture of memorization, uh, kind of like those 
flipping cards and memorizing which ones match with which. So, you know, you just try to get off as powerful an attack as you can before the enemy attacks you. It's just, it's very basic, super rudimentary. Seems simple, but harmless. Not something I'd really get into, but I wouldn't begrudge anyone else who, who really gets into it. Maybe it gets more interesting as it goes on. Um, really great scene transitions as the screen freezes over. And I love the way that the characters are drawn and animated. It's, um, nice to look at, but I, it didn't really have a lot going for me in the early stages. Tangle Tower is a really sharply written murder mystery point and click adventure game. Um, has a really lovely art style of, of being a, uh, kind of a hand-drawn thing, but I, I've a more in like a cartoon network style of, uh, animation. Uh, really, really liking the characters so far, especially the grimly sarcastic female lead. Very funny, very good writing, very good animation. Uh, seems like a real winner, and uh, I haven't spent a ton of time with it yet, but I'm definitely going back to it. Um, check out Tangle Tower. Next, Things That Go Bump. This uh, I'm interested in the idea. It seems like a multiplayer ghost trick. Um, you possess objects in these mundane rooms or drawers or whatever, uh, all sorts of different scales of things. It's a cool idea. Um, it's just objects you would find in each of these environments in a 2D setting. And then as you possess them, they turn into like different body parts in a way. And then you use these different body parts to like fight other ghosts that have possessed other objects. It's very strange, um, but it's been turned into like a competitive multiplayer game. And I just, what? <laughs> like there's a horde mode. So you explore the room and find all kinds of objects scattered around. Some of them can be turned into like bodies. Some of them are uh, like feet for navigation. Some of them are weapons like scissors and saws and stuff like that. Uh, kind of like battle bots in a way. Um, very improvisational. It's clever, but seems a bit mindless. Um, I don't really understand how to do better necessarily. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't really care for it. I, I like the idea. Maybe somebody can do something with it in the future, but uh, I didn't really get that into it. Next, Tint. My partner really liked this one. So it's a simple kind of a uh, color puzzle game. Um, you have pools of paint on a paper with uh, goals you have to reach. Um, sometimes you can draw, uh, uh, you have to like draw a line from a color of paint and it can go through colors of the same color. It can mix with other, uh, like if, if it's a basic color, it can mix with other basic colors, the uh, red, blue, yellow, to make composite colors. And then um, any composite color that touches another color turns into like a splotch of black ink, essentially. It, it's like a game over point at that point, or just start again. So yeah, it's uh, overall really pleasant, um, really good for casual players. Uh, I really enjoyed solving some of the later puzzles. Uh, there's some clever stuff about mixing colors and taking the right route through certain, you know, mazes of colors. And um, yeah, it's it's really clever. Next is Tawaga Among Shadows. I uh, I also recommend this one. So you are some kind of an Aztec god, I guess. You're standing in the center of the screen and you fire beams of light from your hand um like like a dragon ball type of thing um using the right thumbstick so to speak it's a virtual thumbstick and then you uh you're basically just trying to fight off monsters that are rushing at you from all corners of the screen it's very simple but it's actually really good fun um animation is great it looks fantastic uh it would be much better with an actual thumbstick instead of a virtual thumbstick but still pretty solid game i enjoy this one the very just kind of simple defense game makes you feel pretty powerful as well. Next, UFO on tape, first contact. Uh, this is an interesting one. It's a Pokemon Snap-like game with motion control. So it's pretty 
fiddly to control, but it's fun. Um, you're basically put in these scenarios of people encountering UFOs, and it all looks like found footage type stuff. Basically, you're going through a uh, scene as it happens. You don't have control over like what the characters are doing, but you can control where the camera is pointed. And so you're trying to like take pictures of the UFO or of different things in the environment, kind of hidden objects to find. Um, sometimes you try to keep a UFO in the center of your camera for long enough as you film it but there's nice little like rewards that you get for uh for getting these these desired snapshots um it's can't be fun it has a nice theme it works pretty well there's uh some pretty troubling <laughs> fps dips on ipad which is too bad because it feels like the ideal platform for that maybe iphone would be just as good um but yeah there's um some of the levels the ipad simply can't run which is unfortunate but it's a good game overall. I, I give it a pass. Right. I mean, I give it a I give it a pass in that it passes the class, not that I would skip it. <laughs> Next, Various Daylife. It is a side-scrolling but 3D RPG. It's made by Square Enix. It has very lush visuals, but it's really unusual since the actual gameplay screen takes up maybe one third of the overall screen. It's really small. Um, there's a very basic map underneath and just like the white space that surrounds the screen. Um, the UI feels very intrusive and I'd like to see more of the actual gameplay screen. I, I I just don't understand. Like the vast majority of the screen is just white empty space. I don't know why they chose this. Um, it's kind of a time management game. So you send your character to perform certain jobs. They do it off screen. They return and with uh, associated bonuses, time passes. You go on and meet characters and have little quests and stuff and I don't know. Um, it, it seems fine. Uh, a little bit more reading than I tend to like to do with iPad games, though. But that's on me, I know. Next, Way of the Turtle. And we are rounding out here. Just three more to go. It is a 2.5D auto runner in a way. Um, so you're a turtle trying to find his wife after their honeymoon plane crashed. I love the concept here. Uh, so he walks off at full speed um, around this island into all kinds of dangers. And you just basically have to like tap him to jump or take cover inside the shell uh it's not my kind of game <laughs> don't care for it just kind of timing based puzzles you know it's pretty basic next where cards fall really bad app icon i have to say it's just an eyeball and then it doesn't even say the name of the app underneath it's just wcf and it's like it took me a long time to remember that's what it was it is a kind of isometric puzzle-ish type of game where you're you're directing this character as he walks around this this environment and you can use stacks of cards to build houses of cards to create bridges and stuff over uh, over gaps and over areas. Um, the pace is very, very slow. I, I wish it moved just a bit faster. Um, the art style and environments are really, really lovely, but um, kind of to the game's detriment, uh, there are so many items lovingly scattered around the environment that you just can't interact with. And um, I feel like the iPad struggles under the weight of the game's art. So I just don't know if like, the loveliness was worth it. Uh, the main mechanic is that you tap to move around a world and find decks of cards that you can turn into platforms, uh, kind of like buildings that you can walk on. It, it works pretty well on touchscreen, actually. The narrative seems to be some sort of like a magical realist and interpretive. Um, you enter buildings and become a younger version of your character, for instance. Um, it seems like it has a lot of heart, but I just it's too slow for me to, to keep on with. And finally, last but not least, is Yaga. It's a uh, really nicely animated game. This also came out in the Epic Game Store on PC, so it's obviously something kind of of that scale. 
it has a really good voice acting as rhyming dialogue. You play as a, uh, like a woodworker, I believe, um, who is summoned to the, the count, uh, to the, um, the czar's court to solve some sort of a problem. And, and you explain like parts of your backstory and you go on all these kind of adventures and, um, it's a top-down brawler RPG, kind of like Don't Starve, but story-based. Every dialogue choice uh, displays a character attribute, like foolish or brazen, righteous, etc. Um, I, I kind of wonder if this actually goes on to shape the character in any way, or if it's just kind of there for flavor. Um, it has a nice storybook style. Uh, I don't really see myself spending a lot of time with this one. Uh, before we wrap up, actually, I remember there was one that we skipped, unfortunately. This is Over the Alps, where it is a uh, beautifully illustrated and animated game. You play as, I guess, like a secret agent or something that's going to the Swiss countryside. And um, and it's all communicated through postcards that you're sending people. And then occasionally it'll give you little choices of like what happens next in the scene. It's a choose your own adventure type thing, uh, but a little bit like less determinist than that. You can choose what you say in a scenario and each of the dialogue choices comes with a little uh stamp postage stamp that represents like what it like, whether it's a funny response or a suave response or whatever it seems pleasant and the presentation is really ace uh, i'm just not really sure i'm in the mood for this type of uh, text adventure right now um but it's on the right platform it seems really well presented so i, I might give it a look all right that takes us to the end of the first session <laughs> uh this is going to be the longest session so uh expect the others to go by faster than this one did but um, I, I thank you for sticking with us. Uh, the other members of the team, as you can tell, have been very quiet. They've, they've had to jump off at various points um, to deal with real life. Um, I, as you know, do not have one of those to deal with. <laughs> yeah, um, thank you for joining. Um, I'm just about losing my voice here, so I'm going to wrap up and um, pass this one to the whoever is hosting the next session. That was session one of our Cane and Rinse looking back at the gaming year that was 2019. I've lost my voice just thinking back to it. Uh, you'll okay. notice throughout the podcast, uh, more and more of the people end up dropping off because real life gets in the way. But yeah, I do not have one of those. So oh, I prevail. <laughs> I don't believe you. I don't believe it. Uh, yeah. So hopefully you've enjoyed that. Uh, we'll let you get back to your whatever you're doing on this uh, crisp winter's day, probably, hopefully. <laughs> I think we'll be back again, like, tomorrow. Yep. Is yep. that the this plan? This will be daily drops for the about mm, half a week daily or so. Daily drops. Like a doctor says, daily <laughs> drops are healthy things. 